Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. So... Obviously, it hasn't been too long since Memorial Day and things get a little patriotic with uh, the July 4th holiday, but about three weeks, is that right? Is that right? Three weeks? Man, this year's going by fast. We're still away, so things are going to get patriotic anyway, sort of between those two rather patriotic celebrations. We're going to be taking a look at the American Conference. And uh, in addition to the American Athletic Conference, the Conference USA, I chose to combine those two, I guess, for thematic reasons and because between the two of them, we ought to have enough prospects to uh, to discuss. So let's get the party started. Not too long ago, Cincinnati was the success story, the uh, Team on the come, team on the make, whatever term you want to use. Uh, those who thrilled uh, to watching, you know, Zach Caleros and uh, and others. Uh, and of course, when when Brian Kelly was there, this is a program that, you know, back when the term BCS Buster is being bandied about, that was the term you might hear sometimes used to describe them. So, not say they've hit on hard times. But they've been on harder times. I think it would be fair to say since then. Back-to-back seven and six seasons have made a, a team that had gotten used to, you know, nine, ten win seasons uh, at one point. Now there's a certain sense of there's a certain sense of unease. I think uh, they have a 60-year-old coach who's probably on his last stop in his last few years of coaching. A program that essentially leveled off and maybe even has dropped back a little bit. This is an incredibly important year for Cincinnati football. The good news is they have, well, as always, they have some pretty decent talent. So so now the question is, can they use this talent to win football games, right? That's the question that always needs to be raised. You have many teams that have talent. Uh, The issue I see I've been joined by Sir James of Coburn, my always dependable co-host. How you doing, Jim? Oh, pretty good. Uh, so we're we're sort of combining, uh, as I mentioned, the AAC and the CUSA in sort of a patriotic uh, cavalcade of football discussion. So uh, Cincinnati, I was saying at one point, was seen as a program on the rise. And they were, obviously, at one point a program on the rise. Brian Kelly had a lot of success there. They put out a decent number of talent. Marty Gilliard, I think, was like a third-round pick. Uh, you know, Kelsey. I mean, they've had some good players come out of that program, and even some good coaches come out of that program. But I was saying now they have a, a coach who's 
I'm not going to use the term sliding into a gentlemanly semi-retirement. That's probably, I mean, that would be disrespectful to Tommy Tuberville. I'm not saying that's what he's doing, but it seems that they have a coach who's in the last few years of his career, I'll put it that way. He may coach another 10 years, and I might be proven wrong. But at this moment, it doesn't look like that. And that's the kind of thing that often teams can use against you in recruiting. Hey, your coach is 62, back-to-back seven and six seasons. Mm, don't know how long that staff's going to be in place. He's that old? Tuberville's 62, yeah. I mean, I've watched his entire career. I remember him as a – top... years old. Yeah, I remember as a, as a D coordinator 20-ish years ago. He was one of the hot D coordinators in college football, in fact. And now, you know, now obviously he's most likely – and, of course, I could be proven wrong, like that, but most likely it looks like he's in the last few years as a head coach. And we'll see. If they can turn things around, he might have, you know, a few more good years left in him. Clearly the most discussed prospect on their team is a quarterback who may or may not be the starter, but, I mean, people are expecting him to be the starter. And Gunnar Keel, formerly a five-star, top ten in the country high school-type prospect who has thus far been not quite as advertised, as it could be fair to say. Uh, Tuberville is entering year three, 25 and 14 record. Uh, new offensive coordinator, who once again in one of those feel old moments for me, is Zach Taylor, who I remember when he was a junior college quarterback, uh, being recruited by several different teams, and finally different teams ending up signing with uh, with Cornhuskers with uh, Nebraska, and not being a terrific fit, frankly. Though he had a decent enough career, he probably would have been better served. I mean, I hate to play this way, but he's not a San Jose State. I think he would have had a better career, but nobody ever wants to go to San Jose State. But um, for whatever reason. But, for, but still, he is now an offensive coordinator after having spent uh, a short amount of time on the staff of Dan Campbell as an offensive coordinator in Miami. And there was some talk that perhaps even if Campbell wasn't retained, that the Dolphins were impressed enough they might try to keep Zach Taylor around even with a new regime, but that did not happen. But he settled in back in college, and he might be able to fix these, you know, Supposedly uber talented, Gunnar Keel. Uh, they have co D coordinators in Robert Plenty and Jeff Coons. Mm. And like I said, uh, beyond Keel, you know, which is a, a very well known prospect, they have some other yeah. maybe less discussed but good prospects. Uh, Nate Cole is raw ish, I think is the term you might use, but certainly has talent. And this is supposed to be sort of a breakout year for him, or you know, this could be potentially a breakout year for him. Uh, one of their receivers will no doubt, or shouldn't say no doubt, will likely have a breakout year, and the thought is it might be him. Uh, Mike Boone and Tion Green were both guys that rushed over 700 yards, and now the question is can one of those guys sort of emerge as you know, the guy with somebody emerging as guy number two? Uh, wow. And... Their best offensive lineman is Dashaun uh, Bond, who is a, a fairly athletic. I mean, we'll see. Obviously, I don't have any testing numbers on him, but at least on tape, he looks like a fairly athletic. He looks, light. yeah, he looks yeah. pretty good. Yeah, right. Um, fairly athletic and perhaps slightly underpowered center. Yep. Which is kind of yeah. the modern spread offense center. Anyway, it's funny. You know, things are coming full circle. We might see 270-pound centers again before it's it's all over. But um, 
Tuberville, as I mentioned himself, you know, made his name, cut his teeth as a defensive guy. So this might have to be a defensive team, which would be a sort of change from well, of the hold previous. on a second here. They have the great Gunner Kill, Jay Cutler two point guys. Like now, yes. now here, here's what here's what I'll say. I mean, I yes, uh, just to mention the Gunner Kill at all because, I mean, if we're gonna like, who's probably gonna be the highest drafted? Well, it might not be Kill. It might be. Uh, 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 Bond. Yeah, guess Bond might, might be the be. guy who gets drafted over Kill, but. Keel is a guy that I I don't know why Phil, but like I remember people liked him, and then some some I loved saw him. Some tape of him, and he was all right. Yep, but he was then all right. The season started, and <laughs> he was horrible. Yeah, like, and people were saying that because uh, I remember Jay Cutler comparisons all this kind of stuff. Like, when I think of, like, a Jay Cutler comparison, I'm thinking of, like, a 6'2 quarterback with a rocket arm, you know, because Cutler's arm okay. strength is, you know, it's up elite. there. It's, an, it's, an, elite, it's an elite arm. Yeah, it's an elite yeah. arm. It's a top five in the league arm easily. Currently, yeah. And Keel, that was, like, the opposite of what I was seeing on tape with Keel. <laughs> uh now, Ken, maybe injuries had something to do. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, and who knows? Like, different things can happen over the summer. You know, lots of things could happen. Um, yeah. The, the but, guy I saw last year, Marquise Williams, had more consistent zip on the ball yeah. than the guy I saw last year. <laughs> yes, uh, exactly. Uh, and I actually, and, and then when uh, Hayden Moore, I believe, was the guy who came in uh, in relief, yep. uh, and I think it was a Miami game in particular that I, saw him come in, and he played really well, uh, more, yeah. more accurate, uh, wasn't had better arm strength, uh, and then Kill came back, and then I guess he played better. I don't know. Like I did, That's the one thing. I didn't go back and actually see. Well, with, let me, let me, let me say what, what sort of played out. Both guys had some ups and downs. Uh, Kill ended up, between the two of them, I guess combined, they had 20 – not had 20. Um, combined, they had 28 uh, touchdowns and 30 – is that right? Hold on. Yeah, 28 touchdowns and 30 interceptions, I think, between them. Uh, oh. Keel had 19 touchdowns and 11 interceptions, and then Moore, who got off a good start, had nine touchdowns, but had 11 interceptions on the season. So, Ooh. yeah. So between the two of them, they still had some – you know, it wasn't all gravy. But right. I agree with you. In that first game, coming out of relief, I was like, why are we messing around with this Gunner Keel experiment? It looks like he's still on the quarterback. Now, uh, it should be noted that, that, that after that, Hayden Moore struggled a bit. But nonetheless, there was a legitimate, my understanding is, there's now a, at least now a legitimate you know, competition, whatever team you want to use, at the quarterback position. And though the feeling is that Keel will survive it most likely. The leash is shortened. I mean, that much I have heard that, you know, he doesn't have, you know, two or three bad outings or maybe not even that many, but certainly no more than two or three bad outings we might see a change made. So, so basically, yeah. aid more pool of Trevor Knight is what you're saying. 
essentially. He might. I mean, like I said, we're, it, there's there's a lot to be decided for them at that position. Uh, but the expectation, I'll put it that way, Zach Taylor uh-huh. in his uh, press conferences and the like when he came in as a new guy, you know, gushed a bit, which I guess you'd have to expect. I mean, the guy can't, guy can't come in and trash Gunnar Keel, I suppose. Um, but he, he gushed a bit about Gunnar Keel, about his, you know, work ethic and toughness, and, you know, feel for the game, blah, blah, blah. So he either is, you know, just, you know, saying, you know, could just be lip service. He could just be saying all the right things. But if he can be taken at his word, he apparently likes Gunnar Keel. And, you know, he really likes both guys. But he, it sounds so far like he thinks Gunnar Keel is in the lead in the quarterback competition. Just. Should. I mean, I hate to try to parse while. the words. Of, right. I hate to try to parse the words of, you know, assistant coaches or head coaches either, but as they sort of come into a new program because, you know, they don't really know what they're talking about. You know what I mean? Like they, 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 they've seen the guys right, like right, you. Right, right, right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they, they've seen the guys on tape and, you know, they've talked to them a bit in the offseason, but, you know, Zach Taylor came in after the season. know them. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, he came in after the season was over, so. You know, he was sort of a somewhat late hire um, since he, you know, had to finish out the season with the Dolphins. So, yes, he's been around the program since essentially the end of January, you know, which is, you know, what, five months now, five months and change, I guess. So he knows some stuff, and he's been there for spring ball, but he's obviously never seen the guy play in a real football game, except on tape. But... Thus far, I guess is what I'm saying. At this moment in time, it appears that he seems to like what he's seen mostly uh, from Gunnar Keel. And right. apparently Gunnar Keel's been a leader in, you know, the off-season program and, you know, all that stuff. All this, like I said, all the usual stuff you hear said about, you know, senior Everybody. starting quarterbacks. Yeah, right. Or that especially you would senior... to hear, you know. Yes, right. I mean, like you, I said, you, wouldn't just... want, you wouldn't want hearing about your senior quarterback you know, we don't know where he is. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. right. Like, he's gone. We put a search party together because we can't find him. No idea. Um, I heard something about putting together like a ska band or something. That's the last I heard. Uh, but, yeah, uh, exactly. I think the working title was apropos of nothing. You know, but, uh, but yeah, no, that that's right. Exactly. The things you can expect to hear about him being a leader and, you know, stuff you should expect to hear. So if that is to be believed, which, you know, you can only believe maybe half of anything you hear from coaches and, you know, the, yeah. you know, op- optimism. And season, also depends which is, as well. And it depends, too. Like, that was the one thing I actually, because I know I do a ton of projects and stuff, but mm-hmm. was to look at – you know, because, you know, certain coaches, when they praise a guy, it's not a good sign with certain coaches. <laughs> it's a- no, you, you know what I mean? Because, like, there have been a few coaches that I've talked to or that have done interviews where they talk about the fact that when I'm praising a guy in the press, I'm doing it because I'm afraid of the guy's confidence. Like, I'm trying to build his confidence. Oh, I'm trying to yeah, yeah, yeah. say nice things to the public so that he goes, okay, coach likes me. You know, like that sort of thing. Uh, <laughs> and there's other coaches that are like, I don't really need to praise him. You, you know, like he knows how to do the 
job. Mm. But, uh, but of course, it depends on the coach. You know, certain coaches are yeah. going to give it to you pretty straight, uh, and other coaches are going to, you know, but awesome. th- that's a whole different thing. You know, uh, Tupperville is kind of a straightish talker, you know, in terms of, like, you know, I don't think he lies about too much stuff, but. Uh, yes, it's well put. Yeah. But um, but I I don't know. I mean, this is gonna kill last year. Uh, he's going to possibly get drafted because of uh, which is another another project I was gonna do was to look at high school recruiting rankings and then see how that actually because for some reason though, I don't know if you know this, but oftentimes guys get drafted who had terrible college careers, and the only thing you yep. can really point to is that they were a top 100 guy in a high school recruiting, you yep. know, thing. And they right. somehow go, well, college was terrible for you, but I think the NFL is going to get that out of you. Fix, you know, like it's it. Gonna it all gets fixed. It. <laughs> yeah, a bumpy road in college will lead to a fruitful NFL career. Uh, type of thing. <laughs> Uh, which right. Kill is definitely at a bumpy adventure, you know, in terms of the, all the places he's been to and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, Cincinnati, I mean, I don't – the, the only thing about Cincinnati I think that's going to be interesting this year, because you were talking about defense, uh, is offensively speaking, like everybody's gone. All the senior wide yep. receivers are gone. Yep. Um, a lot of offensive linemen are gone. That's a lot of change, you know. Uh, that's a lot of people gone. So this is your time to step up, I guess, Kill, you know, because all you guys are gone. All the guys <laughs> yeah. who are throwing the ball to yeah. a lot yep. are gone. They have left yeah. the building. You are correct. Um, so, on and on the defensive side, they have a new coordinator as well, as I mentioned. Steve Klinkscale is left in an interesting move, he left from being a coordinator at Cincinnati to become a secondary coach at Kentucky. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. Um, and then Prunty, who was on the staff last year, has been joined by um, uh, Jeff Koontz, uh, who is new. And they're apparently going to, I guess, split the duties a bit. Apparently it was Prunty sort of running the, the back seven, and as I understand it, Koontz being more focused on the, the D-line, from my understanding. And we'll see how that works. Um, they were a heavy favorite in some people's minds going into last year's season, and obviously that didn't play out. So they did set 18 school records last year on offense. and But they also had a third worst in all of college football turnover margin, uh, a minus 1.46 per game. Mm. Ouchie. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. So uh, they're basically giving up one and a half more turnovers. So they were, per they game. basically were like the New Orleans Saints, basically. Uh, well, not really the Saints, but you know, as as you know, Bill, uh, you know, it, I usually some coachisms are actually statistically accurate. The don't turn the ball over and we'll win this game is actually pretty accurate. <laughs> It's extremely so, accurate. It's one of the most accurate indicators of victory. Yeah. So, so, yeah, I mean, the, the turnovers are, yeah, if they had that many, I didn't even realize that. They had that wow. That's a lot of turnovers. Uh, yeah. 
you know, which is obviously why they struggled so much, you know, yeah. to win games. And here's another <laughs> another little fun fact. Uh, they weren't quite as bad, but they were almost as bad in terms of uh, penalties. So they were fifth worst, I believe, in the nation in penalty yardage. So they were the Raiders, points. basically, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, they committed a lot of penalties. Um, the defense only forced 14 turnovers. They turned over the ball at a pretty ridiculous rate. So despite a lot of offensive production, uh, they they tended to sort of find themselves in a hole. If you're looking for bright spots, their specialists are perhaps guys who might find their way into the NFL as well, whether they're drafted or not. Uh, Sam Geraci was a 46.3 average guy last year, the best since Kevin Huber, who is in the NFL at the Bengals. Uh, Huber still holds a school record, which he set in 2007 by averaging 46.9 yards per punt. And then Andrew Gantz uh, was, is now 37-47 of 47 for field goals in his career and comes back for his third year of starting. So uh, they're good, at least on that. Now, where they aren't great on special teams is they have not had a punt or kickoff return for a touchdown since 2011. So that's something where they are not awesome. Uh, they could use some help there. Uh, they're their leaders, returning leaders, at least on defense, and we'll see, obviously, what new guys do, but Eric Wilson uh, was their leading tackler with 106. Zach Edwards is back as well, a safety who, a box safety is the term people like to use, uh, who had 93 tackles. Uh, their middle linebacker, Bryce Jenkinson, at 59. He's back as well. And there are two uh, defensive tackles of the sort of three or four they rotated. The two who played the most are both back. Alex Pace and Cortez Broughton are, are back as well. Uh, they have a lot of new faces in the secondary and, as you said, pretty much all new faces practically on their uh, offense because they have to replace five, their top five receivers. That tells you something. <laughs> so, yes, going to be very young at that position. So, yes, um, I expect them to be maybe slightly better this year. I think they might be an eight-win team, which might be enough to keep Tuberville's job. I think uh, I think anything less than eight wins, Tuberville's on very, very, very thin ice. I think another seven or, you know, worse than a six-win season would mean he's gone, uh, I think. And I think just being bowl eligible is not enough for the, the modern Cincinnati fan. Yeah, uh, I, definitely. Uh, which, have they done renovations to their stadium? Uh, as well, I believe yes, they did, didn't they? I mean, isn't that where Papa John's? Wow, no, it's Louisville. Sorry, not Papa John. Um, it's somebody else. <laughs> they have another big money. Papa Rocca's Pizza Hut. No, not Pizza. Hut. It's That's somebody. Ridiculous. Somebody I else. I can't remember. Pizza. Hut, remember. You know. So they have you heard of a Pizza Hut stadium? I hope it never happens because. No, I have not run but, across a Pizza Hut stadium as of yet. Yeah, but uh. Yeah, because I remember so basically what I'm trying to say is is like the the school, you know, did a lot of renovations in the stadium and yeah. it's like win some games, guys. You know? <laughs> like we did all the stuff. This would know? be good timing. Good time if you want to win if you're thinking if you're waiting for a time to win some football games, now would be that time. Exactly. Yeah, I, so. I agree. I agree with you there. This would be well timed if you decide to go on a nice little win streak. Um, a team that has not pumped a lot of money into its stadium or facilities or anything else, quite frankly, but manages to be a pretty consistent winner, 
is the Pirates of East Carolina in beautiful Greenville, North Carolina. And uh, they've had some changes. They also have a new um, staff, coaching staff. I mean, not just new coordinators, but new shebangabang. Scotty Montgomery, uh, who recently was on the staff of David Cutcliffe at Duke, has come over and will be one of the I, people are excited about it, I'll put it that way. I mean, we'll see how he does. But people think big things are in the offing for Scotty Montgomery. The sort of assumption is, he's, of course, you know, they used to say the thing about Skip Holtz too, I guess, but the assumption is that this is going to be a way station on his coaching career and that he's, you know, headed for, headed for big things down the line. And like I said, we'll see if that plays out. But he's he's doing well everywhere he's been. Obviously, this is his first time being a head coach. But every single team he's where he's been an offensive coordinator, they have had offensive production, quarterbacks developed, wide receivers developed. Uh, he's particularly known for helping running backs to learn protections and um, and helping them to uh, to develop as receivers. And I believe, if memory serves correctly, he was a running back himself. If my memory of Scotty Montgomery as a player is correct. Uh, East Carolina has recently been, I mean, I won't call them wide receiver U, but they recently had a pretty good run at, of good wide receivers, obviously a couple of whom found their way into the NFL. And they've had some exciting quarterbacks, so they might not be NFL quarterbacks. They Guys were fun to watch, I guess, uh, whether or not their skills translate. So when you think about East Carolina football, uh, what are some of the things you're expecting? What do you look for? What, do you, what, do you, what, what, what things would let you know if this team – has a chance to contend in uh, AAC. Mm-hmm. Well, I like Isaiah Jones. Um, another That's a good place to start. Yet another one of the – yep, another wide receiver. And another member of the Blake Jones clan that has left quite there, quite a mark, uh, Jeff Blake still holds – which te- I mean, not, some of his records have been broken. We still hold a few, um, a few records. At, at East Carolina, and you know Robert Jones, obviously cousin of Jeff Blake and father of, of Isaiah Jones, still holds a few records as a linebacker at East Carolina. Uh, so yeah, the, that family, and I think if I remember correctly, there's a daughter of Jeff Blake who is on the women's volleyball team, I believe, currently at East Carolina as well. So that that family has, uh, like I said, left its mark uh, between the Jones and the Joneses. And the uh, play. Uh, what about Isaiah Jones? Yeah. What What are some of the things about Isaiah Jones that intrigue you? Um, you know, honestly, the the main thing is just his hands are a little better than I expected. I guess out of uh, that type of uh, I don't know why, but uh, there just seems to be that sort of uh, I'm looking for. Um, there's just sort of a natural wide receiverness thing. It's kind of hard to explain. It, it's a lot like you know with Michael Mike Thomas from Southern Miss uh, or Cooper. Or there were just certain guys that, that weren't overly robotic when it came to the position, um, and he was just one of those guys that when I remember watching him on tape, I at least when I'm checking back on my notes of him, uh, I put down he looks pretty natural 
position, um, which is, I'm not going to say it's rare, but it's just something that you like to see in terms of, you know, he, he can kind of catch the ball pretty smoothly. Um, it's, it's pretty, uh, he kind of shows a little bit of a knowledge of uh, uh, how to get open, um, a good zone to kind of, you know, find any kind of open spaces and stuff like that. So, um, but those, those were kind of the things. It's been a while since I've seen them. That's the only thing. But uh, when I remember seeing them, I, I liked uh, just that aspect of being a little kind of natural at the position to a certain extent. Yeah. I mean, like many of the kids who have literally grown up in the game, he has a sense of what the defense is trying to do to, to stop him and what he needs to do to still be able to be productive. He has, uh, you know, I, mean, it, I don't know if it's, People use the term high football IQ. He's just played a lot of football uh, and has been around a lot of football players literally all of his life. And so he knows he knows football. I mean, it sounds rather simple when you put it that way, but he clearly knows football. I mean, it exactly. It's, it, it's always hard to kind of articulate. It's like with yeah. instincts with linebackers, you know. It, it, when I explain, like, why do you know he has instincts? Because when the ball steps, he goes in the right direction. I know that sounds <laughs> – Kind of like, yes. really? There it is. That's, That's how it. you judge instincts at yep. linebacker? Yeah. Yep. It's the same thing with wide receivers to a certain extent. It's like, well, how do you know he's kind of naturally instinctive with wide receivers? Because he gets open and he catches the ball. You know? <laughs> there you go. Uh, in, there in it way, is. So, All there is to it, really. We, we complicate some it. of this stuff, but some of it's very, very simple. Exactly. And that, that, that those were the main things – that I remember is just him being in terms of being really instinctive. Cause I got to tell you, though, there was a lot of wide receivers. Even now I've been evaluating where the, you can just tell they don't quite understand what they're doing. hundred percent, very robotic in terms of different stuff. Um, a lot of like, even when you watch their highlight tapes, it's like crossing routes mostly. And I don't know. Like, if 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 a wide receiver's main highlight reel is him catching a bunch of crossing routes, what does that say about them? I guess <laughs> you know they're running in one direction and then catching the ball as they're running in one, you know, direction. So yeah, right. But, yeah, you know, <laughs> right. And it's funny because sometimes people will say, "Well, you know, he's not responsible for the routes they had him run, and the offense is this, the offense is that." But unless you're just assuming that the offensive coordinator is an absolute mini and uh, doesn't seem to understand how to use the players on the team, which occasionally is a problem, but I, I generally find that most offensive coordinators, high school and college, tend to know who their best players are and tend to know how to try to get their best players the ball. Now, occasionally do you find that that's not the tr- truth? Yes, occasionally. But most of the time, most of the time, they realize, oh, I got to get this guy the ball. Now I just got to figure out how to get this guy the ball. Um, I remember having, and you might, I don't know if you remember this, we had, when we had uh, Steve Cantor on, who had been a high school head coach and coached um, Percy Harvin while he was a high school head coach, he said, I, I, one of the most important things, I, he said that when, he, when um, Urban Meyer was on campus, he got to talk football with him, which, you know, he said was one of the most important things that ever happened to him in his entire football life. And Urban Meyer says this. He says, the game becomes much more simple when you stop concerning yourself so much with the plays and concerning yourself with the players 
And I think, especially nowadays, when people complain about lots of things about the spread, right? And there's some things probably that are worth the complaints, and I'm co-writing an article sort of dealing with some of that. Well, not, you know, not that exclusively, but touching on some of that. Right. But, mm-hmm. but mostly what it does, or is intended to do, is to make sure that your best players get the football more often. <laughs> Which, you know, once again, it sounds super simple. Hey, let's get the, play, the football in the hands of our best player more often. That seems like a good idea, right? Uh, so, yeah, when, when a player either isn't getting the, the ball or isn't getting the ball in a way that allows them to be, you know, explosive or impactful or whatever, that either indicates, yeah, super poor coaching, and that occasionally is the case, but more often it indicates the player isn't as good as you think they are. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, um, I mean, yeah, those are the main um, – I mean, the only issues that I ever have with with, uh, with spread systems uh, is that you tend to not – in terms of manipulation, like you can definitely manipulate a cornerback in a spread system. It's just you don't see other types of manipulation in terms of, you know, manipulate, like manipulation on the break especially, um, you know, making that hard cut uh, in in a particular direction. I don't know why, but every time I've seen certain spread systems, they they don't tend to do a ton of, uh, which is often the criticism Baylor gets a lot oftentimes, you know, yes. is they only run a certain amount of routes, so you don't quite get to see the plethora of their abilities to, you know, make a DB, you know, make a mistake you know, if you will, uh, a false step, whatever, you name it, you know, and uh, and manipulate them in that sort of way. Um, but, yeah, I mean, but that's, that's, I mean, again, I hate to say that, but that's really all I got right to say Jones is he, he catches the ball relatively well, and he also looks you know, natural in terms of, you know, getting open. Um, I don't think he'll be a high commodity guy, you know, which Probably not. never happens often, you know, at the well, AAC conference. Right. We can touch on the William Jacksons and a few others that you right. know, mm. people fall in love with. But, yes, you're right. Usually, even if you're a very good football player, you don't get, you know, swooned over. I mean, Paxton Lynch and, and, and William uh, Jackson were exceptions rather than the rule in terms of the way people tend to react. Yeah. Um, this is a team coming off a of five and seven season, which broke a uh, string they had of three straight bowl appearances, which is one of the reasons that we're talking about these coaches. Yeah. Uh, the new offensive coordinator is Tony Peterson, and the new D coordinator is Kenwick Thompson, and both are once again highly respected. Uh, they're both have been talking a lot about discipline and uh, ex- you know usual stuff. You know, we're more disciplined, we're execute. I mean. You know, certain things, if you've gone to a coach's press conferences, after a while you could almost write, you know, whole swabs of it and just, you know, sort of hope they, you know, at least drop it the occasional personal anecdote so you can have something that you couldn't write, you know, yourself. Um, so in terms of teaching the system, they're gonna st- they apparently they're really drilling on fundamentals. Uh, the practices have been, you know, a lot of correction, a lot of focus on technique, uh, and then building off of that. They do have good talent, though. 
um, unproven, most of it. Right now, Kurt Benford, who uh, has played a little bit, and senior transfer Philip Nelson, who has played but not played for ECU, are in the process of still battling it out. And uh, Nelson is a – this is something I didn't used to see at all, but I've now seen at the quarterback position a fair amount. He is a three-time – I mean, a third-team transfer guy, uh, like Grayson um, – uh, what his name was, and uh, uh, oh gosh, who's the other uh, you know guys that transferred over the dumb place? Uh, but there were a few of them recently. Um, was at Nevada and was at uh, whatever. Um, and uh, the uh, Jake Heaps. I'm seeing more and more of this at quarterbacks so where it's transferring and transfer some more. Uh, which I like I said, I never used to see this. I mean, you see a guy transfer once. And it would raise eyebrows 30 years ago, twice, you know. <laughs> but yeah, well, it's like uh, it's like free agency now, you know. Um, <laughs> and plus, the quarterback position is a a very um, I don't say macho, but alpha uh, it's alpha male exactly. And if you're a guy who won a position and then you lost that position, obviously, because why would you be transferring if you lost the position? Or, or, or want a position, I should say. Uh, you want to dominate. You want to be alpha male. So, what happens when you lose a try? It's kind of like this, you know. In Alabama, uh, there's a in Mobile Bay. You can see alligators that go from one part of a swamp to another part of a swamp constantly, and that's because mm-hmm. they go to one part and then they get in a fight or something like that, they get kicked out and then they go to the other uh, right. fight over and over and over again. Uh, as a quarterback, you lose a battle with one tribe, got to find a new tribe now, you know? So it's that just seems to be what's been happening a lot um, is these quarterbacks. I mean, David's Webb's in a new place. Uh, was one of the Montana quarterbacks, did he end up – there have been a couple of recently. Of, you know, well, Prokop well, is now at, at Oregon, obviously. Right. Um, but, I mean, he's only a single transfer. The thing that, like I said, I've noticed recently is that, like I said, Jack Jake Heaps and, like, there's been, like, three or four of them recently of guys who just transferred and then transferred some more. Um, there was an Arizona State – right. Uh, there was an Arizona State quarterback with a double transfer – not too long ago. I mean, there's, like I said, it's something I used to never see. And now I've seen a proliferation. And you pointed out, yes, right, part of it is the, you know, I've got to find a place where I can be the guy thing, uh, which I'm sure is a great part of it. I mean, I'm not counting junior college. There are guys who started, a, you know, an FBS school, then go to a JUCO, and then another FBS school. That has been around forever. But this three FBS school thing is new. <laughs> that's the that's the thing that I that I hadn't seen until Absolutely. recently and now I'm seeing it more and more. But 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 it's also to a certain extent where being a college football player is often treated as like an occupation now. Yes. If that makes any oh, sense. Not not like, not often. <laughs> if you're talking about the top guys or guys who think they're top guys, it's completely I mean once again, to quote the philosopher and poet Cardinal Jones, I didn't come here to play school. Exactly. So, I mean, they're, they're, as you know, again, as we talk about, you know, the quarterbacks that are, you know, they're studying how to be a quarterback when they're 12 or 10 or 8. You know, they're going to camps. You know, they're all that, so they're just quarterback, quarterback, quarterback their whole life. 
and then you lose your job. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I don't know if that it's just the culture of quarterbacking or if it's just the fact that it seems to be a little easier to transfer now, I guess, maybe. But I, I don't know. But, yeah, I definitely think that's – although Jake Keith is kind of the comical sort of transfer guy, I guess, you know, went from Kansas to Miami to, you know, lots of – and for, for Kansas, he was even somewhere else. Right. And BYU was where he started his career. Where he was yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, maybe savior is too strong a word, but because BYU was pretty good, but revive is probably would revive the quarterback position at BYU. You know, to the Steve Young, Jeff Nielsen, you know, Detmer, Mark Wilson days. You know, Jim McMahon. All oh yeah. Them, they had this or the guy. Great or run. the guy after after Steve Young. Um, uh, or before them, God. Well, all of them were good. In those cases, yeah. whoever you want to yeah. name, they were good. Uh, yeah, yeah, like yeah, I said, yeah. from Gifford Nielsen onward, they had a quarterback drafted seemingly every three or four years for about about almost about a 15-year run. For about the late 70s until about the mid-1990s, whoever the BYU, I think every BYU multi-year starter at least got drafted. It may have been early, but at least got drafted for a while there. And like I said, uh, that sort of, you know, ran to a brick wall or whatever. I remember Sean Covey about 16, 17 years ago was supposed to be the guy who's going to put them back there. And the, I guess his greatest contribution is being the father of Britain uh, Covey, who is actually in Utah, um, now that I think about it. Not at BYU at all, but I guess his biggest contribution to Utah the state of Utah football is his son. But, um, oh, yeah, it was Robin yeah. Bosco. That was the guy I was. Thank you. Yes. You know. Another yeah. guy who knocked around, he's knocked around the NFL for about eight years. Uh, but yes, right. All of the, like I said, in those days, if you're a BYU quarterback, if you were a BYU quarterback between about 1974 ish and 1998, 99 ish or so, you were at least going to get to hang around the NFL for a few years. Oh yeah, definitely. Was, I mean, I, I'm, I just know this because I, because uh, in this off season I've been going back and watching older tape, just because I think it's interesting in terms of like the parallels and like you hear, you know, we make fun of like the winner argument, like he's just a winner. They've been making that argument all the way back in the '80s. You know, like they're making oh. the same argument. So before that, before that, there was a guy who was. Not Kevin Hogan esque. He was actually better than Kevin Hogan, but I think he played for SMU or something like that. But they were basically making the Kevin Hogan argument about him, you know, like, and I'm like, oh, oh, you know, like, wow, this is this is all, you know, it's very cyclical, I guess. You know, we think yep. these are like new concepts nope. and none new of arguments, new. and none of us none of us new. Well, even the, I mean, like I said, though it's hard to imagine Tommy Kramer being the guy that he was in college, Tommy Kramer became a, a Heisman Trophy candidate. I think he was number six or seventh or something in the Heisman Trophy voting his uh, senior year in an offense where he passed for 2,800 and ran for 700 plus yards in what was called the air option offense that uh, Homer Rice, who 
is sort of an unsung hero in the development of, you guessed it, the West Coast offense. He was the quarterback's coach working with Bill Walsh at the time that, speaking of BYU, Virgil Carter, uh, the first of the BYU quarterbacks to ever start in his own game, and he actually was their starter at BYU back at the end of their time, the triple option offense, believe it or not. Uh, it was the year after he left that they switched from being a triple option team to going pro style when um, uh, they brought in a new staff. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, the head coach was the same, but they brought in a new offense coaching staff. And, you know, things were never the same again when um, the offensive line coach, Norm Shaw, who later became a pointer, and Doug Scoville, who was the offensive coordinator, who came in and, you know, turned them into a pro-style team. And once again, all the quarterbacks that you, you named earlier <clears throat> arising because of Doug Scoville and Norm Chow. Norm Chow eventually taking over when Scoville left to go to the NFL. But that's, uh, that whole thing, you know, uh, that happened with the development of the West Coast offense and what happened to BYU uh, all happened because, I mean, like I said, nothing new. If you were to watch... They, though they ran it out of the, the wing team, if you were to watch Sammy Baugh's college offense at TCU in the 1930s, you would recognize a bunch of the concepts as what you would think of as West Coast offense concepts. But they're running out of wing team. But it was a spread-ish version of wing team in that they took their wings and moved them farther out, making guys who were used to playing like linebackers, making them have to play like defensive backs, but they hadn't been used to doing that. So they carved them up pretty good, you see. <laughs> and so Sammy Baugh yeah. and, uh, and Davey Christensen, um, little Davey, became Tyson Trophy candidates because of it. And, uh, you know, Sammy Baugh, of course, became a, really one of the first great, great passing quarterbacks in NFL history. Yeah, NFL, yeah. Which is... But he... I, but here's I, the I, don't, I just think oh, it's... Yeah. Oh, well, uh, all I was going to say – oh, yeah, you, you go ahead. You can no, 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 sorry. You were, you were uh, that's good to say. The only thing I'm saying is that he ended up teaching, though running it out of a T formation, he ended up teaching the – I mean, it wasn't, there were no offensive coordinators in those days. Uh, that wasn't invented until uh, the giant staff that had Ali Sherman as – no, not Ali Sherman. Uh, Jim uh, – oh, my God. His name is Jim Howell was the head coach and had um, – uh, Lombardi, who had been an O-line coach, who became the NFL's first offensive coordinator, and then some kid um, who had flown bombers in the war and had played a little DB in the NFL, was their defensive backfield coach who became the first defense coordinator, a guy named Tom Landry. So those guys invented the offensive and defensive coordinator positions with the Giants. But before that, you had a couple position coaches and you had a head coach. And the idea of offensive coordination didn't really exist. So quarterbacks, I mean, if you're a coach on the field, I mean, Sammy Ball was literally a coach on the field. He taught the coaching staff and the players on his team the passing attack. These were all guys that hadn't come from passing. But, yeah, yeah you can go ahead. Oh, all, all I was going to say is uh, the reason I was doing it also was just because, you know, offenses are – like, for example, you know, I remember there was sort of this time period where people were like, it's really hard to evaluate running backs that are in, uh, you know, uh, wing T or 
you know, those triple option style attacks because of X and O and this and that and like it, it, you know, pro salt stuff like that. Do they really have vision? And then you go back to the era like the 80s where there's a ton of teams running triple option. Yeah. And the some of the running backs became great running backs. Uh, yep. From the Roger Craig and Amon Green were okay. <laughs> yeah. So basically, just trying to break down that sort of thing because again, I don't think it's because the argument that always gets made is like I don't know how he's going to do. He was in a spread system sort of argument. I don't think it's I don't think that's really what you need to be looking for. It not necessarily the offense they're playing in. It's their ability to understand complex offensive systems, which is what you really are trying to figure out. And I don't think you can get that just from watching the tape a hundred percent. If that makes any sort of sense. Like, sure. There's definitely going to be a learning curve because they're not familiar with a particular offense or a pro style, whatever that means anymore, you know, offense is going to be a learning curve, but that's also like anybody. There's going to be that sort of learning curve, I guess. So, I don't know, because there's been a lot, because there's been lots of uh, sort of like, what is the future of the NFL? Like, what is the future of offense? What is the future of defense? Well, it's funny. We had a show like that once. We had a bunch of offensive minds on, including Tony DeMeo, who was one of the last coaches to run a version of that air option offense that I mentioned that Homer Rice developed and ran at ironically enough, Rice University, uh, which helped to make Tommy Kramer into a Heisman Trophy top 10, you know, voting kind of guy. <clears throat> we had uh, Ted White on. We had Will Hewlett. I can't remember all the other guys. We had a good number of guys on talking offense. Oh, and uh, what's his name? Um, the first quarterback that Tom, uh, that, um, uh, that Richard Rodriguez ever had when he's back at Glendale State in his first head coaching job. Um, Oh my gosh, Jed Jed Drennan. <clears throat> Jed Drennan was with us as well, talking about I mean, the co founder or inventor of of uh of read option. Were you on the show when Jed told that story? I mean, it was before I knew you. But Jed Drennan so. Okay, yeah. so Jed Drennan was the starting quarterback at Glenville State and he was I think a junior at the time when Coach Rodriguez's staff came in. And they were running, you know, spring ball practice or whatever, spring practice. And there was a play where Jed, they were just running a, you know, a, a normal kind of uh, option kind of handoff situation. And this is before read option existed. This was going to be just a, you know, either you hand it to this guy or you pitch it to this guy. You know, so there's got a, like a belly possibility and then you can pitch to this guy over here who's running, you know, over here in this lane. And what happened was he bobbled it um, and couldn't get it out of his hands. So he kind of almost kind of sort of handed it off, then realized he couldn't, he was going to drop it or whatever, so he pulled it back. And then the defense, you know, thinking it's, you know, either we got to worry about the pitch guy or we got to worry about the belly guy, they weren't worried about the quarterback. And plus no one ever run read off from four because it hadn't been invented. And Jed just kept it and took off the field, ran, you know, literally up the gut of the defense into the end zone. And, and – uh, uh, you know, Coach Rodriguez called him over like, what did you do there? You know, chicken his brain a little bit. It's like, well, I'll be honest with you, Coach, I kind of bobbled it. You know, I didn't want to drop it. And I was afraid I was going to fumble it if I tried handing it off. So I just pulled it back, pulled it back in. He's like, hmm. So the next day, 
he puts it in, a, you know, he goes into his laboratory or whatever, and the next day he puts it in as, as a play. And that's the birth of read option offense at Glenville State in beautiful West Virginia. Hmm. So, so I had Jed Drenning on the show talking about the day, the moment that read option offense was invented. Yeah. You know, so now you know the story. And uh, if you if you look up the signal caller, I think his, it might be at the signal caller on Twitter or at Jed Drenning, D-R-E-N-N-I-N-G. Uh, feel free to, you know, give him a shout and ask him to talk. Oh, yeah, I'll definitely. Yeah, I mean, I'll definitely look into that. The main, the main reason, I don't know, the main reason why is a lot of, like, how do I explain this? It's kind of like Malzahn, right, where, like, Malzahn's offensive of genius. Or at least that's what people say. Ish. And then you, you know, ish. And then and then you look at the offense and what they're doing. Super simple. It's not. It's not that it's super simple. It's it's sort which it is super simple. It's just the sort of thing where like there's lots of things that people say is innovative or like this or that with with football, when it isn't necessarily innovative as much as they were doing this a long time ago. Why don't we start doing it now? Because nobody's doing it anymore, you know. And then you start doing it, and then people go, you know, huh, you know, that, like that sort of thing, I guess. But uh, yeah, but I guess back to East Carolina, um, you know, because with the tangent, I guess. But um, yes, I I don't really know what's gonna happen because, like you said, the coaching staff was was. Uh, not, I mean, did they retain everybody, or was it just a clean? Oh, yeah, no, it's a new, it's a clean, yeah, as far as right. I know. I mean, I just, maybe there was a position coach that I missed, but as far as I know, uh, I say this much, I can tell you that the head coach and the coordinators are all new. That much I can tell you for a fact. <laughs> okay, yeah, because I, cause, you know, I, I heard about the firing, and I was kind of a little upset because I was kind of like, you know, he's a pretty good coach. Like, yeah, he had a down season, yep. but like. Yep. What do you expect when the quarterback you've had for a while, you know, is not there anymore? You know, which is yeah. and the, the guy who basically rewrote the record book for the most part. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it's like when Derek Carr left, and people were really excited about Fresno State, and I was just kind of like, we just lost Derek Carr. You know, like, what are you getting excited? <laughs> not to say like you shouldn't be excited about football. I mean, of course, but I was just sort of. You like, were talking yeah, to temper their enthusiasm. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, like you, you there's going to be some growing pains. There's going to, you're going to have to rebuild a little bit. And for whatever reason, it's like, unless you're successful every single year, which is not every program is like that, of course, but um, so, certain programs are just, I guess, a little hasty to pull the ax, I guess, at times. But yeah. Yeah. A lot of programs nowadays, Jim. I mean, I'd like to, you know, when you look back at the careers of the guys who were, you know, the legends, the Joe Paternos and the, the Frank Beamers, the guys who had 25, 30-year coaching, 30-plus year coaching years in one spot, they, they wouldn't happen because both those guys got the slow starts. And, you know, obviously they closed pretty well, but those first few years, they were both those guys at the end of year three were under 500. You know, and then, you know, it was year four they began to really turn it around. But, yeah. Um, 
there's man, there's some stuff. <laughs> there's been some uh but, but then um, again. Yeah, in terms of like this year though, all I can really say is Isaiah Jones. The reason why is because the guys that I liked had already graduated. You know, <laughs> Zeke Bigger gone. I like I actually like Zeke Bigger at linebacker. Uh, a little bit. I don't know where he is right now, but I I, I, I thought he was pretty decent. Um, and uh, they also lost uh, Bryce Williams at tight end, too, uh, who, in a very eh, tight end class, he stuck out a little bit, you know. Uh, yeah, right. So, well put. Yeah. Well, I'll just sort of delve in a little bit. As I mentioned, there's a quarterback battle between Bankert and and double transfer uh, by way of uh, both Minnesota and by there by way of Rutgers, uh, Philip Nelson. On defense, someone I'm hearing nothing but good things about coming up out of the spring is Ray Tillman, who may well win one of the two inside jobs because they're going to be a 314 as well. But two inside linebackers, I'm hearing he may win either the strong or weak inside linebacker position. Uh, others to sort of uh, – or things to look out for. As I mentioned, they have a couple of running backs, uh, Anthony Brown and Devin Anderson, who looks good. And Scotty Montgomery is – I don't know if the term running back whisperer would be the best way to put it, but he's done a really good job of developing running backs everywhere he's coached. I'll put it that way. And obviously now he's, you know, a head coach as opposed to a uh, assistant coach. But my guess is it will continue that – the running back position will will be well coached, whether he's doing it directly himself or not. Just as, you know, whenever we talk about Alabama, they always talk about how, you know, when when big games come up, Coach Saban sort of becomes a a DB's coach again. So it's interesting because, you know, Lincoln Riley at one point was sort of the odds-on favorite to one day be the coach there. He was the offensive coordinator when Shane Carden was, putting up all those super, super gaudy numbers. And obviously that didn't, you know, happen, uh, clearly. So now, you know, you have, you know, a slightly different situation, but still very similar in terms of how they like to get things done on offense. I guess that part has largely stayed the same. You know, that's the thing that they still are going to try to light you up, for lack of a better way of putting it. On offense, they're going to be one of the more aggressive offenses in any place, you know, in, in anywhere. In, uh, you know, however you want to put it or think about it, uh, they're going to be one of the more – they're going to go after it, basically. Uh, what else? Uh, oh, so, yeah, in terms of sort of getting an idea of, you know, where the, where this is could be heading or should be heading or what, what you can expect um, – one of the few African-American head coaches to be hired also, unfortunately, uh, in, in Scotty Montgomery. Judging from his work we've seen in the past, obviously, both uh, most recently at Duke, uh, we can expect them to uh, throw the ball both deep and and short. I mean, I think that we'll see. So it's totally depending on who wins the quarterback job. But assuming you have a guy who can push the ball down the field, that's something that, that we've seen places where Gotti Montgomery's coached before, they when they could get the ball 
push deep, they would do it. And then obviously, they would do a lot of work underneath as well. Um, another name to watch out for, another name to to uh, have on your I don't know, watch list or whatever term you want to use uh, if you are studying the, the Pirates this year. Uh, watch out for Trevin Brown, or maybe strong Trevon, uh, always, but T-R-E-V-O-N, however they pronounce it. Uh, I would watch out for him. He's another guy that I I have on my least list of guys to keep an eye on this year as East Carolina, you know, moves forward and starts to, like I said, I, I think we'll see still a very attacking offense. I guess the, the question is, how will you look on defense? Uh, they'll be becoming a 3-4 team, and becoming a 3-4 team on the fly doesn't always work well initially because, you know, once again, oh, you're horrible. playing with... Terrible. Yeah, right, okay. <laughs> yeah, you right, know, exactly. I mean, only only in the sense that what I think people have to understand is, is your responsibilities... Uh, it's a, new, a different mentality in terms of doing stuff. Uh, you don't necessarily have the personnel to do stuff uh, as well. I mean, there are many – we see a ton of these three, four teams now, Bill, as you know, where they have like six-foot-one, six-foot-two guys trying to be three, four defensive ends. It's not that they can't do the job, but they're not going to be really proficient at the job, you know, in terms of maintaining leverage and keeping linebackers clean and doing all other kind of stuff. And then, of course – your edge guys, you're trying to teach them to also be like a linebacker as well, and that's also kind of hard to to do in terms of getting guys that used to having their hand in the dirt to dropping back into coverage a little bit and, you know, doing more linebackery things, you know. As you know, Bill, when you start to put people farther away from the ball, you know, you have to learn more things, (laughs) which takes – time to do and I know it sounds it's like really that you're telling me that when you move a defensive end from the line back three yards that really changes things and go yeah it does you know mm-hmm. there's more stuff you got to know and you got to execute so um there's always that sort of pair you know transitional sort of stuff with the three four um you know, that, that they do, unless you just want to do, uh, unless you're just one of those defensive coordinators, which most are anyways, where you do multiple fronts. And I do understand that. I'm just saying base-wise, you know. Yeah, they are going to be a base 3 That much has been established as a fact. Uh, so of their two quarterbacks, um, once again, spring games are spring games. Take anything that you hear with, you know, several large chunks of salt. But Nelson – did look very good, uh, 13 of 24, 231 yards. Binkert was 12 of 25, 216 yards, a touchdown, including a 75-yarder to the aforementioned uh, Javon Brown. Uh, the running backs, uh, the aforementioned Mr. Scott uh, was probably the more impressive of the two. Anthony Scott had, I believe, something like 47 yards and a touchdown, if I'm it correctly. And Close on his heels, Devin Anderson had 46 yards and eight attempts, and Bickert himself had a touchdown run of six yards. Uh, the receivers, I mentioned Mr. Brown. Trevor Brown had uh, three catches for 95 yards, including the aforementioned 75-yard touchdown. Brandon Bishop had 92 yards in reception. 
Devon Grayson had 85 yards in receptions. Also, um, let's see, four receptions for Terrell Green and uh, one of the running backs, in fact. Um, so, they, as I said, look for Scotty. Anthony Scott uh, had 40, no, how many yards? He had, let me see, I think I got a decent number of yards for a second. Uh, yeah, 48, plus that. Uh, four catches of 48 yards. And of those receptions, eight of them for tw- were for 20 or more yards. So, you know, like I said, look for them to uh, push the ball down the field. Uh, the place kickers were all perfect. Uh, obviously, hard to, I mean, it's spring get pretty, it's hard to gauge what anybody's doing in spring, but especially since they don't do anything. I mean, they're not really live. So, yeah. But uh, they were perfect nonetheless, 28, 27-yard field goals, uh, perfect on extra points, uh, and PAT. You like that, perfect. All the kickers are perfect on PATs and field goals. Uh, the leading tackler was Dedrick Hawkins with eight tackles. Uh, Ray Tillman had six. And Damage Bailey also had six, including one tackle for loss. Uh, Sean Amos had a very nice-looking interception and returned it for 38 yards. So that was, you know, something to <laughs> ponder. So uh, once again, I don't know how much you stock you put in, like, MVPs or whatever that are handed out after spring, but the spring practice MVPs included the aforementioned Teron Brown, uh, Sean Amos on defense, special teams, Worth Gregory, most improved player was Garrick McGinn, most improved defensive player was Darius Kamisnong. Uh The Respect the Ball Award went to Philip Nelson, which I think had to do with avoiding turnovers. And on defense, the Respect the Ball Award, which I believe had to do with generating turnovers on defense throughout the spring, went to Corey Sargent. So there you have that, in case you're wondering, and you probably, I'm sure you were, who the superlatives were emerging from spring practice in East Carolina. So they have, you know, like I said, they have some talent. Uh, their running backs did look good. And like I said, they became more involved in the passing game than they had in the past. Uh, the only thing I guess I would say is that, as you might expect, with a even though the scheme isn't usually different, with the tweaking, you did see some issues sometimes with timing between the receivers and the quarterbacks. Um, that's why I believe the percentages weren't higher than they were. Yeah. Well, yes, you hope so. Well, yes, you hope so. I think East Carolina is probably about a seven-win team. And, you know, I know I sound like a broken record, but I believe defense will have a lot of, a lot to say about that. I, I think this defense, if it struggles mightily, which it might, being a team that's trying to convert to 3-4, they could easily, you know, I could be wrong, I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, I guess is that in a nutshell. But assuming that they avoid turnovers, which is, you know, huge for every team, and we talked about that before, if their running game improves, and I believe it will, their passing game continues to be very good, and I believe it will, this should be a pretty good offense. I believe, like I said, the challenges, the biggest of challenges will be the changeover on defense and, you know, finding the other, basically the other two playmakers on offense to complement the aforementioned Mr. Jones. And it looks like they possibly may have found those guys, so we'll see. And that brings us to, and I have to keep reminding myself that this team is in this conference. Uh, Here's in Connecticut, which has sort of wandered around college football since it's been elevated to the FBS level, having been in the Big East and 
I can't remember if they were in Conference USA as well. Maybe not. They might have just been in, in the Big East. I might be exaggerating. But they they found themselves, you know, however however they have, now in uh, the AAC. And some people thought they would step in and immediately, you know, be one of the more powerful teams. That has not really played out. They have not been a super difficult Dominant, uh, problematic team—at least not so far. They've been hard to watch, you know. Yeah, right. That's probably a good way to put it. Then, you know, like I feel so bad. I remember one game they were blowing out, and uh, well, not blowing out, but you know they were losing pretty poorly, and there were people in the stands freezing, and I was like, "Wow, this is that's got to be pretty hard," you know. Dedication. you know, to to deal with that kind of stuff, but uh, yeah, they, well, they've been very difficult to watch, and they did have an early success. I mean, it wasn't that long ago when nope, uh, you know, the defense ago. was decent, and you know, the offense was. Espo was a better. coach on the rise. They were talking about yeah. how they might have to they might have to worry about fending off, you know, other schools. Trying to you know pry them away and all that good stuff. I mean, it was a yeah. I mean, they were a team that I think they had a nine win season at one point. If they were chosen correctly, so yeah, things changed. Now the good news is that recruitment. The last two seasons, they've had a couple of their best recruiting classes in recent memory. Uh, Bob Diaco is another sort of. Uh, this is going to sound familiar to you, but another coach that supposedly is on the rise, and you know, people are circling around. Uh, for me, the first thing is their quarterback play. Their quarterback play has just been flat. He's a hard to watch. I mean, I'm trying to think of a team that has had less impressive quarterback play consistently for the last five-plus years. It's difficult to think of a team that's had more consistently unimpressive quarterback play for for a sustained period of time. There's probably some. I'm sure there are some. Wisconsin. There's not many. Oh, yeah, Wisconsin, yeah. But, I mean, still, even at Wisconsin, I'd give Wisconsin probably the slight still edge of what I've seen. Still the edge. I mean, I, I, will, I will say that. Um, yeah, it, the quarterback, yeah, not good. Well, <laughs> this is this is it. Uh, Bryant Sheriffs, if, if indeed he is the starter, this is the year he needs to break through and – and be good, I guess, is what I'm looking for. Uh, the good news, you're looking for good news, is that they didn't have a lot of turnover uh, in terms of players or coaches, frankly. I mean, for the most part. Uh, they had the same coach, the same offensive coordinator, same starting quarterback for the first time consecutively. And the first time it's been true that the, all three of them back since 2010 was the last time you could say that they had all three of those things in place both this year and last year. And in the spring game, he was 9 of 12 for 95 yards and 38 yards rushing, which, you know, once again, you know, quarterback rushes in, in spring games, you must once again take with several large pieces of salt since you can't really touch the quarterback. And Ron Johnson, uh, who got off to a good start last year and then tailed, tailed off, quite frankly, but got off to a good start and looked good. Um, Arkeel Newsom as well, has looked impressive in spring. So 
they're going to be a team that's going to want to run the football, obviously, for some of the aforementioned reasons regarding quarterback play. But even with that, they need to, to get more out of their quarterback than they've gotten recently. And Mr. Johnson, Ron Johnson, did bust a 63-yarder in their spring game and had 91 yards on nine carries, including, and added to that, had 24 yards in receptions. So he's been, he says the coaching has helped him. Uh, he's feeling more confident. Frank Perducci, his position coaches, helped to bring him along. I mean, um, uh, offensive coordinator, sorry, he's helped to bring him along. And they have Tarek Beals, Frank Battle, Hergie Malaya, Aaron McLean, and Brian Coney will be sort of the guys in the depth chart battling for, for space at the wide receiver position, the offensive line. Has one really young guy who's expected to, to start, but not only start, but has won the left tackle job in uh, Neil Pert, who is just, like I said, a Richard freshman. Uh, Chris Britton is expected to lead the defense, or be one of the leaders on defense. And Rich Levy, who was their left tackle last year, has been kicked inside to right guard. Uh, Andreas Knapp, Tommy Hopkins, and Ryan Crozier will make out the rest of the offensive line, which needs to be one of the strengths of the team. Uh, if it isn't, they're in trouble, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and their offensive line was bad. Yeah, well, it, it's supposedly better. They, they, Like I said, the recruiting of the past two seasons is supposed to bear fruit this year including, like I said, this impressive young left tackle, Neil, Neil Park. Uh, Cam Stapleton has had a really good spring as well. Uh, he had two sacks and three tackles for loss in the spring game alone. Uh, Anthony Newsom uh, has flashed as well. Bobby Payal and Jason Thompson also had some, some good play on, on, uh, on offense. On defense, Javon Hadley has impressed. Uh, Trey Bell and he both had interceptions in the spring game. Jalen Stevens, uh, let me see, yes, also had one. And Dallas Parker had two sacks in the uh, spring game. And Sean Mary, oh. Mary, almost said Merriman. Sean Marinan uh, had three tackles for loss. Oh. So yeah, they've got some, you know, some stuff. I would like. Here's the thing. Yes. Poor team. I like a lot, not a lot, but a lot more players than I thought I would coming in this year. Exactly. Um, that's, 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 I think, a good way to put it. Uh, I mean, like, our, our Keel Newsom is actually a fairly decent running back. Uh, yeah. He catches the ball pretty well. Um, despite the fact the offensive line was bad, <laughs> he's able yes. to do his thing. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> Thomas, at wide receiver, is not too shabby. Uh, they have a defensive tackle there, uh, and uh, I, his name is really, I think, uh, Fatukasi. Yeah, oh, something along those lines, yes. Number 93, uh, he, he's kind of a big guy uh, at, at times to use his hands. Uh, kind of flashes the ability to, to use his hands really well and uh, get in the backfield um, and take double teams. Just uh, conditioning is kind of the biggest thing to me at least in terms of sometimes it gets kind of worn down in games uh and they also have a safety there too at ob uh another guy with the name that's <laughs> kind of uh make fun woo or ob1 connecticut i guess uh <laughs> there you go we but but he's uh but i i like him I, he has good hands um 
Uh, he looks playing the ball really well. Tackles okay. Uh, looks relatively athletic. Something that you don't always say about safeties for whatever reason. But um, I mean, you know, as you know, Bill, it just seems to be like put all the put all the trash TVs at safety, which is kind of really dumb. <laughs> Some people do that. Not everybody. Uh, but yeah, I mean they. This is like the first year Connecticut has had guys that I'm like, yeah, I like that guy, I like that guy, I like that guy, I like that guy. Uh, they're not all the way there though, uh, I guess. So this will definitely be a big year uh, for for that. But um, yeah, I like the running back. I like one of the wide receivers. I like the tackle, and I like yeah, you know, their safety. So, all underrated guys, I would say, because they're playing Connecticut. Yes. So they're automatic. That team is loaded with underrated guys. Yeah. Yep. Uh, that is, I think that's going to describe um, a lot of things at that program right now. But yeah, um, I'm, I'm in, I'm in agreement that there's, I mean, the good news, and like I said, is like I said, the talent level is on the way up. If you're looking for things to to get happy or excited or whatever about, the um, the talent level is going in the the right direction. <laughs> oh, and then also, um, uh, I guess Javon Williams. I assume the H is silent at cornerback. I think I think also, that's correct. Yes. He's also, he's also another guy because I was just kind of refreshing my memories. Yeah, I mean, they have a lot of, surprisingly, they have a lot of, considering what we've, what we've been through collectively as a, as a draft society at Connecticut, uh, they, have a, they have a lot of different guys. But yeah, quarterback is one of those things that, you know, not to say they could pull Alabama, and I hate to use the sort of like, well, he, you know, Bob Bianco was at Alabama, and then he did but they could – I mean, if, if the guys that are there now in terms of the quarterbacks, the secondary, the defensive tackles, all those guys, if they can get a strong enough defense and have Newsom at running back carry the team to a certain extent, offensively speaking, this might be surprised team maybe, you know, throw a little hype there, I guess, on Connecticut possibly this year, you know. You never know. Yes. I my I don't know if it's a crazy prediction, but I guess it's it's not under that bowl, but I think it's a five hundred team this year. You know, I think they they have a, a legitimate shot to be a five hundred team. I wouldn't disagree. And I, and honestly they might even have a shot at a bowl game, maybe. Maybe Ooh. Yeah. Hey, I'm just saying uh, it's one of those teams where I like a lot of a lot of guys more than I thought I would. You know, yes. and and another year to improve, and like you said, offensive line. Which that's actually the biggest thing. If if the offensive line can play better than what they did, which is the quarterback having to deal with at least two guys coming right at them every single snap, they can improve that. Uh, then yeah, that that you know it'll bear fruit. If they can improve that, then yeah. 500 is probably best scenario, but, but yeah, we'll see. 
know. I'm kind of happy that they're better, though, because I, I never like programs that are, you know, struggle a ton, you know. So I'm, I'm kind of happy they're kind of on the way up a little bit. Yeah. At least I hope so. Yes, correct. Um, that brings me to Southern Methodist. Speaking of hot coordinators landing jobs and mm-hmm. the things that happen. Uh, so uh, with much fanfare, Chad Morris returned to his roots in Texas where he'd been a successful high school coach and uh, did not exactly hit the ground running, but he sure hit the ground. Uh, they did not have a great season going 2-10. and 10. I guess if you're looking for a silver lining, it, they went 1-11 the year, year before, so they doubled their win total. Uh, Joe Craddock runs the offense, and Van Malone is manning the defense as coordinator. And they had an eight-game losing streak at one point in the season. So yep. there's some tough stuff Fun there. To the watch, good news, though. yes, but the good news if, um, is that Matt Jones, not Matt Jones, sorry, Matt Davis, good God, sorry. Uh, Matt Jones, yeah, did it again. Matt Davis, thank you. Matt Davis is a fun-to-watch dual-threat quarterback. Uh, it's Xavier Jones. I keep combining it into matchup. Uh, Xavier Jones uh, is an, was an impact freshman last year with 634 yards and 10 TDs. Uh, they had Braden West chip in with another 468 yards. There are times, I mean, it doesn't look like Clemson, but there's certainly times when they were able to, to get something that's done. But the, the term that he used to describe their offense is power spread. That was the offense he brought with him from Clemson, mm-hmm. uh, they had the spread part down. The power part, not so much. Not so, so much. Not so but much. they do have wide receivers, though. Cortland Sutton, baby. Yes, he's on my all-emerging Cortland team. Cortland Sutton is, is another way to say it, amazing. Like, <laughs> yep. he's, he's big, he's strong. Fast, strong. He the ball. If you, you if you went to the University of Mississippi, people be talking about him getting first round hype because he went to UMass, Ole Miss. I know. And here's the other thing, he's you know a redshirt like sophomore. You know, like yep. he's not even draft eligible yet. He was. I mean, that whole I think it was the Baylor game was the first game that I could remember uh, just catching him, uh, and it was really fun to watch in terms of like a dual threat quarterback and. It was very Clemson, Clemson, Clemson-y, you know, in terms of the offense and big plays and and wide receivers that can uh, that, that can do really cool things. Like it's, I don't know, I'm excited to see what happens this year. Like you know, at, at the very least, I mean, defensively not so much, but on offense, I I I mean, they got something there, you know, that could be really. Yeah. Really cool, you know, this year uh, with, with Sutton and Matt Davis. Just, just those two guys in particular. Uh, so, but yeah. Yep. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. He's good stuff. Um, I I don't know any way to put it. He's he's good stuff. Uh, he probably will play at least one more year because, as we pointed out, he's you know he's at SMU. Uh, on defense, he's on defense. Um, we we will probably have to mention that they got two new uh, defensive backs that were wide receivers last year. One of them is somebody by the name of Deion Sanders Jr. 
And Cedric Lancaster also made the switch uh, to corner. So they got a sort of an infusion of talent, I guess you could say, through somewhat unusual means and by moving those guys over from the offensive side to the defensive side. And Deion Sanders Jr., you know, obviously, you know, not his father, but he's very quick and very fast, undersized, not super strong. Very short. You can, he is very small, yes. He's short and, and short. he's very short. He's I don't know what happened. Dion yeah. probably should have picked a taller woman, maybe. But yes, um, perhaps. Yes, Pilar yeah, is perhaps. gorgeous, but not very tall. She's like five foot two. So yeah. So yes, uh, he Dion is five eleven and change, and his son is, you know, like five seven and a quarter or something. So yeah, I might be slightly taller than Dion Jr. But in fact, but not much. Uh, De- Delonte and Michael Scott. Our guys that finished the year um, well, you know, sort of rounded into form as the year went on. Other guys to look out for on defense include, um, let me see, uh, Justin Lawler and Jarvis Pruitt, and the nose will be manned by Mason Gentry, who certainly struggled at times but has some talent. The linebacker core uh, is replacing Caleb Tuyasopo and Jonathan Yenga. Uh, no offense to those two. They're not exactly irreplaceable. Redshirt freshman Kyron Mitchell has looked good in spring, but uh, last year uh, got hurt and was one of the leading tacklers at the time he got hurt at 40 tackles uh, in seven, slightly over seven games. It was early in game eight when he got hurt. Uh, R.C. Cox plays the quote-unquote star position, which is a hybrid safety linebacker. You know, the Sky Moore, the, uh, you know. Edge safety. Yes, edge safety, exactly. Position. Um, so, yeah, you can look out for him. Uh, in terms of special teams, they have Braden West, who is a terrific return man. Um, had an 80-yard touchdown, 23.5 yards of return. James Proche is, uh, perhaps might be the punt returner. And Josh Williams is also the dick. So there's a sort of a three-man uh, crew vying for those two spots. And I imagine Braden West will still handle at least one of the even probably looks like he'd stay on kickoff so I guess it's a battle between James Proch and Josh Williams for uh, punt return and I, I don't think this is a bowl eligible kind of team yet but I think they're going to be better than you know one two or even three wins I, I think this is probably maybe a four possibly five win team uh, and as we've mentioned before, I, I definitely feel like a broken record, but the development of their defense is going to be everything. If they can be even an average defensive team, and I don't mean average for NFL, for, for um, you know, SEC or for college football, I mean, but right, average right. for the conference that they're well, They'd be average yeah. for the conference, right. If they have a shot at four or five, and you know, you know it's not impossible they can win more, but this to me looks like a four or five win team. Oh yeah, and I think Lawler will have a lot to do with that, you know, as well. Uh, if you know if he can uh, improve a little bit defensively, you know, get getting pass rush and that sort of stuff, um, and maybe the infusion of Sanders at cornerback might do something, might not. Who knows? But. Um, yeah, but at least to me, I mean, I I mostly just care about what's on offense. <laughs> but 
I mean, yeah, average. If they're at least average, I mean, that'll give them a leg up in that conference most definitely. And that brings us to the University of South Florida, which at one time was the standard bearer of the conference. And I believe, if memory says it correctly, they had broken into the top ten, maybe in the top five. I can't remember if they got that high, but I know they were ranked in the top ten for a while at one point. At the height of the Jim Levitt era with Matt Grothy and Mike Jenkins and uh, JPP and George Selfie, Selfie, uh, and I'm forgetting somebody. Oh, that's uh, a linebacker. They have a linebacker on that team who's playing in the NFL now. Uh, Barrington, something Barrington. Sam? Uh-oh. Sam Barrington? Oh, Sam yeah. Barrington. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, not to confuse the errors, I'm, I'm more familiar with the D.D. Lattimore, Aaron Lynch era than the selfie era. Yeah. Right. And right. JPT Jason and Pierre Paul. And, yeah. Right. And that era, that era was good, but they weren't ranked in the top ten. Uh, the, I mean, that was rarefied air, truly, because Southwood's program isn't that old. Uh, Jim Levitt, who invented, I mean, he was the first head coach in the issue of the program. He took the job. They didn't have a practice field. They didn't have a place to play when he took the job. <laughs> uh, you know, so he, he took the job very much sight unseen. It was a real leap of faith when Jim Levitt accepted the job. Uh, a linebacker coach by trade, and I think he's a linebacker coach again now today, if memory serves correctly. But a terrific linebacker coach, uh, who, you know, they took a chance on him, he took a chance on them, and he built a winner. And unfortunately, uh, you know, some things happened in terms of you know player mistreatment or however you want to put it, and he ended up being shown the door. But uh, nonetheless, he built a program and a program that. Oh, sorry. Before we move on from. I should have mentioned this before with UConn. UConn has at least one player that I believe will be drafted and possibly two. You mentioned Obi uh, Melifonu, and I guess, did you mention Jamar Summers as well? Uh, who? Jamar Summers, when we talked no, about UConn. No, no, I, 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 I think I, was, uh, I mentioned Williams, right. Newsom, uh, Noel Thomas, the OB one safety and yes, exactly. yes. Uh, well, Fatu C or Fatu Kisi, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Well, yeah. I just wanted to mention, and this is one of those feel old moments for me. Anthony Poindexter, uh, former University of Virginia defensive back, who I saw play in person and scouted back when my friend Daryl Medley was on the team and they had the Mike Groh at quarterback and they had uh, uh, one of the Farrier brothers, James, I think it was. Uh, yeah, it was James, I believe. I believe it was which Farrier brother it was. I think one of the Sharper brothers was on the team too. Um, not Darren, but uh, God, his brother. <laughs> uh, whatever, Jerry, I get Jerry, Jamie? Jamie Sharper. Yeah, Jamie Sharper. And that team was loaded, man. Um, I'm trying to remember who else was on that team. I'm leaving someone out. But they had at least another, at least one other pro on that team. Oh, um, Patrick Kearney was on that team. That team was loaded, man. That was a terrific. They won the Peach Bowl that year. That was a terrific Virginia team. But, yes, uh, Point Dexter was drafted, I think, in the second round. He was drafted pretty early. Uh, did not have a great pro career, but he was a terrific collegiate. And, like I said, in a feel-old moment, he used to be as a coordinator at UConn. And watch for their secondary players to all improve. He's a terrific coach. 
But yes, uh, getting back to uh, the team we're about to say, South Florida, they have one of the better running backs in the country, who no one ever seems to talk about, and Marlon Mack, a member of my Marlon Mack. Under, yep, member of my all underappreciated team. Uh, he had 1,041 yards and nine scores in his true freshman year, and then followed that up with 1,381 yards and eight touchdowns last year. Behind, I won't say it's a poor offensive line, but it's not. Think it's not a terrific offensive line. I'll put it that. Way. No. So, there's there's some. I mean, they have a tackle there that you know everybody makes fun of the Penn State left tackle. You know. Um, yeah. He he. There's a tackle in South Florida that's right up there with that guy in terms of just kind Getting of off. really yeah. bad. Yeah. 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 I, I South Florida has done a good job in the past uh, of attracting talent, but the one thing they never seem to do a great job. They never seem to have a, any truly great offensive line talent. They had really good defensive line talent. They, they had players drafted in the last few years at every position I could think of, with exception. I'm sure they've ever had a offensive tackle drafted in the history of their program. If they have, I've forgotten it. But they've had running backs drafted. They've had wide receivers drafted. They've had several defensive backs drafted, several defensive ends, a couple of linebackers. Uh, I don't think they've ever had a tight end drafted. They've had some tight ends stick on NFL rosters uh, who were undrafted. But, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's a younger program, so you can substitute. Sometimes they, you know, he could remember everybody who's ever been drafted in their entire history, and I might remember every player who's ever been drafted in the history of their program, but I don't think any of the players drafted ever in the history of that program have been offensive tackles. And if I'm wrong, you know, I'll reach out to Mark Chisholm. He can correct me. But I believe that is correct. So this this team needs to clearly uh, be better, I guess, <laughs> at, on the offensive line. But even without their offensive line being great, they have a fascinating young quarterback who, uh, you know, like so many young quarterbacks, makes, you know, young quarterback mistakes, but it's fun to watch. Uh, They've got some receivers. They have, like I said, one of the better running backs in the country. They have some talent on defense. Yeah. Uh, You know, Dietrich Nichols, a cornerback, he's pretty – Yep. He's done some, uh, at least in terms of, like, interceptions and stuff like that, big plays. Uh, right. Aggie Sanchez is, how do I put this? He's one of the linebackers that I like, but I know that if I tell people I like them, they might think of me differently because I like them, I guess. I don't know. Because he, he's, He's 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 I don't know, he's just one of those players who are like I like him and then people go you know oh you love him he's terrible I'm like I'm not I'm not the season to say he's not the most talented guy ever but he you know he's a pretty tough guy and he can tackle you know do his thing so um is how, how I would put it and yeah, it's possible to like a player and be aware of his shortcomings simultaneously is what I try to remind right. people yeah, I can exactly. I can do both I can do yeah, uh, and then of course Roddy Adams, the wide receiver, is also um, kind of an interesting guy coming in this year. At least to me, um, kind of a big guy can run relatively, you know, not not like fast, fast, but he's fast for his size, a lot faster than you think. That's how I put it. 
Well, this this is a big year for for Coach Taggart, who came in. You know, I mean, he's a native to the area, a legend from Manatee High School. Comes into the area, struggles initially, but you know that was last year was a big year, and if they can continue at that level, you know, big things might be coming for them. Because once again, in terms of location, I mean, they're one of the great locations. I mean, along with say Miami and the two, you know, LA schools out west. It's hard to think of schools that are, have much better physical locations to snap up football players. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of talent that comes from that part of Florida, and when they win, uh, it's it's not. I mean, it's, it's not as easy a sell because they're in the AAC, but it's not a super tough sell. Like, would you rather if you're if the other choice the other choices are other AAC schools? You know what I'm saying? If that's the other choice. Like, right. if, only, if your other choices are other conferences, then yeah. But if it's your other choices are, you know, hey, UCF or, you know, oh, you, yeah, sure. Yeah, would you the rather field gets, na- yeah, it gets, the, the field gets narrowed. You know, the <laughs> South Florida has the sort of, the people that are from Florida, they get uh, homesick, you know, as a reference to Aaron Lynch. Uh, for example, you know, guys from Florida go to a new place, they don't fit in for whatever reason, and they're like, I want to go back to Florida. You know, then uh, South Florida is one of those places that is competitive and is also still in the state of Florida. You know, if that if that makes any sense. Like, it's not the worst place you could play in Florida, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. But, yeah. Uh, and the Bulls went eight and five, right? So that was a breakthrough year, and they need to, like I said, continue on in that vein. Quentin Flowers, as I was just mentioning previously, was extremely dynamic. And when he didn't make mistakes, I mean, every time, every, basically, any time, and we talk about you know turnovers, but even beyond turnovers, we didn't make other coffee mistakes. Even beyond turnovers, this team was in every pretty much every game they played. And he, at times, was spectacular. He had 3,287 uh, total yards, 34 touchdowns, 991 of those uh, rushing. And Asante Willard is one of the few four-star <laughs> recruits in the history. I mean, they've had a couple, but, uh, and you know, Lynch was a transfer, and I guess similar situation here, uh, Willard is a, a four-star and came via transfer formerly from, of UCLA, will be backing up uh, Mac. So infusion of talent at the quarterback position. Rodney Adams, who had a really good year last year, is one of those guys who I think, you know, he's on my own appreciated team. And uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling is an NC State transfer who apparently just has been tearing it up this spring. So, yeah, it just comes down to their line for me on offense and on defense, which used to be something they they hung their hat on. Uh, they're running the 4-2-5, and Tom Allen has uh, uh, left, obviously, to, to take the job at Indiana, but Raymond Woody, who was their linebacker's coach, as he said, he's going to change absolutely nothing, for lack of a better way of putting it. So they're going to try to keep things essentially the same. This is a team that was 13th in the nation in generating tackles for loss, 14th in generating interceptions, 24th in uh, total turnovers gained. And as you mentioned, Augie Sanchez returns, Nigel Harris returns, uh, Dietrich Nichols, as you mentioned, 
and Devon Abraham, Ronnie Huggins. I mean, they've got or Hoggins, I guess is actually how it's pronounced, are all really good players. Uh, Matthias Chiavati and Brent Gordon uh, will be battling, I guess, Emilio Nadelman, who uh, had some struggles last year as a uh, play sticker. So Brent Gordon and, uh, and Nadelman will be battling it out a little bit. We'll see what happens with that. Tajay Fullwood uh, had a really good year returning punts. as expected to be one of the best return, punt returns in the nation. We'll see what happens in terms of that. This is, like I said, an 8-5 team with 14 starters returning. Second year in the system for, I mean, they have uh same head coach, but they've had a few changes in the staff. I think this will be... I think the staff will be exactly the same with exception of the uh, loss of a D coordinator. So they had one loss from their defensive staff, but they've replaced him with a guy who was on his staff last year. So the assumption is that they'll have something like continuity. This could be a team with the potential to win nine games. Yeah. I think somewhere we, you know, nine, nine is doable. <laughs> uh, seven is also doable. I mean, they could, they could step back, but I, I think this is probably about a, a, a nine win season uh, in the offing. Uh, the same, unfortunately, cannot be said for Tulane. Uh, Willie Fritz, super, super courageous man, Willie Fritz. I mean, I want to buy that, that man a drink, perhaps several. Uh, he leaves Georgia Southern where he was building maybe a monstrous, just on the word, but a, a winner, uh, and then goes to take over Tulane where the last time Tulane was really good. Um, like, really, really good. I, the last time I can remember Tulane being really, really good was when Rich Rodriguez was their uh, offensive coordinator, and that was a little while ago. So, yeah, the Sean King um, era Tulane squad was really good. And, you know, that was obviously a little, like, a little while ago. The good news is that you are in the state of Louisiana where there's a lot of football talent. Um, the bad news is that none of them want to go to Tulane, at least in the past. Uh, that has been the case. And if Willie Fritz can somehow crack it, because that's been the thing that essentially nobody's done. All the coaches they've had, you know, trundled through usually with one or two years. Well, two years. I guess the average is about two years. Uh, you know, if you make it to a third year, you've done something at Tulane. But the problem is you just can't get players. I mean, you can't get the players you want. Or even the players that you, you know, that you, I mean, you're not getting your second choices. You know, you're not getting, well, you're not getting the guys you really want. You're not getting the guys that you thought you were going to settle for. You're getting, those guys are saying no. So now you're getting the guys who were the second choice to your second choice. And yep. Hard, hard to win with those guys. And some of them know that they're the second choice. <laughs> right. You know, like they've accepted uh, that as their lot in life. I'm the second choice. Yeah. So, <laughs> instead of yeah. instead of being instead of having the mentality of, well, I'm a great player. They just didn't believe in me. They I'll have the mentality them. of, I'm the second choice. Right. You know. I'm okay right. with getting by. Right. You know. So, Willie Fritch arrives in town, bringing uh, Doug Roots to run the offense. Jack Curtis, 
I keep wanting to call him Cactus Jack, uh, but Jack Curry needs to run his, uh, his defense. And this, I'll start with defense. This is a team that gave up uh, 36.4 or something like that points per game, some, a lot. Uh, somewhere in the hundreds. They were in the hundreds in, in defense last year. Uh, they were a terrific running team. I mean, not this school, but where Fritz came from. So the assumption that everyone's making is that really Fritz is going to turn them into a much better running team than they were in the past. And the good news, also, the other piece of good news is that they do have running back. Uh, Donsel Hilliard is a guy that, you know, he's a he's a reserve on my all-emerging team, but he's a, you know, he made it. Uh, Sherman Batty is really talented, despite some of an unfortunate name. Uh, yeah. Lazedrick Thompson, or Zedrick, I guess it is, Zedrick Thompson and Josh Brown are talented enough that if they had to step in and play, they would not be able, they would not be allowed to drop off. Tanner Lee, who transferred to Nebraska, uh, leaves a nice little hole at quarterback. They had a, you know, they were sort of building something at quarterback for since they transferred. So now, um, Ben Silvette and Darius Bradwell are battling it out. Uh, the bad news is that neither one's much of a passer. So they're definitely going to be pretty run-oriented. And their best receiver also transferred. So there's that. Uh, Teddy Veal has gone off to Louisiana Tech. And Devin Bro, who's their most talented, yeah, Devin Bro, their most talented wide receiver, is going to stay at the school, but is no longer playing football. He's countering on track and field. So, yeah. Karen Incalde, Incalade, sorry, Karen Incalade and uh, a converted tight end, Trey Scott, and Larry Dace will be the guys sort of battling for the top of the depth chart at wide receiver. Hmm. That doesn't sound too good. Oh, hello? Are you there, Bill? Uh, Bill, are you still there? Hello? So, yeah, Tulane, um, I mean, it could just be one player, one recruit, one something uh, that allows you to break through. But they haven't had that one something happen yet. I mean, they've had good players in the past. Obviously, Matt Forte and others have come through. And, you know, Tulane has never been able to put together more than one great player at one time. (laughs) So, in recent memory, uh, they when they've had the manager have one great player, it's been in stark relief. You know, I mean, only in Darkwa even was 
clearly by far the best player on that team, and it was hard to even think of who was second uh, when he was there. So that's been a challenge for, well, everyone um, that's coached there ever, pretty much, at least in the last 40-some years. And like I said, they had a nice run. Uh, Coach Bowden and, and, like I said, Rodriguez, Richard Rodriguez, a D coordinator. I mean, that was – they went undefeated. I mean, so, yeah, there was that. Uh, and then, unfortunately, you know, that didn't really count for anything. But but they were undefeated, and there was that. And it's in the record books. But since then, uh, since Coach Bowden sort of left in shame with a little, you know, stuff, surrounding, sort of trailing in behind, uh, and obviously Rodriguez, didn't stick around to become a head coach with other places, uh, chose instead to be a coordinator someplace else and then become a head coach, obviously first at West Virginia. But Tulane, I mean, there's certain things in place. They, it's a renowned educational institution. It's located in a great physical location for a school. Yep. To, you know, so they've got that working for them. Uh, Nico Marley, who, of course, is, I guess, the last of the – or next of the Marleys and Mike. The other Marley is a very much undersized linebacker, but I guess unlike the other tiny Marley linebackers, nowadays they may not frown on being a 5'9", 208-pound linebacker as much as they used to uh, Whoa. back when. Hold on. Hold on a second here. They may not frown upon it if you're at a major <laughs> FBS school. If you happen to go to Tulane – they will frown upon it. But that's just me. I, I don't know who makes the rules. Like, like, for whatever reason, Bill, I don't know why. Well, I do know why. But the, there seems to be – it's okay for all the linebackers to be 230 pounds or 225 pounds or 220 pounds, for crying out loud, if they play in the SEC or if they play – you know, at one of those places, but if it's a Tulane, now they have a weight problem. <laughs> you know, right, 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 right. It doesn't make sense well, to me, but that—that's all I would say. Is they shouldn't well, have I, an issue with it. They really shouldn't, because if you're going to draft this guy and this guy, they're like 220 pounds playing the linebacker position or the will linebacker position. Uh, you shouldn't have an issue, but for I don't know, I, I do know it's. The hypocrisy of where you play, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Will probably hurt them, even though they shouldn't care, considering, you know, the other stuff. But but anyway, I mean, Nico Marley's a good linebacker. He definitely is a little undersized, but um, he, he if if that's where we're going, the undersized linebacker world of the NFL now you know, then he would fit right in, actually. Well, and he that's must the have been as his father, who started at Miami, no less, right? Played on a defense with guys like Warren Sapp, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. yeah. But, yes, he is smaller. Uh, other players on defense who are something worth watching. A guy who's in my second team all underappreciated is Sanzel Smart who playing D-tackle last year, had 62 tackles, winning 15 tackles for loss. Uh, Ari Aruna is a guy that I'm expecting sort of breakthrough a little bit this year. And then Sean Wilson ends at Washington will be other guys. 
will basically be depths. Um, but, you know, we'll give you some snaps. Perry Nickerson, who had a really good freshman year, did not have much of a sophomore year. I'm expecting him to bounce back. Leonard Davis was suspended all last year. He's returning at safety. Uh, the other safety will probably be Darian Monroe. Gerard Franklin, who had previously been a safety, will be their nickel and or third safety, whatever. They're 425, so, yeah, there's others. Third safety. They've had some woes at the punter position. Uh, so Zachary Block may or may not hold on to his job. Uh, Andrew DeRocco did bounce back from a rush freshman year and was 9 of 10 last year, but he's only about 42 or so. I mean, he's good, but he doesn't have a big leg. So if it's more than about a 42 yarder, they might not be able to depend on him. And they were not good in the return game. Uh, 115th in the nation, the punt return max, the longest punt return last year was 15 yards. The longest kickoff return they had last year was 36. So not a lot of explosiveness in the return game. Um, and unfortunately, like I said, Delvin Bro, who is by far the fastest player on the team, uh, is now track only. So unless they can somehow talk him out of it, uh, they don't wow. have a lot of team speed. He's making decisions. You know. I yeah, that I did not realize that. That's pretty bad. <laughs> yes. They should put Sherman Beatty back there. Have they tried that? Putting Sherman Beatty in I don't I don't think China? they have, but it might be worth trying. I might I might try it. I mean you would think almost by accident somebody'd have a more than fifty yard butter if you just had enough you know, chances, you know, somebody would miss an assignment or trip or two guys run into each other or something, and you would get more than 15 yards as a punt return. But uh, not, that was not the case. That's pretty sad, yeah. <laughs> I mean, geez. That's one of those mind-blowing stat kind of deals. But, no, they did not have a punt return of over 15 yards at any point last year. You know, I, I mean, I, I was on a lot of punt coverage. I don't return many punts. I think my entire punt return uh, career amounted to two punt returns. But I've done a lot of punt coverage. And there's a lot of things that can go wrong. Like I said, it's all it takes is you know, somebody making one mistake. You would think you'd be able to get more than 15 yards at some point. But no. So that's, that sort of explains Tulane in a nutshell. If you want to think of like you want to encapsulate Tulane in one stat, that might be the stat to go with. Yes, we we never managed to break the 15-yard barrier in punt returns. Wow. I'd give up football on due track if I knew that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so moving on. Uh, so the uh, AEC... Speaking of, you know, patriotism, of course, has the um, midshipmen of the Naval Academy, and it's always talk, hard to talk about pro prospects. Even when they have really good players, there's obviously... Oh, hello? Uh, Bill, are you still there? 
uh, I think you might have muted yourself or your phone died or something. There might be some technical difficulties. Sorry about that. But yeah, so the oh. thing that the Naval Academy uh as a program faces some challenges simply because, you know, you it's a life choice. You know, it's it's more it's not just yep. an education, it's not just sports. Uh they may at some point ask you to you know, go be on a nuclear submarine or be a yep. fire control officer on a missile cruiser or be a surface warfare officer or command a platoon of Marines, you know, so you've got or to become a chef on a, you know, or, or cook maybe, you know, on a, well, on a boat. Not, you won't be cooking. You might be overseeing mess operations, okay. but remember you're going into a management position when you leave the Naval Academy. You're not okay. an enlisted man. You're an officer. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I always sort of, yeah, exactly. You know, because you graduated, you know, so you. Right. And, I mean, the whole point of going to the Naval Academy is they're training you to lead. That's kind exactly. of the whole point. Kind of the whole point of the whole deal. Why we have the Naval Academy is to prepare these people to move into junior leadership positions, at least junior at first, in the in the military. That's the purpose of the Naval Academy. So if you're a really, really good player, say Jameer Tillman, right? Size, decent speed, hands, good route runner, and productive despite, you know, I mean, he managed to have 93 yards on only 49 uh, touches last year. Right. The, the, you know, the, the issue that hits you at some point do you transfer, you know, or do you honor your commitment? And thus far, it looks like he's honoring his commitment, which Keenan Reynolds also did. Now, Keenan Reynolds was in a slightly different situation, though he was a terrific option quarterback. He's a terrific option quarterback. I mean, like, like that's sort of, you know, what exactly he, when it's, you're uh, yeah. right. Yeah, it, it's it's just one of those things where like he's really good at what he does. The NFL doesn't run triple option attacks. Right. And, there's like that's, and even if you want to transfer in college, there's only a handful of places to go. That would even accept them, you know, like Georgia Tech maybe. Right, you know, right. He could step right into Georgia, Georgia Tech Southern. and a few other places, right, and yeah. be fine. Right, but there's, you know, 
New Mexico or whatever, but there's a handful, you know, six or something out of 128, something like that at the FBS level, I think, are full-time triple option teams. But the point is that as exciting as he was with the 88 touchdowns, you know, and the, all the other stuff, the NFL was cautiously appreciative, I think is the term I might use, of the accomplishments of one Keenan Reynolds. Now, Jameer Tillman might be a different deal because he looks like an NFL wide receiver. Despite playing and people talk about, you know, only running a handful of routes. I mean, he's usually a blocker. You know, he's blocking, you know, 80, probably 85% of the snaps. So that makes his production even more impressive. This guy that is a very good blocker, which you have to be if you're going to play wide receiver and triple option, uh, has very much impressed me. And Deshaun Romine had a really good year, uh, though it's hard to – because of the way the ball is distributed, you don't ever get, you know, a dominant running back or dominant, you know, runner. But the guy had 10.5 yards of carry, but only 378 rushing yards. And then Sean White will be the starting fullback. He's apparently legitimately about 254 pounds and is expected, like I said, to have a big year. But Jameer Tillman, to me, is a very interesting prospect. It'll be interesting to see what the NFL thinks of him, if he gets invited to the Combine, if he gets invited to the Senior Bowl, things like that, depending on how the season goes. But he's got size, speed, hands, body control. He's an impressive prospect, but Mm -hmm. Naval Academy, right? So so his first priority, at least according to that contract he signed, is to become a Naval officer. Then we'll figure out what happens from there. Uh, Bill Belichick might be able to do something. <laughs> right. But, uh, you know, uh, Ken Niamatololo is 68 and 37 going into year eight. And he also is an interesting proposition. I mean, you hear whispers, usually about Georgia Tech, quite frankly. Um, whenever Paul Johnson gets off to a slow start, you always hear, well, you know, there's one guy who could step right in and we'd have to really change anything. But uh, you don't hear a lot of buzz despite his success because, once again, you know, though he says, you know, I, I can run other offenses, it's clear that he likes this offense and has had a lot of success with it. And there are questions about what he might do with other offenses or how well he might work. Uh, Ivan Jasper is his defense coordinator, and Dale Pearson is his, uh, Pearson is his um, D coordinator. On defense, they do have Daniel Gonzalez and Micah Thomas, uh, who are amongst the six returnees, and they've been productive. Uh, they were 26th in the nation in scoring defense, 40th in the nation in total defense. They gave up 21.8 points and 364.9 total yards. Just nowadays, those are good numbers. You know, in, t- in modern football, those are good numbers. Nobody would have been, you know, patting on the back 30 years ago, but nowadays those are good numbers. Uh, Gonzalez had 65 tackles, despite the fact that he did miss two games last year, and then uh, Thomas had 73. They had 15 fumble recoveries, which is most in the nation. This is a team that knows how to force fumble. Uh, Their other starting linebackers also returned, Josiah Powell and DJ Palmore. Uh, Bernie Sarah and Will Anthony are both uh, their best D-tackle and their best uh, defensive end have both 
you know, probably posted somewhere, I don't know, San Diego, Rota, Spain, someplace, uh, are now naval officers. And uh, Patrick Forrestal returns. He's likely to be one of their, their maybe the nose man this year. Amos Mason is going to be playing defensive end. And uh, Daquan Thomason was one of the better players in their secondary. He was the one that clinched the Army game with an interception last year. And Brendan Clements was reinstated to the team after what I understand was a, some sort of honor code violation. Now, they have a very strict honor code. So it may not it may have been something extraordinarily minor, like being late for lights out or – you know, turning in an assignment late. I mean, you don't have to do – it doesn't take much to get in trouble at the, at the Naval Academy, in case you're wondering. You know, you don't have to have committed a crime uh, to, to get suspended at the Naval Academy. But You just have to be disrespectful. Right, or, you know, fail an inspection of some sort. Or, I mean, you uh-huh. have to remember, I mean, they have inspections of your gear. If you have contraband, which doesn't even have to be illegal, it doesn't have to be stuff that you can't take to Annapolis. You know, I mean, there's a long list of stuff you can't take to Annapolis that has nothing to do with illegal, just forbidden. So who knows? Yep. You know, I mean, like, you know, a girly bag. I mean, there's all kinds of things you can get for get in trouble for at the Naval Academy. So who knows what it was? But uh, the fact that he's been reinstated lets you know it probably wasn't anything super serious. They're, oh, definitely. Uh, their their best. One of the best punters they've had in a while, uh, Alex Barta, had a very good year. They lost Austin Grieve. He graduated. Uh, DJ Grant Johnson has looked really good in spring practice and apparently will be taking that job over. Uh, Roman gives them a really good kickoff return threat, averaging 27.3 yards on 24 attempts. And apparently uh, Coach Niamatololo has, has said that they want to be a great special teams uh, team this year. So in their first year in uh, the, A- the AAC, uh, they they had a very solid first year, and obviously they won't sneak up anybody this year. Uh, people know to look out for them. I mean, they they this is a team that was right there with Houston and and Memphis. I mean, this is a really good program uh, in their conference. And of course, they'll take on Air Force on October the first. Uh, so for, it's it's funny with them because I mean they haven't developed too many natural rivalries yet in the conference, but uh, they still look very much forward to playing you know the Air Force Academy and Army to decide who wins the uh, Commander in Chief's Trophy. Well, and well, Navy, it's, yeah, I know. It's not no, really no, deciding. Just uh, let's just move past this quickly. But yes, Navy has held the trophy for eleven times since two thousand and three. Dominated. So, okay. If, yes, dominated. That's the term that we choose. So moving <laughs> forward. <laughs> moving. Well, I've always been somewhat torn because I grew up in a very Navy town, but yes, I would love to see it be competitive again, at least. Moving hey, forward. Hey, uh, hey, my grandfather was a Navy man, so, you know, yeah. I have a little bit of that, but, you know. I understand. Like I said, I grew up in a Navy town. As I grew a, up in a Navy town. As a as a outsider looking in, because you know I, I two two of my oh, three three of my high school teammates uh, ended up playing for Navy. Uh, one of whom, like I said, had a terrific career and unfortunately was murdered. But he had a he he took a couple of Roger Stotbox records out of the record books. So 
you know, I, like I said, I usually have a soft spot for Navy except for one time a year. But the, uh, the point is that, yes, this is a very, very good program. They win. I mean, there's no two ways around it. They just win. Uh, people think they're going to be a top three conference in the conference and a top, maybe a top 25 team, uh, maybe, but a top three team in the conference most likely again this year. And that's Definitely. I mean, they should. I mean, they need to. I mean, this is a, the game that I love always going back to is Navy versus Ohio State. Because even though they didn't win, they they rattled the cage. You know, they basically proved that, yeah, we don't have all these five-star recruits. and Yeah, we don't have Joey Bosa. And yeah, we don't have all, all these other sort of stuff. But we, can, no. we can hang. It'd be hard to sell Joey Bosa on the Naval Academy. So I, I wake up at what time in the morning every day? <laughs> but but they but they're always a team that just you know every year and hopefully I, I hope it keeps up where it's like you know like we're we're a good team you know and we're gonna execute we're gonna do you know we're we're gonna do this smart discipline stuff like your your your, your scouting report on Navy can, has pretty much been the same for I mean under George Welch. In the in the in the seven late seventies and early eighties, you could have written the same scouting report. Smart, disciplined, tough. They've been smart, disciplined, and tough forever, basically. So the talent level is the only thing that's sometimes questionable. But when they get two or three good recruits to go with, if they get a couple of guys who really have talent to go with the smart, disciplined, tough. I mean, it's they're a handful, man. They they can be a ten win. They get three or four good guys who are really talented who could play for anybody. To go with the smart, discipline, tough, you're in trouble sometimes. I mean, because we talked about it before, you, you can't really prepare. I mean, unless you're another triple option team. You know, obviously right. the Air Force and, you know, Army have no excuses. But most of the teams they play, you just really can't get it. Yeah, you have one of your receivers or it's defensive difficult. backs, you know, who played some quarterback and maybe ran option if you're lucky you know, helps you a little bit, but your offensive linemen don't know how to do that stuff. And you, even if they did know how, you wouldn't let them go at your D-line. Exactly. You just don't do that. I mean, they always – I love every time before a triple option, they always have the camera going to the defensive tackle, the four defensive tackles <laughs> that are trying to prepare, you know, for for getting cut blocked. And Those are not know, happy dudes. Yeah. It's not a happy experience, you know. So, uh, yeah, and if and if they could run it really well, and that and that's the other thing too is again, I, I, I've I've been one of the proponents of teams that aren't good on offense <laughs> to do triple option attack, yeah. and yeah. even though it'll cost them investment, and even though you know there's going to be guys who don't want to go there because they think, oh, the NFL won't like me because I'm in a triple option attack. If your goal is to win football games, if that's what your goal is at your college, <laughs> right. that's right. one way to do it. If if you can get, again, you get the right personnel in and you get a guy who is smart enough, I really do mean smart enough to run it, um, you just hit the ground running and you can be a really good program. And that, that's one thing about Navy it's sort of the a team that doesn't, you know. Again, they're not going to get the top recruits. I mean, it's the Navy yep. Academy, you know. Right. But one way I mean, to the, counter that is by they they get a very special smart. young man. They get young men who want to compete at a high level in football, but whose yep. main who mainly are going there to become naval officers. Like, there's no getting around that. If you don't want to be a naval officer, you're not coming. <laughs> yep. That's 
that's a that's a non like it's a selling point to the right kind of young man, and that's the only kind of young man you really want anyway. I mean, you you wouldn't bother going. You don't you don't bother talking to Joey Bosa anyway. You don't you're not having conversations with Braxton Miller. You're not you're not bothering to even send mail to Leonard Fournette anyway. You know, it's a, save your you're saving your postage most likely. Yep. You know, so yeah, I think. Now, uh, speaking of, and we, there's a lot of new coaches, or second year, a lot of first and second year coaches in the conference, but I realized when I started preparing for this, Philip Montgomery, another hot offensive, they are, man, this place is just a wash in hot offensive coordinators, or former hot offensive coordinators. Uh, but yes, another one, Philip Montgomery, formerly of Baylor, uh, finds his way to Tulsa, where they're, you know, not exactly strangers to explosive offense. Anyway... Uh, and to the surprise of no one, they're going to, you guessed it, throw the football. They better. <laughs> yes. You know? Right. Uh, I mean, and I'll just get it out of the way. Kevon Lucas. Yep. I love you, man. Yep. Heart, heart symbol, you know? Yep. Like, he's so fun to watch. I was so bummed when he got injured. Yep. Uh, and, you know, had to deal with that and all that kind of stuff because he's going to come in this year and, you know, the NFL. I just know what the NFL scouts are going to be like. He, he's small and he got injured, so he's kind of injury prone. Like, you know, again, it was one year, but such a fun player to watch. You know, fast, can catch the ball. And not just, like, catch the ball, like, really does have decent, you know, hands. Yeah. Um, very yeah, natural. Does you know, hand catcher, yep. uh, and, you know, know, knows how to sort of browse. Just, just He's fast and quick and has tremendous body control. I mean, he's like a combination, and I hate – I mean, this is going to sound like hyperbole, but he, in terms of his skill set, his potential, he's a combination of Emmanuel Sanders and, and Antonio Brown. Yep. I don't disagree. I mean, he's just that good, you know. Uh, and they're just really, really lucky. Uh, Dane Evans, on the other hand, is – how do I put this? Dane Evans is the type of quarterback – I don't know why there's not a Dane Evans hype train. Because he well, can make he, – uh, There is one. It's It's me. I've been talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> now, it, but, 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 it's no one besides me yet. <laughs> besides right. But, but I'll, put it, I'll put it to you this way, Bill. Because you, as you know, some people have the mentality of you know, seeing the glass half full, and other people have the glass half empty. I'm always usually more half empty type of guy to say, you know, for, you know, to, to, you know to hedge my bet, I guess. Uh, Dan Evans can make some really nice throws on top of making really poor decisions and then, you know, bad stuff happening. Um, he did get better, though, and has really evolved in the system. But I don't know. I just don't trust him is all I'm trying to say. But exactly at the same time, I don't know why uh, there isn't, the like the Dane Evans fan club, which I guess 
I would assume you're a member of. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I may be the only member, out, at least outside of actual Tulsa fans. But yeah. But there's not a lot, and I'm surprised by that, is what I'm trying to say, because I would assume there would be more fanfare for, you know, I hate to say tall, white quarterback, but for a quarterback who and he can has, make decent yeah, throws. And he's got guts. I mean, he's got the. Yep. You know, those people who like the guy who, well, let's see, there's a safety coming down, there's a corner underneath, but I can jam it on in there. Like, for some reason, people like that. You would think that the people who like that in quarterbacks would see that in Dane Evans. Would love start. him. Yes, exactly. Yeah, like the Christian Hackenberg crowd. You know? Right. You, you would think they would love Only, only more accurate. <laughs> more of course. Yeah, a lot of people are more accurate than Christian Hackenberg. But, but uh, yeah, I, I, I just – He's just one of those guys where I, I just I don't know why there isn't more uh, fanfare I guess for him, but but he is but at least in the type of offense that they run he can perform really well in that. It's just I just don't like the streakiness of him to a certain extent, but that's just me. And it, maybe it might improve. I mean, as I say, facts change. I change my mind. He might come in this year and be consistent in every single game and. And you know, and and really blossom into what his talent could say. I just am a little apprehensive based on some games I saw and some plays I saw that were kind of, uh, you know. But yeah. right. Well, I think the term people like to use is high variance, right? Is that the the term that the people have started tossing around out there? I I guess. I if you like love making that stuff. new terms every day. You know, yeah. <laughs> I, I'll, just, I'll just go with streaky because at least it makes more sense than me. I <laughs> streaky is kind of the better and a good streaky though. I mean, you can be good streaky. Yeah, you can be a guy that that's good streaky in the sense that you know is you know you have a year where he's really good. You know, and it, he does make some plays that are, eh, but you know, but that I don't know. That's just me. But yeah, the whole high variance, low variance. Sort of, I don't know where they come up with these terms, but um, um, in this case, I think it's yeah. like from game theory or something, right? If memory serves me correctly, <laughs> or or something like that, or maybe it's might be something like poker. that. Yeah. Might actually be a poker term. Oh uh, yeah, might be. But yeah, could be. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so to the surprise of no one, Tulsa will probably be very good on offense as we. Just said. Uh, oh yeah, it's it's. A, I mean, it is a fun. I mean, if you like wide receivers, basically, if you like the quarterback that throws the ball deep and wide receivers and all that kind of stuff, it's it's your kind of offense. You know, at least to me, it, it's fun to watch because the talent wide receivers is really good, uh, and the quarterback can make, like I said, can make some throws that you're like, oh, that was nice right there, you know. Yeah, yeah, there's there's some special stuff, at least at that position, as we just said. There's, there's, we should see some, we should see some things. They're, they're going to win some 40, you know, 9 to 52 games <laughs> this year, uh, which they're good for. They're good for that at Tulsa. Uh, I, I won't be shocked at all if they if that happens again. Yeah, 
Yeah, defense-wise, though, I mean, they have guys who are decent, but none of them really stuck out to me 100% um, when I remember watching them. Uh, Cornerback, Kerwin Thomas is kind of decent. Um, a corner, he's Richard sophomore. Well, I think he's Richard junior this year. Uh, and then at safety, I think they had a safety last year that a lot of people, yeah, Michael Muto. Yep. That some people really liked. That is true. Um, well, that's all that really comes to mind. A lot of yeah, the linebackers kind of blended in, but, um, yeah, no, I, and I'm not trying to be insulting, but yes, I mean, if if Tulsa's depending upon their defense, <laughs> this will not be the kind of season they want. Uh, they did manage to stay healthy throughout the um, the spring, though. Kevin, uh, Kevin Lucas and Josh Atkinson were sort of kept out throughout spring. Uh, you mentioned obviously Dane Evans, uh, other guys worth watching. Uh, Josh Atkinson, who transferred in from Notre Dame, uh, Broderick. Umblance, I think it's how it's pronounced, Ramadi Warren, Justin Hobbs, Nigel Carter are all guys worth keeping an eye on. No, wait, I'm sorry. Wrong Josh Atkinson. Um, there, Josh Atkinson is a wide receiver. Notre Dame's Josh Atkinson, who's still at Notre Dame, is a corner. That's uh, confusing. They're about the same size, and they have the same name. That's always tough. But uh, moving on, uh, Phil Montgomery is going to have a better running game this year is what I'm hearing. He's a you know, a backfield coach at heart. And though I don't think you're going to see, you know, a 1,500-yard rusher or whatever, but I don't. I wouldn't be surprised if Ramadi Warren or D'Angelo Brewer, but one of them busted 1,000. Uh, they obviously lost Kiaris Garrett, but as you pointed out, they, they've got – They have Kevon Lucas. They've got guys, right? <laughs> they should be okay. They should I mean, be- Garrett is – the best way to put it is like when I first got on to Kevon Lucas, Garrett was like a the other guy afterthought. Yeah. Right, he was the other guy. He was you know? he was Robin. He wasn't Batman. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, and yeah, I mean, you know, Garrett was definitely the the the, the only thing that I was really impressed with Garrett is for a guy that was definitely not like he got open, but it was by hair margin, you know what I mean? Yes, like, I know exactly what you mean. It was like a Treadwell-esque yeah, right. openness right? to where he got open, but it was like that, like a second later, not even half, half <laughs> a second right. exactly. too slow, and it's bad. Nope. Yes, the, but the he just happened to closed. continue to get there. Yeah, so <laughs> but yeah, Lucas is, yeah, again, he's a ton of fun. He might even be contending for my top wide receiver. I mean, he's if I was, he should, he's in contention for mine. Certainly, he's he's yeah. my number one sub six foot wide receiver in the in the draft class. I'll say that much. And he he might. In, I mean, he's in the he's in the mix. I'll put it that way. Uh, there's a lot of though. It's not you know it's not obviously the you know epic 2015 class. This is a pretty good wide receiver draft, but um, in my, my my mind at least. But I, I expect, like I said, them to, to establish a little more of the run. Um, Nigel Carter, Justin Hobbs, and, and Broderick Umblance are all 
youngsters, but there's some talent there. They're hoping those guys will develop. Uh, they should be able to run the ball. Uh, Bill Young and Brian Norwood are co. This is apparently a thing in this conference. Co-defensive coordinators. They like that, I guess, in the AAC. Uh, hopefully, they can. This is a team I think can probably win seven games, and perhaps eight if everything goes right. But my assumption is they're probably more of a, a seven. Same kind of team. Yeah, I mean, if as always, I mean, if the defense, right. which I would be surprised, but if the defense <laughs> actually was average, right, for for the where they play, right, uh, then they would win more than that. Right. But because it isn't, it's a same sort of situation, you know, where the offense is definitely doing its thing, putting points on the board. But you're going to get in shootouts with a defense that's leaky, and you know stuff happens. You know, uh, as always, when you when you have situations like that. So, um, yeah. But I don't know. I, again, I'm excited to see what they do this year, offensively. You know, uh, defensively, not so much. But you know, you never know what can happen in a year. You know, right. It's yeah, it's gonna be interesting, obviously. Um, so that brings us to at one point a team that was the darling of the conference, though it didn't last the entire year. No, I'm sorry. Uh, brings the UCF actually. That's sorry, they weren't the darling of the conference, uh, but they were at one point a darling in the conference. Uh, they were a double-digit win program not all that long ago, and then uh, they just you know George O'Leary's ship ran into. The Rocks or something. I mean, it was. They lost right. Blake Bortles. Right. Yeah, I guess that was. They lost all their wide receivers. Yeah, true. They lost their running back. Lost all the, you know, like it was. Uh, it's just what happens, you know. Like I hate to put it that way, but you're you're you at a you're at a program where everything lines up, and then that window's pretty much closed. You can still be competitive. I mean, that, that's basically the goal of any program is to continuously be competitive, but you're never really going to reach the same heights as, as you did when you had, like, Borals and stuff like that. Um, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Uh, but, um, I mean, they, I still like a little bit of what they got there, though. Yeah. I mean, um, Coach O'Leary, I mean, Highly respected and guys have success a lot of different places, but to see them lose to Furman, I mean, FCS teams beat FBS schools. That's not a shock. Right. Furman, and I'm not trying to be mean, but Furman's not North Dakota State. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. That's. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's teams, you know, Jacksonville, there's a bunch of teams I could name where there'd be no shame in losing to them, but Furman, wow. Wow. Um, yeah. You never know. Things can happen. Things That's did the risk happen. You take. I mean, they 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 won zero games and lost to Furman. I mean, it's it it's it might be their worst season since they made the move up to to FBS. I think they won one game their first year that they made the jump. Mm-hmm. So I think it might literally be the worst year in program history. Because I, I don't think I don't think they I think they had 
I don't think it ever had a one-win. But it's not that old a program. But I don't think they'd ever had a zero-win season in their history of the program. So, yeah. yeah, so that was the end, obviously, of the uh, George O'Leary era. So Scott Frost, speaking of, you know, wunderkind, or he's not that young, I guess, because he spent about six years in the NFL, but young, younger coach. And once again, another – Yeah, fairly young. Once again, another hot um, former offensive coordinator, which this conference is chock full of. But uh, he obviously comes from Oregon, planning to keep a lot of the things that he learned while he was at Oregon. So pro style is gone, uh, most likely, from the Knights' uh, repertoire, which will be interesting to see how they adjust to that. Uh, Mr. Holman uh, was a player I was at once high on, uh, but he struggled last year and had a broken finger. He was pretty good in 2014, like I said, was injured and, and struggled with the injury and other things. But the whole team struggled in 2015. So we'll see how he adjusts. But my, I'm hearing he's adapting well to the new scheme. It certainly will simplify things for him. Uh, he won't have to read defenses as much. I'm not saying you don't read defenses in that system, but the reads are simplified. I'll put it that way. And, right. Uh, they also bring back Traquan Smith who had a very good uh, freshman year, 724 yards in receptions on 52 catches. Uh, Taj McGowan is the fastest of a group of young, talented running backs that they have and expected to win the job. Uh, they will be running a 3-4 scheme, another team making the transition to 3-4 on defense. Wow. Yeah, wish them best with that. Eric Sander, who came with Frost over from Oregon, uh, ran it before and likes it. We'll see how he does with the players he has. And who knows? It might be a brilliant thing. It might work really, really well. But well, probably, probably be. Do they have a DeForest Buckner? You know, if laying they, around. If they do, they haven't found. I mean, it, if they do, it'll be a, a revelation to I guess everyone because they haven't. They didn't have one last year. I'll put it that way. That much I can tell you. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so. Uh, the leader of their defense so far is safety Drico Jackson. Um, he was their basically most productive defender on defense and uh, a mental and emotional leader. Uh, watch out also for Jamius Pittman. Uh, he's probably their best mm-hmm. interior player. And despite playing defensive tackle, led the team in sacks. I I don't know who I don't know what they'll do with him this year in terms of where. Well, we'll see. Exactly. <laughs> your best player on the defensive line is now getting put into a defense that isn't really is the best fit. So, I mean, unless he turns into like Sheldon Rankins or something like that, which is kind of odd, but... Yeah. Um, well, we'll see. It, yeah. it will either be, you know, great or terrible, or maybe some combination. Uh, Shaquan uh, Burkett is expected... To, uh, to have a breakout season as well at linebacker. Uh, the kicking game was not bad, but not super spectacular, though, um, I should say super. Let me, let me rephrase that. They did have a real bright spot at punter. In fact, maybe the, one of the best punters, and once again, it's not that old school, but the best or second best punter in the history of the program probably is Caleb Houston, who had 44.2 yards in terms of his, his gross average. 
Matthew Wright, mm-hmm. uh, a true freshman, was 13 of 17, made all of his extra points. Tristan Payton was explosive as a kickoff returner. And they have a bunch of freshmen, um, some of them redshirt, some of them true freshmen, vying for the punt return position to include the very uh, fast Jaquarius Bar- I guess it's Bardinare. Um Well, I guess so. B-A-R-G-N-A-R-E. So depending on what language that comes from, it could be Barnare, could be Bargnare. Well, it's probably Barnare. I guess we'll find out. Uh, Juwan Hamilton is also pretty darn fast, and Adrian Killens is probably a guy who runs in the mid-4-4s. So, yeah, a lot of speed uh, vying for the punt return position. This is a team that for a five-year span, 2010 through 2014, averaged 9.4 victories per year. Won the Fiesta Bowl in 2013. Had yep. back had back-to-back conference championships. Yep. And yeah, and then went 0 and 12. So, I mean, things happened, right? Injuries, youth. Uh, O'Leary resigned halfway through the year. I mean, things happened. But even with all that, it's just you know, it was shocking how bad they were at times. Just shocking. But um, they're set up to be much better. Now, much better probably means five wins. But still, bowl eligibility Give or take. Right, yeah. yeah. Bowl eligibility isn't an impossibility. Not in the, I mean, it's, it's possible. Unlikely, but not impossible. But not expected. No. I think, I think you know, four and a half would probably be where I put the, the over-under. On their win total this year, you know anything over four and eight, you know anything over four is kind of a win in my book. And yeah, it's not though it's not impossible. It'd be something of a surprise, I think, if they made it to a bowl. But it's you know wouldn't, yeah. be, wouldn't be impossible. Uh, I mean, the, the one guy I'll I'll say who isn't uh, well, actually technically is uh, he's a redshirt sophomore, but I doubt he he you know declares being from Florida. But Traquan Smith at wide receiver. Yes, yeah. I mean, mentioned Traquan Smith, who was yeah, he was the best player on their offense last year. Um, I mean, that that in my mind, at least, he was the best player on their offense, and you know, he might have a chance to repeat. Uh, though I think they'd like Justin Holman to bounce back. He had a, you know, like I said, due to injury and other stuff, had a super tough uh, 2015. So he he hopefully will be better this year. And so now getting to a team that will be having to, speaking of replacing, lots of replacements, um, Memphis, of course, just came off one of the great years in its, even though you know, it wasn't quite the year they began to believe it might be, still it was one of the great program years in the history of Memphis football. Uh, they, Justin Fuente in a, you know, took over a program that was 5-31 and 31 in the three years before he got there. And by his third season, turned them into a 10-win um, program. So, you know, they won nine, 10 wins, 10 games one year, nine games another. Of course, he's now at Virginia Tech. And so now, shockingly, believe it or not, this never happens, a hot young offensive coordinator has just arrived on campus. Man, the AAC is just like a preserve of young Hot offensive coordinators. You know, I guess it's only a matter of time until Spavital takes a job in the conference. But uh, Mike Norvell comes in 
Uh, Paxton Lynch goes out, having last year passed for 3,776 yards, 28 touchdowns. Uh, Riley Ferguson, a Tennessee transfer who comes by way of Coffeyville Junior College in that terrific Jayhawk conference, which, I mean, I don't know what it is about Kansas, but their junior college football is amazing. You know, it's their high school football's okay, their college football's okay, but their junior college football off the charts. So whatever, <laughs> it's just funny, you know. It's very, very interesting how that works. You know, just fascinating how that how that works out. But uh, but yes, Coffeeville, which used to be a factory, it's still good, but used to be an absolute factory back in the '70s and '80s. If you look on those Nebraska teams, those great Nebraska teams of the uh, late '70s and early '80s, and uh, you know throughout the Osborne era, there's always two, three, four kids from um, Coffeeville on every single one of those programs, uh, those teams that he put together. So um, he comes in to uh, try to fill the unfillable and largish, I guess, 16 Triple E or something shoes of one uh, Paxton Lynch. And uh, Brady Davis and Jason Stewart are also guys who are in the mix, but my understanding is that Ferguson has the inside track to, to that job. They bring back Dorlin Dorcius, Sam Kraft, and Jamarius Henderson at running back. Chip Long is the offensive coordinator. Kraft is one of those guys who is a quote-unquote space player, lines up sometimes in the slot, lines up sometimes outside, and, of course, plays running back. Tony Pollard also comes in. Uh, the, re- the receiving core also lost Moe's Frazier, but Anthony Miller, who I think was their best receiver, returns, along with Roderick Proctor and Phil Mayhew. Offensive line coach, who also is new, uh, Ryan Silverfield, supposedly is trying guys out of different spots. Apparently, Trevon Tate, who was a right tackle, maybe moved over to the left side. Chris Ball, who comes in to run the defense, also coming over from Arizona State, so he and Norvell came over together. Uh, Latarius Brady, Ernest Suttles, I like Suttles, um, and Donald Pennington are all back. Jared Gentry, another guy who's flashed uh, two or three times for me last year and showed me some things I liked, also returns. They did lose Regis Ball, uh, Jonathan Cook, who is an Alabama transfer, is expected to step in and play right away. And the corners are Arthur Mollett and Dentrell Nelson. Each or two had two interceptions last year. This, there's some pretty good, you know, kicker-punter combinations in the conference, but the best one is probably Memphis. So uh, Jake Elliott, their place kicker, is probably the best place kicker in Memphis uh, history. I'm, if there's someone better, I just don't remember him. But he had uh, 132 points last year, was 23 of 28 in field goals, and Spencer Smith averaged 47.2 yards per punt. They have gone 20 years without giving up a kickoff return for touchdown. I don't know if that's the longest streak in all of FBS, but I'm willing to bet it's one of the top five if it's not number one. Uh, so, yes, think think about that. It has been 20 years since someone has returned a Memphis – they were Memphis State, I guess, the last time um, that somebody returned 
a kickoff for a touchdown. So that's how they've been good on special teams for a very long time, even when the program wasn't good, which is interesting. Because normally special teams are sort of a good barometer of general overall program health. So, Jim, who are you excited about or who are you looking forward to seeing amongst the Memphis Tigers? Hmm. I hate to say nobody, but that's that's kind of where I'm at right now. I I don't know why. uh, I mean, for whatever reason, when I watched Memphis last year, it was like Paxton Lynch and then guys, you know, <laughs> on offense and defense to a certain extent. I mean, there were there were certain guys, um, offensive line wise, a couple guys that kind of, you know that showed off some stuff. But uh, that's really all I got. Like I'm just none of them really. So, so Anthony Miller didn't impress you at all? Um, doesn't ring a bell. So I liked Anthony Miller, and I don't think he's going to be a superstar at the next level, but I think he's going to be somebody's fourth wide receiver for a, a while in the NFL. Uh, Andre Roberts, if you're looking for an um, NFL comparison for him. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, I'll I'll go back and probably about five, ten and three quarters. Probably about one hundred and eighty-eight ish. Not the biggest cat in the world, but can run. He's got good speed. I wouldn't be shocked if he were like a four-four, four-ish, somewhere probably in the low to mid four-fours. Maybe. I think the the over/under is probably somewhere between four-four-three, maybe on the fastest, and maybe four-four-seven, four-four-eight. On the high end, these sort of guess, guesstimating based on what I've seen on tape. But yeah, I mean, I don't think he's a superstar, but I think he could be a, a guy who, who makes an NFL roster. Oh so, yeah, sure. So I mean, I mean, I'll go back and watch him. Well, I it's gonna be a much younger team as we already mentioned before yeah. uh, than it has been in the past. But uh, Pruitt, I'm gonna mention one of the player, Cam Pruitt, uh, was one of the spring practice and spring game standouts. Um, He'll be apparently either starting or playing nickel uh, amongst the corners. Sounding coverage, didn't seem overwhelmed, didn't seem lost. And he's he's certainly pushing Arthur Mollett, and so if he doesn't take the job, I think he'll be the nickel. Uh, Riley Ferguson was 15 of 20, three touchdowns in the spring game. Uh, Doralon Dorsis had seven carries for 71 yards, and two TD catches, and Cam Pruitt had two picks. So, though they're still not, like I said, an official name starter, I'll be absolutely shocked if uh, Ferguson doesn't have a pretty much clear edge over Brady Davis. The other interesting thing is that, you know, in his redshirt year leading up to now, uh, since transferring from Tennessee, this is a guy that was 211, when he left Tennessee and is apparently 239 pounds on his about 6'4 frame. So he's gained a lot of good weight since he's been at Memphis. 
and he ran a little bit, uh, five carries, 26 yards, but once again, I don't put a lot of stock in uh, spring ball rushing. Right. And uh, Anthony Miller, like I said, I like him more than you like him, apparently, but they they raved about him. I just don't remember him. I'm not, I, I'm not, <laughs> you have to understand. Like that's that's what I'm saying. I just don't remember him. So, uh, yeah. Interesting. That's well, well, he he and Alan Cross, the fullback, H back, whatever, were the two top targets of Paxton Lynch. So, hopefully. But keep in mind that the 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 Memphis offense. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot like what happened with Teddy Bridgewater and his offense, in that the wide receivers sometimes blended in with each other for whatever reason, and I don't know why, but certain certain offenses just do that to me, I guess. But um, I don't know. I mean, I'll go back and watch. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I was really tired when I saw it. Maybe I don't okay. know. But, um, I, I I just legit just don't remember it. So. Um, Okay, got it. Yeah. Well, well yeah. things that things that that I would urge you to do is uh, watch. I think their corner play will be better this year than it's been in a while. I think they have a couple of legit corners in Mullet and uh, the kid who's like I said, just a sophomore, but who uh, Pruitt, the uh, Cam Pruitt, flashed. And if he continues to play like that, I don't think they'll be able to keep him off the field. Uh, tight Northern is apparently going to win the quote-unquote spur, you know, the hybrid, you know, edge safety, whatever. Uh, they haven't figured out what to do with Jarvis Cooper, who might go to the Allen Cross role, though he's about 15 pounds lighter than Allen Cross, but he might be the guy, he's like 6'1"-ish and probably about 218-ish, uh, but might move over to that H-back, move tight end role anyway. Uh, Sharif White is another guy that, that looked good, and... Joy Magnifico, which, first of all, is one of the best names in all of college football, uh, but he'll be the number two tight end behind Dan Montiel. There's talk or rumblings, whatever, some people you know, saying that before it's all said and done to me, overtake Montiel. But, uh, so I'd love to see Joy Magnifico uh, see a little more time on the field. That brings us to now, for real this time, well, sort of for real this time, uh, Temple University is another one of those schools that's being, you know, rumored to lose its coach uh, towards the end of last year and various times uh, Matt Rule was supposedly, you know, if, if James Franklin got fired, he's supposedly going to be getting the Penn State job. I mean, all kinds of He's been, lots of jobs have been attached to Matt Rule, and so far he's still Temple's coach, which is good news for Temple. And Temple had sort of like Memphis, uh, I won't say a year for the ages, but a really, really good year, and bring back a lot of good players. Obviously, P.J. Walker and Jihad Thomas being some of the bigger names, but they also lost a lot of big names, particularly on defense, you know, where maybe you know the one of the greatest defensive players in all of Temple history in, in, in Tyler Medikevich, who his name is written all over their their record book, and then uh, they had I mean basically three or four of the stalwarts off of last year's defense have gone. Though I have a feeling they'll be able to. I mean, you know, it's not like you reload at a program like Temple, but 
they've done a much better job recently of bringing in not just talented players, but the right kind of players. I mean, they aren't exactly. stars. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're because they're, yeah. it's a big advantage to their defense. I mean, one of the things about Temple's defense is uh, because they they do a lot of in terms of giving different looks on defense yep. um, consistently. Uh, it's one of those things where, like, even though they'll have new guys there and they might struggle a little bit, uh, they legitimately have a defensive mind there who is, you know, knows what he's doing is what I would say. Yeah. So, I mean, they definitely have the players, but they also have, you know, a brain behind it that, that's also helping to put guys in the right position yeah. to be successful. I mean, so. they do some of the same stuff that Alabama does. They may not do it with the same kind of guys. I mean, two-and-a-half-star players instead of four-and-a-half-star players. But a lot of the same stuff, a lot of the pattern matching on defense and moving around, you know, just giving you different – as you said, giving you different looks and guys dropping off the coverage of their man and dropping into the passing lane and handing guys – I mean, they they really – they can legitimately run about four different things in their secondary – and you a fairly decent job of disguising them. Yep. It's it's basically as you know, when you when you go back to the Hackenberg game, uh <laughs> it it's a perfect storm of everything he's not good at. <laughs> so right. it's it, it's the per it's the type of defense that he is just not gonna look good against. And even Blake Bortles you know, when he played Temple back back in the day, back in the olden days, you know, <laughs> he struggled uh, with, which is one of the reasons why I was a little worried about Bortles is, yep. you know, it was one of those games where I'm like, wow, you really have a hard time understanding what they're doing to you. <laughs> <laughs> Just, you know, drop a defensive tackle into coverage, and you start to freak out, you know, a little bit. <laughs> but, um of course, he, you know, of course, he didn't end up being that bad, but it was just one of those things where it's, you know, it's jarring. You know, like you see him doing something, you're like, "Wow, what? I don't understand what they're doing." <laughs> Where's he going? Yeah. Where's he going? What, what is this? What is this magical stuff <laughs> that they're doing? You know, but um, yeah, um, and of course they lost Tavon Young, which is also another um, yep. kind of underrated, you know, guy that. Uh, uh, and the secondary Ionitis uh, and yeah, right. Yeah, but um, but yeah, they're still gonna be it's still gonna be good. Yep. Uh, on defensively speaking, so you know, it's just that the offense can just be a little bit more um, uh, consistent, is all I would say. Uh, in terms of some of the some of the games, I saw they kind of struggled a little bit. I mean, they're definitely putting up points. Uh, it's just the being able to put up points against uh, the uh, really good teams. Yeah, exactly. A really good team is kind of where, where they need to get over. Uh, but yeah, PJ Walker, really fun to watch. Really fun guy to watch. Um, Jaha Thomas, definitely too. But um, yeah, yeah. But you know, fun team, obviously. Yeah. And once again, a team that potentially could win ten games. Which, I mean, it's hard to. I mean, you're not 
old enough to remember how crazy that would sound to somebody who remembers when Temple was literally oh, the two or three worst it, programs it, in all of college football. It's crazy. I mean, I do kind of understand because I remember when Temple was really bad, you know. I mean, so, uh, which it wasn't that long ago. but No, yeah, actually, it wasn't I mean, that long ago. And, but they were epically bad at one point. I mean, oh, like, yeah. Yeah, like I said, they were legitimately maybe the worst team in college football, at least, you know, their level of college football, and perhaps one of the worst teams, period, you know, regardless of level at one point. Yeah. So, yeah, they, uh, you know, they, they they stunk it up pretty good. They, I think at one point they had the third longest losing streak or something like that in nation's his, in the history of, of Division One college yep. football, something like that. So, yeah, they had struggled mightily at one point. But... Yeah, as you mentioned, P.J. Walker is back. Uh, he had a lot of problems with turnovers in 2014. Mm-hmm. And while I won't say he completely rectified it, it got better. Uh, he owns a bunch of records, 601 completions, 52 touchdown passes. Uh, I don't know if you consider quarterback wins a statistic, but he's credited with 18 of them. Right. And, uh, and uh, he just needs 72 more pass attempts and 120 more passing yards to own the career records in those areas. So he's going to be all over the record books when it's all said and done. Uh, Jahad Thomas had, you know, I think he's probably the second best running back in the conference behind Marlon Mack. 1,262 yards, 17 touchdowns. And despite that, he's going to be battling Ryquel Armstead, who apparently has been coming on like a maniac throughout spring ball. They have a new offensive coordinator in Glenn Thomas, who apparently wants to run the ball more. Um, even more. Uh, their best offensive lineman is probably Deion Dawkins, and they bring back, I think, four out of their five starters from last year. Vintel Bryant is the only linebacker out of last year's linebacker, uh, receiver, I meant. Only receiver out of last year's top six who returns. He had a strong start. Not sorry, didn't. He had a strong close to the year. In the year, fairly strong, but hasn't been super consistent. Adonis Jennings and Keith Kirkwood, who are transfers, a lot of transfers, uh, from Pittsburgh and Hawaii, respectively, are expected to make a um, an impact. And tight end Kip Patton, who only played one year of high school football, is uh, expected to be the guy that wins the uh, tight end job. But with tight ends, that doesn't seem to matter. Having a limited football background... <laughs> Seems to almost be an advantage uh, at the tight end position for some reason. Yeah. But, uh, but yes, um, Frank Nutile is expected to back up uh, P.J. Walker. Another guy to keep an eye on is Jagger, or Jager. I guess it's probably Jager. It's just one G. Uh, Jager Gardner is another. Or Jager. Yeah, maybe it's Jager. Uh, another guy to keep an eye on amongst the, the running back crew. Another one of the tight ends who's involved in the battle for that tight end job is Alex Carling, who uh, who has had a good spring also. Uh, Trevon Williams is yet another one of the young running backs who's expected to be, probably won't win the job, probably won't even be this number two guy, but might be the number three running back. Uh, Delvin Randles, one of the better safeties on the team. And they have a freshman D lineman, Jeremy Richner, that a lot of people have been complimentary regarding his play so far in the spring as well. Mike DeFranco is another guy who might see the field 
at least is a depth guy on a linebacker and has a shot to win a starting job as well. If you want to know their superlatives for spring, redshirt senior linebacker uh, Stephon Marshall and redshirt offensive lineman Jordan Jones were guys that won the uh, I guess spring MVP awards. The Mark Brassani Award for Spirit uh, was awarded to uh, Brendan McGowan. No, take it back. Brendan McGowan won the Gavin White Local 215 Award, which goes to the most improved non-scholarship or walk-on athlete, sorry. And the Brazzani Award went to Stephon Marshall and the Jordan Jones won the, yeah, okay, won the, the Team Action-Oriented Team Leader Award. Nice. Uh what else? Given to the player who shows the most enthusiasm during spring drills. That's nice. The most improved offensive player was Marshall Ellick, uh, Richard Jr. wide receiver, and Richard senior defensive back Nate Hairston won the defense's most improved player award. And their next time they take the field will be playing a real football game on September 2nd against Army. Which they, which they can expect probably to win. Yes, right. Uh-huh. Yes. What I miss? Um, a lot of stuff. So <laughs> it would take a while to recap it all. We're getting close to the end of the AAC, and then we'll talk a little Conference USA. So the um, in fact, only thing I think there's only one team left in the whole conference. That would be the Houston. Yes, Houston Cougars. Uh, Houston has a lot of natural advantages. They have a great young coach who's a dynamic recruiter. They are located in one of the most talent-rich environments in all of college football in terms of recruiting. And they're actually keeping some of those guys in Houston now, Uh, Ed Oliver being the most obvious advantage of that. I think he's the first five-star recruit they've landed, not ever, but but since I think the 1980s maybe. It's been a while. Uh, Yeah. I think they've only had a couple of five stars in the history of the program, and he's the first one, I believe, since, you know, Andre Ware was on campus or something. Uh, but, yeah, uh, big things are expected out of Houston for a bunch of reasons. They landed Kyle Allen, but I don't think he's playing this year. That's one, only one of the reasons. I mean, Kyle Allen is nice to have, but this would be a good, this would be a good program and a good team without him. They would win football games without Kyle Allen. I mean, Greg Ward – for those who somehow forgot, tore it up last year. And I'll be the first one to admit, I thought the guy was a slot receiver. And he was. He was a really good one, in fact. But he clearly has shown, at least at the collegiate level, he can legitimately play quarterback and play it pretty well. So hats off to you. Um, I was a doubter. I'm not going to pretend otherwise. I was a Greg Ward doubter. And I will stand corrected. He is a much better quarterback than I thought he'd ever be. So... Uh, he's, you know, he might be the conference offensive player of the year this year. I mean, he potentially could be a guy that rushes for 800 plus yards and passes for 2,800 yards. I mean, he could have a monster year this year. Though Quentin Flowers, like I mentioned earlier, is capable of the same kind of year. There's some, there's some guys in this conference who are likely to have some big years. So, Houston, 
like I mentioned, uh, a lot of people sort of giving them a nod to win the conference. And like I said, I understand the reasoning. They, they've got a lot of wind at their backs. They had a really good year last year. They bring back, you know, not everybody, but a fair amount of talent. They recruited – they've had their last – the last two recruiting classes are amongst the best, if not the best, in the history of the program. Uh, this is a really pivotal year, and, of course, it might be the last year of the uh, Tom Herman administration in terms of coaching, but we'll see. Uh, a lot of people thought he'd leave last year, including me. So I, um, I, I, I've been wrong on at least two things. Tom Herman has stuck it out, and supposedly, I mean, we'll see if – it's easy to say this, but but he said he wants to turn this into a destin instead of a stepping stone job. He wants to turn Houston into a destination job. Now that doesn't mean he'll spend the rest of his coaching career there. Or it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be, at least, uh, right. read that way. <laughs> but I think he does mean it when he says he wants to turn it into a destination job. I believe he wants this to be a partially because that make him look like you know one of the great coaches in history. But uh, but he's really done a good job. There's no getting around it. Tom Herman has improved that program across the board starting with simple stuff like conditioning. Uh, Urban Meyer, everywhere he's gone, has improved the conditioning of every team he's ever coached. And Tom Herman obviously really looks up to Urban Meyer. I mean, there's no two ways around it. He basically does everything the Urban Meyer way. <laughs> I mean, that's not really much of an exaggeration there. I mean, if, if you ask him directly, he will pretty much say to you, I sort of ask myself, what would Urban Meyer do? And then I do it. And guess what? It works. Doing things the Urban Meyer way apparently is super, super yeah. successful. WWUD. Right. Exactly. What would Urban do? I wouldn't be shocked if, dude, you should start making some of those. Like these little wristbands. I bet you could sell a bunch of them. Yeah. I mean, Herman is a guy that, like, I, I don't know. Like, this is the best way to explain it. He should already be at a different program now. <laughs> like, he was responsible, part partially responsible. I'm not going to give him all the credit, but partially responsible for one of, well, I mean, for turning Cardinal Jones into what he is. Cardinal Jones Correct. would not be on the Buffalo Bills if it wasn't for a little bit of what Tom, Tom Herman did. Correct. Um, go really to the <laughs> that struggles, you know, has had its struggles uh, to a certain extent, and in one year turns it into, you know, top of the conference, um, beats the Temple Owls as well, which is probably the best they've been, um, which, as I as I told you, Bill, like, it wasn't that long. Like, two years ago, Temple versus Houston was <laughs> – Highland or Keyland, you know, right, right. versus that. So, uh, does all that, gets a grill as well, yes. and follows through with that. Yes. Uh, you know, even the, even the people that I, I know that, you know, uh, you know, with, with uh, Alex, you know, because he's been doing his thing there, he loves them too. Yep. Um, you know, re- really – uh, you know, everybody who works with him, you know, loves him. So I, all I'm really saying is other than, like, maybe he wants to finish the work he started with Greg Ward, maybe, which is, you know, again, I, I think most um, – I mean, there definitely is a sense of I want to get mine, but 
there's also another part of you that's like, I really like this guy. I want to finish what I started to a certain extent with with what I did. Um, I'm just wondering where, you know, where is he going to go next? That's that's what I'm really wondering. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, or or if he or if he really is going to turn Houston, which the fact they landed a five star recruit says a lot um, about your program uh, in terms of your ability to sell it and you know that sort of stuff. So does he turn it into an actual? Does Houston join the Big Twelve and become a major? You know, powerhouse. Well, powerhouse. It would be great for the Big 12, first of all, because they they need legitimate powerhouse programs. That and Under the Big 13, then, and it gets them. No, they don't even have. In case you didn't notice, they don't have. They don't even have 11 teams. They have 10. Remember that's why they lost their championship game. So it'd be the Big 11, I guess, and they'd probably look for one more team, so they could back to being the Big 12. I mean, over under on this team, I only see him. Um, I can see him at a minimum winning eight games, but that's their floor. Looking yeah, at their schedule. I'd be shocked if they won eight games. <laughs> I think okay, they win well, way more than that. You have yeah. Oklahoma lost. Yep. Um, wouldn't be so quick to hand the. I mean, it, that, that's going to be a better game than you think it might be, young man. <laughs> Cincinnati win. I don't know about Texas. And then if, Con, that's going to be a win. If Texas beats Houston, that would be a feather in. It's funny how how things have changed, but that'd be a feather in Charlie Strong's cap if they've got the if if, if Houston didn't win that game. Yeah, that'll Con, be a good game. That'll be a very good game. You got Navy, which is also a that'll win. be a tough win. That'll that's one. Of the, that might be the. One of their toughest games on their schedule, actually. <laughs> That's a tough Tulsa. team to play. You got Tulsa and SMU. Which is, I think it's going to be a hard game against SMU. Well, the game against Tulsa might be harder, but yes, sure. Uh-huh. UCF, I can see a win there. Yeah, well, UCF is coming off of being Tulane. the worst team in college football last year, so yeah, I, I'm going to go with you on that one since they won Tulane. zero games. Tulane, that's a win. Yeah. Louisville, yeah. <laughs> Louisville I give them a loss. Yeah, we'll see. Uh-huh. I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> Memphis, loss, I think. Mm, yeah, I'm not uh, sure about that either. <laughs> I mean, the two the two big games, I mean, this is the one thing you could say about Houston, Bill. The two big games they have that are like, Statement games, if you will, is Oklahoma and then Louisville on their schedule. You know, and they legitimately could beat Oklahoma and they legitimately could beat Louisville. In fact, I pretty much think they're going to beat Louisville. You know, I think Louisville's not doing too hot. I think they throw a real scare into, into Oklahoma. If they don't beat them, they scare them. And I think they beat. They were still and, I they beat and I think they beat Louisville by about ten points. In fact, so four, honestly, to me is eleven wins. You know, I mean, they, 
something disastrous would would something disastrous would have to happen. Like again, all I'm trying to say is this is Tom Herman that we're talking about. Like he's legitimately one of the coaches on the rise. I mean, it sounds it sounds somehow like Isaiah's forgotten this team beat Florida State last year. So I remember I watched the game like three times. And they have a legitimate yeah. chance to be better this year. <laughs> I mean, just so you know, they didn't know. lose that much. <laughs> the other teams in that conference and the other teams they face, the benefit of the doubt for right now. Okay, sure. All I said was eight, eight wins is their floor, which I'm not expecting eight wins. I'm thinking they're going to do a lot better than that, but I'm saying that's just their floor. Yeah, well, I'll, like I said, I'll be absolutely shocked if they end up with the way it wins. So the ceiling is that can obviously go undefeated with the roster. Here, here's the the real losses that they had: Adrian McDonald, Trevon Stewart, Liam Jackson III, and Elandon Roberts. Once you get beyond those guys, who admittedly are all important players, but pretty much the rest of that team is pretty much back intact at most most spots. And they have a five star defensive tackle. Right? And they, right, and they bring in, in one of their best. Maybe the best defensive player. I mean, in terms of you know how he's rated yeah. in the history of the program, certainly one of them. And again, and he might suck. Right, it's very possible. But, right. but, but based off of what really is expected, good. he might be one of the best. But so, at least in terms of like I said, expectations and ratings, he's the best defensive prospect possibly in the history of the program. So, other players to sort of keep an eye on. Uh, Matthew Adams had a really great spring and is going to be playing, you know, the the spot where Liam Jackson, the third, played last year. J.J. Dallas has looked really good. He'll be manning one of the other uh, corner spots. Howard Wilson, probably playing nickel this year. Khalil Williams and Terrell uh, Williams both look good. Garrett Davis is another guy who's He's been coming off a, a foot injury. He broke a foot towards the end of last year, but he's going to be in the mix in safety as well. Cameron Malveaux and Tyus Bowser are expected to have big years this year. Uh, Steven Taylor is, might be the guy that ends up leading the team in tackles. He's a fly-around guy, a classic sort of run-and-chase will type. Uh, let's see. Greg Ward is better. You know, that he's, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, this is a guy, like I said, who, you know, three years ago was one of the best slot receivers in the conference. Greg Ward Jr. Right, right. Like I said, three years ago, he's one of the best slot receivers in the conference. He just keeps getting better at quarterback. So we'll see what happens with him. But he's he's doing more from the pocket now than he ever did before. Apple White trust him more. Uh, they got a really good secondary. They have a really good team. <laughs> but moving oh, on, Isaiah Johnson. I know, I know, but I'm focused on their secondary now. They were with losing William Jackson player. I know they lost a great deal of talent with him, but that's easy, I think they can easily replace him. Yeah, they can easily replace most of the guys they lost. As I just mentioned, they lost four guys who were good, and they have guys who are as good in most cases, and maybe one or two of those guys might be better, replacing them. <clears throat> Uh, getting back to, to the offense, Isaiah Johnson has, amongst wide receivers, had a great spring. Uh, I guess Ward last year, who had 17 touchdowns, six interceptions, 28 
2,828 yards, and a 67.2% completion percentage is yep. looking better in all areas so far this year. So I mean, in many ways, I mean, I I don't want to knock on wood, but he's like a Braxton Miller that's more consistent as a thrower. <laughs> right. You and know? smaller. And smaller, but yes. And smaller, but, you know, has just as good a spin move. Well, I'll say that much. <laughs> yep. So, yep. I mean – because that was my big thing with Braxton Miller was that, you know, I, I always thought he was a good athlete. I just didn't think he was consistently uh, as good of a thrower. Um, that's where Ward is actually – that's the surprising thing to me at least is, you know, a guy doing the transition and then actually being pretty naturally accurate and, you know, um, good arm strength and all that other kind of stuff. So Yeah. Uh, like I said, super impressive. Uh, the NFL will probably still want to move him back to receiver, but – uh, Chance Allen, Rashad Samples have bounced, are both coming, well, one of them is coming off of a, being transferred and not being able to play. Uh, Rashad Samples started his career at Oklahoma State, but he's now eligible to, to play. Chance Allen battled injuries, but uh, should be expected to, to bounce back. I mean, they've got Linnell Bonner, Stephen Dunbar, Terry Mark. They've got a lot. I mentioned Isaiah Johnson. They've got a lot of receivers who are really good football players. Uh, watch out for any of them to end up busting out. Duke Catalan, um, though he was held out of the spring game, is close to 100%. They're just really being very careful with him. Mulba Carr, Blake Hirsch, Josh Bar- uh, Burrell. They've got depth at running back. Now, they haven't had a tremendous running game outside of, well, frankly, a quarterback uh, last year. So the question will be, will they have one of those? They have talent, but will one of those guys emerge as the guy, as a workhorse type amongst the running backs? And that, that's the, probably the biggest quarter, uh, question mark they have is, will somebody take over and be the guy amongst the, the running backs? Because they haven't really had that guy. But uh, there's not too many other questions I have about Houston as a team. They are pretty darn loaded. So that's, you know, I mean, I it's not easy to pick a winner for this conference because they've got, you know, a few teams sort of bunched together at the top. But I, to me, this is still the best team in the conference. And... If somebody knocks them off, they will have to bring their A game to do so. Uh, That's that's my reading of of Houston. I will not be at all surprised if they have another high double digit, you know, I mean, in the top area of double digit. Here's a question, though. Mm -hmm. Hey, Bill. Let's say the season starts and they take down Oklahoma Mm -hmm. and then they finish undefeated. Uh-huh. Is this the first team potentially from uh, you know from from uh, I would say non a non power five conference yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. to get a shot at the national what we, what we used to call a BCS buster. It would be hard to justify holding Houston out of it if they win their conference, run, run the table, beat Oklahoma, beat Louisville. I mean, how what? There'd have to be several undefeated teams. You know what I mean? Like, how would you justify it unless there were about four other undefeated teams 
from you know the SEC or Big 12 or ACC or Big 10 or so or Pac 12 or something. You would need a bunch of undefeated teams. If there's one or two other undefeated teams and Houston standing there, having you know run the table and beaten Oklahoma and beaten Louisville, it'll be difficult. I'll put it that way. To I mean, be a lot of spinning would have to be involved because this is a team that I mean you. You could have conceivably argued they should have been in the running last year, um, at least consideration last year, because they beat a team that, you know, beat some good teams. Every team they beat, and I mean, amongst the good teams in the conference, beat good teams. Going back to another conference who could have also probably made that jump too was um, North Carolina. I mean, they had, they were 13 1. And but they they lost the one game though controversially uh, the one game they needed to win uh, so that was a, if they win that game then yeah it's obviously they're in but the finishing up with the American Conference if you take Houston out I'll guess I'll start with you Isaiah if we take Houston out of consideration if we remove Houston from the board who would you pick to win the conference if it, if you weren't picking Houston. <sighs> Are we talking with the West or no? The whole darn Shebangabang. Well, I'd probably go with Temple, maybe Temple or Navy. Yep, yep. Those are those are both good choices. Uh, what about you, Jim? If you, other than Houston, if you had to pick somebody not named Houston to pick to win the whole Shebangabang, who would you take? Um, the alternate. Universe Houston Cougars. <laughs> yeah, um, from it, another it, dimension. It is. Is they are an attractive choice. <laughs> they, they, there's not I mean, a lot of Temple. There, yeah. I mean, honestly, it's Temple Houston. At least in the conference, dark horse candidates are like SMU, but just because of the offense and if the defense actually did some stuff that would be really. Interesting. I um, it was at last year. They were Connecticut. Ahead. You know, if Connecticut's defense can become something really cool, which they do have some talent on the on the defense to do that, then that's yeah. something to think about. But uh, it's really hard <laughs> to see, especially since even though Simple's defense is going to be Fine, you know, like I don't think they're going to, you know, be terrible, but I don't think they're going to be as good as they were last year, this year. They're still going to be a good defense. They're just not going to be as good of a defense. Um, so that's all I really got to say. And Navy definitely is, again, tough, smart. But, you know, so <laughs> what I'm saying yeah, is, is right. if we okay. open a portal and go to another dimension, with that Houston <laughs> team, you know. You, you mentioned uh, Navy. I just think Steve Reynolds, that it was too big of a loss for him. You know, he well, was everything. The way the system works, I mean, obviously you don't, quote, unquote, replace a guy like Reynolds, but the, the system creates success if you run it correctly. So all they need mm-hmm. is a guy who knows how to run it basically, and they've got that guy. We talked about him earlier. So 
they they'll be a nine win, ten win. I mean, they'll be they'll be navy, right? I mean, we already talked, so we've talked about that. They 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 don't need to get a bunch of four or five or even a lot of three stars. They get a sprinkling of three stars, mostly two stars. It's a two point two five star program, basically in terms of the average. You know, if you go by the recruiting ratings program that they have. Uh-huh. And, and yet you can pencil them in for nine or ten wins just about every year the good Lord says. <clears throat> because they're extremely well coached and all the stuff we already talked about, smart, tough, disciplined. You know, it's sort of boring almost in a way because you can say the same thing about every Navy team for a very long time. And this will probably continue to be the same way for a very long time. So <clears throat> uh, Conference USA, which is the slightly less sexy of the two slightly off-brand conferences we've put together. Uh, they don't have a Houston, certainly. I'll put it that way. You know, everybody likes that, that, that you can point to and say, this team might run the table, this team might beat Oklahoma. They don't have one of those uh, in their in the house there. So the challenge, or amongst the challenges going forward for Conference USA, one is to become relevant, I guess, for lack of a better way of putting it, uh, so that, you know, they get discussed. <laughs> uh, they oh, don't get discussed well, very often. Here, here, here's how they become relevant. You add the Charlotte 49ers to become more relevant. Okay. I, I see what you're doing with this. They become more relevant. Well, Jim's being Jim. I know what you're. I know what you're driving at. They, they, they have two things working against them. One is their conference is so diffused that it's it's hard to wrap your literally sort of wrap your brain and your arms and whatever else around it because it's all over the place. You know, army and I mean just you all these things from all over everywhere um, that are that have very little in common with each other. In fact. Uh, all sort of mishmashed together in this enormous, unwieldy conference. So, yes, there is that challenge. Uh, it is difficult to keep track of who's in the conference unless, I mean, unless you pay a lot of attention sometimes. It's like, oh, that's right, I forgot there is the conference. A lot of that can happen. Uh, but despite that, there's good players in the conference, uh, if if that matters. I don't think so. So, looking at the conferences, of looking at the the breakdowns, they have some interesting programs. Some of them are newish, obviously. Uh, ODU's only had a football program for I think now maybe their sixth, sixth or seventh year in operation since they brought back football. And the first couple of years they spent in the FCS, and I still say if they stayed in FCS, I think they would have played for, if not won, at least played for an FCS national championship by now if they'd stayed in in that level. But they didn't. They came up to uh, to play with the quote-unquote big boys, or at least medium-sized boys, I guess you could say, at the Conference USA level. I play big boys. So, I don't even know if they're medium boys. In that. In so, right, so you've got you know, the two Florida schools, obviously, in FIU and FAU, who would, once again, at least are in talent-rich environments. 
Uh, UAB is returning. Is it this year or next year? I'm trying to remember. I, guess I believe it's next year. Oh, is okay. Okay, so UAB coming back. You've got another sort of new program or newish program in University of, of uh, Texas, Texas San Antonio. Um, the aforementioned Charlotte 49ers that Jim likes to take shots at. Middle Tennessee State University, which has good players this year as well as last year. Western Kentucky, who was sort of the standard bearer last year. Uh, Rice, which you know was at one point in the um, in the old Southwest Conference. Louisiana Tech. They have to sort of yes, they have to sort of wrap their brain around where they are now. Uh, SMU, which at one point was a really good program, but it's sort of wandered now, sort of coming out, back out of the woods, being a really good program again, uh, or at least a good program, but Marsh. but was a very good program at one point. And of course, Marshall at times, uh, another one of those wander from conference to conference kind of deals. But Marshall has been at various times in the MAC, and you know, Marshall is capable of being a really good program at times and scary. I don't think they're really all that coached. Well, I mean, maybe not right this very minute, but they certainly have been. Uh, they've there have been times. They've been in the past, just not right. as of late. Right, I was gonna say they've they've been super well coached at times, but yeah, things aren't quite what they what they were in the past at Marshall. But still, once again, Marshall has some guys who are going to play in the NFL on that team right now. That much I can tell you. So I guess we'll. Start with, since Jim is such a big fan, we'll start with the Charlotte 49ers, a, a newer program uh, that is trying to sort of establish itself, for lack of a way of putting it. Uh, the good news is, you know, they're located, once again, in an area where there's some powerhouse high school programs, include Independence High School, where the Leak brothers, CJ and, and Chris Leak, won state championships, and some people even, uh, you know, obviously in high school football, there's no thing as a national champion, but some people sort of declared that thir- that uh, undefeated Chris Leak team to be the quote-unquote national champion in college, I mean, not college, in high school football, uh, which, like I said, sort of a meaningless thing to designate. But nonetheless, some people considered that the best high school program in the country and, you know, wrote about it. But... Despite that, like I said, you've got this new-ish program at uh, Charlotte, and they don't have a lot of tradition like any other new program. Not they, a whole lot of talent either. Not a whole lot. They're but, confused. Right. But they, they are a potential landing spot for ACC transfers. You know, that's one of the ways you can sort of help to build your program, just like UTSA uh, landed some transfers from guys who were coming out of the Big 12. So that can help you to – Get your program you know, up and going if you are a welcome, like I said, you know, have your arms spread wide and welcome home the disappointed and dejected transfers from, from other <laughs> other programs. But uh, Charlotte is looking, still looking for its first successful, and by successful I mean bowl eligible, because that would be success. If you managed to get bowl eligible, you know, they, they would throw a party and... There's- they reached five wins. Well, yes, right. But I think towards that end, I think they're attempting to become bowl eligible, I guess is what I was trying to say. They would like to be bowl eligible, I believe. This might be another way to put it. Uh, I don't believe they will get there this year. I'm just saying that that is... They're at least two years away. 
it is a stated goal, I guess is what I'm saying. A goal that they have as a program, like many programs, is to become bowl eligible. And good luck. Uh-huh. And good luck to them. <laughs> yes. So it's a very good... historically inaccurate team. <laughs> yes, I know. But the point is, they do have – they are one of the most uh, diverse and stretched-out programs, as I mentioned before, stretching from the eastern seaboard, where uh, FIU and Florida Atlantic and Old Dominion are right on the ocean, pretty much, uh, to Texas El Paso. And El Paso, obviously, is out in the what they call the panhandle of Texas, which is practically Mexico. Um, so you have a very – very very stretched out. The travel can be, which is why I guess they break into east and west, but the travel can be rough if you've got to, you know, go from Norfolk, Virginia to El Paso, Texas. And I can tell you this for a fact, having flown out of Norfolk International Airport many times, there are no direct flights. I mean, unless you have a charter or something, you're going to change planes, I don't know, in Memphis or someplace or Louisville or someplace. You know, I mean, you'll be changing planes. Someplace. Probably Dallas. Or Dallas. Yeah, there you go. Maybe, Maybe. Dallas. That's a possibility. Is there yeah. any player on the team that catches your guys' eyes? Well, okay. Going through Charlotte briefly. Uh, <laughs> I they have some, one guy. They have some young guys who are interesting. They have a kid from – he's just a redshirt freshman. They have a kid named Tommy Doctor from Fort Union Military Academy mm-hmm. who at some point will probably be the leading sacker in – Charlotte 49ers history. Uh, he will, I think by the time he oh, leaves there, yeah, admittedly they don't have a lot of history, but I'm saying that by the time he leaves there, I think he will be the number one sack guy in the history of their program, which, like I said, is not very long, but he is a guy that has talent, um, size, and athletic ability. They have a redshirt sophomore transfer from Navy, who I think is going to make an impact this year, named Alex Duncan. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, they are a welcoming spot for transferees. Uh, another DB who is a redshirt junior who I think will probably see some playing time and probably look good is Anthony Covington by way of Appalachian State. Um, yeah. Let's see. Who else is likely to be good? The last conference. Let me go Louisiana Tech. Well, since we started with Charlotte, let me finish with Charlotte first. So, okay. uh, sort of just players worth watching, I guess, is what I'm sort of just sort of trying to, to make sure I cover. And I guess the last guy I'll mention, they have a tiny, teeny little slot receiver who didn't play much last year, but I believe will play a fair amount this year named Austin Duke, who is generously listed at 5'9 and 161. Uh, my guess is uh, he's about 157 and about 5'7 seven and 7'8. Seven but good hands, uh, tough kid for a guy his size, which, you know, admittedly is tiny, and knows how to work his way open. Uh, quarterback play is a uh, question mark, I think is a good way to put it. Uh, guys who are part of the quarterback battle include Brooks Barden, uh, is one of the guys who will be competing to be the signal caller for the 49ers, uh, also involved in the the, the the competition, will include Hassan Klu and oh, there's a 
third kid. Oh, Matt Johnson. Matt Johnson uh, are, are the the top three amongst the the quarterbacks going at it to see who will have the uh, the honor of leading the uh, 49ers on the field, which I know, like I said, still bothers Jim. Uh, but if one of those guys emerges and has a great, great year, they could be looking at three wins. Maybe four. Yeah, I mean, it really should be the, the Charlotte 35ers. <laughs> to be, because that was when their gold rush that was. Was when their goal rush was. You are correct. Yes, you are. Not 1849. No, it was not. 1835. And Wims had some knowledge, Jenna. No, I mean, yeah, I I knew this as well, but I I guess they thought nobody would know what they meant. (laughs) They named their team the 35. I just, I the 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 last guy I'll mention, who I appreciate his game, although he, he has uh, lots of kind of rawness, is, that's why I could put it, uh, is uh, the nose tackle they have there, and, uh, Larry Gunjobi, oh. yes. I guess. Yes, right. Um, um, uh, he kind of has decent size. He's kind of, uh, uh, even though he's a nose tackle, he's more He's better at penetrating, really, than he is at holding the point, though, uh, which is, I don't know. But that was just my initial sort of thoughts on him. But, um, I mean, he's flashed at times. I mean, he's fast for uh, for a big kid. For a yeah. big guy. So, um, yeah. Yeah, and Duke is definitely the guy that uh, yeah. um, is uh, decent. Larry Joby is at least listed at six foot three, which I think is probably about an inch more than he is, and listed at two ninety four, which is probably a, probably about four pounds less than he is. He's probably close to three hundred. But he is a good athlete. I think he's going to test reasonably well. He's one of those guys that, you know, when the you know, when you see sort of the the pro day Reports come out. I wouldn't be shocked if it's like, oh, and catching attention from scouts was when, you know, Larry Joby ran a four nine eight forty and had a thirty two inch vertical and a, you know, nine five broad or nine four broad and you know he, he's, yeah. he might surprise people I guess with how he tests athletically. Yeah, but he's he needs to play a heck of a lot better than he did last year. Yeah, but, uh, well, that's but true he of all. Definitely of is. Yeah, but. Um. Yeah, I mean that's that's really what I can say. The historically inaccurate team uh, with a very short history. Uh, yes, is gonna play another season of football. So they are, which is good. Yeah, maybe they'll start to develop some rivalries with uh, the other teams. Yeah. So the 2013 season was their their first. Uh, the 2014 season was their second, and obviously last year was their third. This will be their fourth year in operation, and they're, you know, essentially they're just hoping to keep improving. But yes, uh, there's, you know, there isn't as of now there there is not gold in them. Their uh, uh, roster, <laughs> for the most oh, yeah. part, at least there hasn't been <laughs> since 
1835. Yeah, that's correct. It's 1835. But uh, the good news is that is they, I guess, if you're looking for silver or gold, maybe linings, is they they are starting to identify, you know, who their their guys are, uh, for lack of a way of putting it, who the who's going to be who, <laughs> who's 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 who. Uh, in terms of how the the team is is uh, is put together, uh, Terrence Winchester. I don't know if somebody already mentioned him, but he's he's worth watching. Um, and and Coach Lambert apparently has you know named a starter, so you've got a starter at at quarterback if that if that matters. So the you know the the challenges when you're starting any program, you know a new program, is in addition to, you know, like we said, the lack of tradition, you know, which is probably not very, not, you know, something you have to battle to a certain extent, is and building a culture from scratch is convincing people, you know, like I said, uh, that this is a place where, you know, we can begin to do things. So uh, Coach Brad Lambert uh, did pick Kevin Olson, and you may know that name, He's in speaking of, of three time transfers or whatever, uh he's been a quarterback at Miami and Rutgers and you may remember he is the younger brother of Greg Olson. He is the biggest recruit or re recruit or whatever you want to say in the history of the program, obviously. Uh depending on what scouting service you go by, this guy was either a four or five star recruit. Obviously the first no matter which one he is, he'd be the first in the program's history. If he's a four-star, he'd be the first four-star. If he's a five-star, he'd be their first five-star. Uh, so either way, he's the big, the big, be the biggest signing. Obviously, he's you know been around a little bit. Uh, Hassan Klu, who is also a transfer from NCANT, a an up transfer, but he's played extremely well. Um, probably was one of their real standouts, their defensive standout uh, of this spring. Uh, Khalif Phillips is another one of their best players and, and it has looked good at times despite the fact he hasn't exactly run behind the world's greatest offensive line. He's been fairly productive. They did bring back 17 starters, you know, which is a high number. Um, so, yeah. And 21 of the players on the roster are amongst the initial original group that showed up to practice for 2012, they didn't even have a football team. I mean, they practiced, but they didn't play any games that year. The first year they played games was 2013. They still have, amongst this team, 21 players are, are somewhere on the roster who are amongst that initial group that didn't even play. They just practiced and lift weight, lifted weights all year. So no matter what happens, congratulations to those guys. I mean, that's that's buying into a dream and working hard, at least initially, with little to show for it, but you know, hey, this could be the year, uh, though it probably isn't. So that, sure, you wanted to talk Louisiana Tech, apparently, Isaiah. Go go on with it. Hit it. Uh, well done, Isaiah. I'm sorry, I'm watching the NBA Finals. I knew I could count on you. So, uh, <laughs> as I mentioned or as we sort of mentioned, Louisiana Tech has been another one of those places that has been a, a coaching way station, you know, a place mm-hmm. where coaches put their backs down for a year, sometimes two, before moving on to another job. And 
we'll we'll see. I don't see this becoming a quote unquote destination job anytime soon. Uh, you know, it's only a matter of time till you know uh, Major Applewhite or whoever it is, somebody uh, comes in and takes the job next. But at the moment, this is a program that has at times been good. Um, sometimes even pretty good. Have you ever managed to break through all the way uh, to becoming one of those teams that, you know, once again, I guess the term BCS buster isn't really a, a thing anymore, but the uh, the program has a chance to elevate. And once again, winning the conference would be helpful. They are situated, as we said before, in a you know state that's fairly football rich in terms of talent. Uh, Ryan Higgins is one of the guys that everybody's sort of waiting. I don't know how patiently they're waiting at this point, but they're waiting. For the last couple of years, we've been hearing, you know, hey, this is the year that Ryan Ryan Higgins emerges. Uh, As a redshirt freshman, people expected him to come on in and win the job and and have a big opening year, and then it didn't quite play out that way. Mm -hmm. And then Cody Sokol, speaking of quarterbacks who transfer from various places, uh, and Jeff Driscoll came in, and Driscoll obviously, you know, did this little thing. Did yeah, I mean, came in and did very well. Uh, Higgins now has the job apparently all to himself, uh, though there is Prince Wilson, you know, still there amongst the backups. Jamar Smith, who's a redshirt freshman, and Jack Abraham, who's a true freshman early enrollee, are all, you know, sort of competing, but apparently would take. Uh, a lot. Who's <laughs> taking over that running back spot now that Kenneth Dixon's gone? Yeah, well, we'll certainly get to that, as you know. Uh, coach Holtz loses assistant coaches. I said the way station for coaches pretty much every year. But he, he uh, this year is, even for Louisiana Tech, this year is a bit much. He has to replace not one, not two, not three, but four coaches, two on the offensive side and two on the defensive side. Uh, Tim Rattay who, of course, was a terrific quarterback there who had previously coached receivers and is now going to move on to coach quarterbacks. Additionally, Todd Fitch, who is going to be coaching both uh, receivers and still and coordinating. Mickey Joseph will coach running backs. Additionally, on defense, Kevin Curtis is going to be coaching the cornerbacks, and your uh, Gothi will be coaching the linebackers. Blake uh, Baker will be coaching safeties, where he used to coach linebackers. He'll still be coordinating, however. And let's see. Yeah. So that's the shuffling that took place. And we'll see how long it, it takes for you know the coaches to settle in. Forget players, but for the coaches even to feel comfortable. Because <laughs> you've been dealing with one group of players for the last few years, and now, oh, yeah, who are you guys? I mean, they kind of know them, but... <laughs> You know, when you were going to the meeting room, you know, four or five days a week, depending on what time you were talking about, and you're talking to this one set of guys all the time, and now it's like, oh, yeah, we normally practice against you guys. <laughs> It'll be easy how long that, that some of that, uh, sort of, or at least not against you guys. I mean, some of them are, are staying with at least similar. I mean, they're still not, they're not changing from offense to defense, but they're changing. It's still different guys, I guess what I'm saying. So moving on. Um, Driscoll obviously is gone. Kenneth Dixon obviously is gone. Vernon Butler obviously is gone. In addition, Boston Scott, uh, Jerry Kraft, and Jaquise Dancy are all 
battling for reps. I wouldn't be surprised if you saw all of them play, which I know Jim's not a big fan of. But the guy that I sort of putting my mark on, I guess, is Jared Kraft. I think Jaquise Dancy will see maybe the second most time, and Boston Scott maybe the third most touches. We'll see. Additionally, uh, we mentioned about running Butler. You can look for guys like Jordan Bradford and Courtney Wallace, uh, who will be rotating. Junior college transfer, Keontae Garner is another guy that might be sort of in the mix, but I don't think any of those guys are Vernon Butler. I'm just saying that they'll... You can't replace a Vernon Butler. Well, losing at Tech, you can't. No. There are places where you can pretty easily replace it. Yeah. But not I know. Tech, it's no. not a conference that you can do it. Well, I mean, certainly not this particular team within that conference. No, I would agree that they, they will probably struggle a little bit to... To find mm-hmm. yeah, somebody, um, for life way of putting it to sort of fill that hole. Um, a great quote: "You don't try to replace, aka a Kenneth Dixon or Vernon Butler. You try and take the pieces to the puzzle you can and make it pretty <coughs> you can." Well, make additionally, it pretty- additionally, I think the other thing is that they're probably going to be a slightly more offensive team. I mean, if indeed Ryan Higgins, or a slightly different kind of offensive team. I mean, Driscoll could move around a bit, but Higgins is a legitimate running threat. I wouldn't be shocked if they had a lot more planned quarterback runs this year than they mm-hmm. had in the past. But this will probably be a bit of a step back, I think it's safe to say. The offensive line and Coach Holmes. A- go ahead. Oh, well, my question for you, Bill, is on a scale – of Wes Welker to Wes Welker, <laughs> how do you have Trent Taylor? Yeah, I thought you might be going going there with that. Um, <laughs> he he comes up. I mean, he's not quite Ryan Switzer in terms of my Wes Welker rankings. Oh no, no, because <laughs> Switzer's at the top of my Wes Welker rankings, and River Craycraft is right there too, and Kyle Sweet's in the mix. This is a good year for um, Wes Welker's, actually. If you want to, if you want, this is a year you're looking to draft a Wes Welker. This might be the year to do it. Because without thinking hard, I can think of a good five or six that I think are going to play at the NFL level. Uh, Sweet. All drafted by the Patriots. Well, yeah, well, Sweet's just a sophomore, I think. Or maybe he's a junior. But I don't think he's coming out either way. I, mean, I think he's a sophomore. I think he's a sophomore. we interviewed him? I think we yeah, interviewed him. Right. So I think Cal Sweet's just a sophomore anyway. So you have to wait on that particular Wes Welker. But, yes, the this is a pretty deep year for Wes Welkers. And I thought Braverman, you know, I, mean, I was a little surprised he declared. So we lost one of them. But we still have a nice <laughs> little crop of Wes Welkers to choose from this year. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, Trent Taylor's probably – Is he closer to Austin Collier than Wes Welker? I don't know if he's as athletic as Austin Collier. Austin Collie was a really good athlete. I think people have forgotten how athletic Austin Collie was. Austin Collie's still in the NFL? No, no he retired. From no, no, the he had to. Remember, he almost died. Um, yeah, I oh, mean, yeah. he got wrecked. Um, in one year, I don't know if you remember this year, was it 2012 maybe? Either 2012, I think it was 2012 or 2013. One of the 2013 other. season. Okay. Austin Collie and Anthony Gonzalez both had career-ending, like, cranial hemorrhages um, that year. 
So, yeah, it was a tough year for uh, West Welkers on the Colts because they lost two of their West Welkers that oh, year. Oh, I wouldn't really say they're West Welkers. They're more Brandon so, Stokely. There you go. You That's know. who they are. You're exactly right. They are Brandon Stokely. But they both they both were forced into early retirement. Um, all that going over the middle and getting, you know, poleaxed can Crazy. catch up with you. So that's what that's what happened to those two. I remember at one point Austin Collie made noises about making a comeback, and I don't know if someone just sort of prevailed upon him and said, you know, you can't do he this. Or, he played in the CFL three games in. He got concussed, and he had to call it a career. Well, of course he did. Well, I mean, I'm sure the guy, if he combs his hair too quick, he probably gets a concussion. I mean, his, yeah. his you know, he's got some issues uh, in the – I mean, that's – Talk about CTE studies. I mean, that guy. Whew. I hope he's signed up to donate his brain when, whenever he goes. Wow. Let's see. Got Brandon Shark right there. Let's get back on track. I don't talking about that. So yeah. Uh, so getting getting back to Louisiana Tech, uh, they they certainly have. Yeah. Some work to do in terms of filling some holes, and though they can't fill it with the same kind of guys that that left, and that's not even a goal, I would imagine, they'll be able to run out some guys, and like I said, they'll probably be a a different kind, even though they're running the same scheme, a different kind of offense, because they'll be playing a very different kind of quarterback if, if Higgins does indeed hold on to the job, which everyone is kind of expecting him to do. This should be a, you know, like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if they had, you know, eight. If they had, if they had, you know, eight to ten planned quarterback runs in every game, and that's something I'm, I'm not. So that's something I can, I can certainly expect this year. Then. There's, I guess, at least an expectation. Uh, you know, like I said, they'll be productive on offense, but differently. Uh, because, you know, as we said before, Ken Dixon's not walking through that door, and no one like him is walking through that door. And as we said before, like I said, to me the biggest question more is defense. I think they'll still be a fairly productive, solid offense, even though a different kind of offense. I want I want to know if, what kind of defense they can be. If they can be a solid defense, this is going to be a team that wins seven-ish games. Uh, but there's legitimate questions about how good that defense can be. Yeah. You know, so that's where I am. What about you, Jim? Uh, I'm uh, expecting the worst. Uh, I I think they lost a lot of guys, and uh, it's going to be one of those rough transition years, I guess, is how I would put it. Uh, hello? 
okay, so that that's uh, I guess that's I guess that's it. Uh, okay, so just one or two last things I'll throw out there. The offensive line last year, uh, according to Coach Holt himself, was the best one he's had in his three years since he's been at Ruston. Now, he also said right after that, he, he admitted that wasn't saying much because he really hasn't had great offensive line play since he's been there. Kirby Wixon is probably their best offensive lineman, uh, though they do have a freshman All-American, in, or maybe one of the best, in Austin uh, Dugas. Also, Josh Outlaw, a junior college transfer, is a guy that is in contention to win the right tackle job. Uh, Daryl Brown is another guy that's in the mix. Joseph Brunson can play either guard or tackle. And Shane Carpenter and Ethan Reed are guys that will probably make somewhere on the TD as depth. But they don't have one single star amongst the uh, offensive line, even though they have one or two good players and maybe one guy who might someday be very good. So that's the situation there. And the, the sturdy Rice Owls uh, have had some good years. Uh, they have a very good coach, at least in my mind, in, in Coach Bayless. They have at times managed to win one or two games each year that might be a bit of a surprise. You know, they're one of those teams that are easy to sort of forget about, for lack of a better way to put it. Uh, but they are certainly capable of throwing a scare into somebody. And once again, at times they've had, I mean, Dreyfus Jackson has had really good games. Uh, the Sam McGuffey era, uh, he had a couple of really good games. But there seems to be a bit of a challenge of actually managing to put together a long run of consistent high-level play as a program. But to their credit, they haven't been terrible in a while. I mean, at one point, they had an issue with being terrible, and that issue has been resolved. So I give some credit to the coaching staff. Now, 5-7 and seven is disappointing for them, which, like I said, I guess it's sort of a credit to Coach Bayless that a 5-7 and seven year is seen as a, a failed season. They're looking for big things, or hoping at least for big things, uh, this year, out of a couple of players in particular, uh, Tyler Stelling is a redshirt senior, but raw because you know being a redshirt senior hasn't played really. Also, redshirt freshman JT Granada was a guy that they like as well, though uh, he's clearly the number two coming out of the spring game. Uh, Coach Bayless is in his, believe it or not, his 10th season. So that also speaks to, I guess, a level of of success that he's had. Now the question is, can they take the next step to become one of the contenders in terms of having a shot to win the conference? That is the question. Other guys to sort of keep an eye on. Well, Stelling, you know, we talked about Dream Jackson, who was a you know, smaller, quicker kind of guy who passed for 2,348 yards and rushed for 167. Uh, Stelling, who played in five games, parts of five games in his career, uh, 
in those bits and pieces, mostly mop-up duty, 24, 48 passes, 320 yards, one touchdown and one interception. Uh, he did throw a touchdown against Notre Dame, once again, sort of mop-up duty, 2014. Zach Wright has had a really good spring. Uh, Jawan Davis has had a really good spring. Josh Cummings has looked good. Uh, Parker Smith, a, one of their best defensive backs, so we're expecting to be a, one of the better defensive backs this year. Parker Smith and Trevor Long also had a good spring. And the running backs, Derek Dillard, uh, also has looked good as well. Uh, Nassan Nellerby, who was a running back, is now playing receiver. Uh, Tabari McGaskey, who was a linebacker, is now a safety and had a, one of their best springs. And I guess the question going forward, I mean, they, they start the season with Western Kentucky, and that's the way to begin. Then they take on Army, which sadly is not that tough. But then they take on Baylor on September 17th, and that will be a huge game. Uh, if they can somehow find a way to be you know, two and one instead of one and two at that point. That means this will be a really good year for them. Now, more likely they will be one and two. But if they manage to find a way to be two and one, that, like I said, would be enormous. That would mean big things are on the horizon for for Rice football. And to some extent, they will they will go as far as uh, the very tall, very rangy Tyler Stilling can take them. I mean, he's a kid who's legitimately about six five and a half at about two hundred and fifteen pounds. Uh, sort of physically, um, I'm trying to remember the name of the quarterback who preceded Trevon Boykin um, at TCU. Physically, he's like that kid. Oh, you mean uh, the drug dealer? Well, yes. <laughs> uh, yes, I wasn't going to bring that part of it up. But yes, Casey uh, uh, Pahal. A little yeah. bit like he's physically a little bit like Casey Pahal. Okay. So, what what are you looking for out of out of the the sturdy rice owls this year, Jim? Let me think for a second. Uh, Derek Brown. Oh, there you go. Is not uh, not not too bad. Um, <laughs> yes, not too bad. Uh, Destry White. Kinda sorta. Kinda sorta. Okay. Cornerback. You know, uh, yep. that's about it, really. Um, I like their head coach. Yes. He kind of reminds me of, like, uh, a Wade Phillips, but mm-hmm. uh, twice removed in some capacity. Is that kind of Bum Phillips, Wade Phillips? vibe to him, I guess. Um, not quite as good, of course, as Bum Phillips or Wade Phillips. He's like a homeless man, Wade Phillips. <laughs> How I would describe him, but yeah. Not a lot, I should say. Not a lot. I'm not expecting a lot for Bryce, but uh, every once in a while they they. There's a couple guys, so every once in a while. But um, not, I'm not expecting too much this year, but, yeah. 
right? Fair enough. Fair enough. Southern Miss at one point was, you know, a program that was sort of like almost the way we talk about Houston when Coach Fedora was having success there. I mean, they they didn't quite get to the 13 or 12 win level, but they they broke, uh, you know, into double figures, consistently won nine or so games, which he parlayed into the job at Carolina, obviously, and then the expectation was that Todd Munkin was going to come in and things would just keep on rolling. And that actually did not happen at uh, Southern Miss. They did not just keep on rolling. Uh, they they had some trouble. Some things did not play out quite as expected. Despite that, they still usually have a couple of good players, uh, once again, every every year. But this program as a whole, in my mind, has sometimes underachieved, but, you know, as you and I both talked about, there were always a couple of guys that, at least in my mind, always caught your eye. We talked a lot about, obviously, Mike Thomas, who I thought was a easily a top 10, top 5 uh, receiver, you know, top 10 to top 5 kind of receiver in last year's draft class. And, you know, most people didn't see that, but still, I think he's going to have a nice little NFL career Though he's gone, his quarterback remains, and he's likely to be pretty darn productive. And they've got other, they've got other players. Like there's not an, a bare uh, cupboard. And in fact, unlike most of the teams you discussed, they might be better on defense this year than offense. Is Isaiah still with us? No. Just making sure. Okay. Uh, so. I'll stick with you for the moment, Jim. Are there any guys that you have sort of circled? Obviously, Kalen Reed's gone and Mike Thomas are gone, but are there any other guys that you might have circled going into this year for Southern Miss? Uh, hmm. Uh, no. Not, not really. Uh, I mean, Kalen Reed, Mike Thomas are gone. Yes. So... That's all she wrote. <laughs> well, like several of the schools we've discussed, they do have a new coach coming in. Uh, he is not a hot young coordinator. It's actually a veteran coach who's stepping up from the SCS level where Jay Hobson is coming up. Uh, he was at, previously at Southern Miss, though, as a D coordinator before he became a head coach in SWAC. And of course, Todd Munkin is in the offense is an offense coordinator of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So, I guess it's kind of worked out. Uh, Hobson had a certain level of success, a certain amount of success in, in coaching at the, uh, the the FCS level, and interestingly enough, like I said, coaching in the SWAC, where you don't see. I mean, there's been a few white coaches in the history of the SWAC, but he was probably one of the most successful ones. Uh, Will Freeman, who was a defensive tackle. Last year, as an offensive tackle this year, defensive end Dylan Bradley, who is now a defensive tackle, will be just replacing Will Freeman. And uh, Darian Yancey, who was a defensive end, will now be a linebacker. So there's a little bit of shuffling on, on that side of the ball. 
which sometimes happens when a new coach steps in. He sort of looks at things and says, well, I think this guy might be better here. Jabari Poole had uh, a really good spring game. He's had a really good spring. Quadra Griggs had a good spring as well, the uh, junior quarterback. Also, uh, their field goal kicker, uh, Stephen Bruchel, apparently looked looked pretty good. Uh, Griggs comes in from Atawamba Community College, had a very good uh, junior college career, and like I said, looked pretty good. Uh, Nick Mullins is not in any, you know, danger though. <laughs> uh, job's clearly his, and it would take an injury or something for him not to not to hold on to it, most likely. Uh, Parker Adamson also uh, is in the mix for the second job, but apparently Griggs is sort of uh, most likely going to be the third-string quarterback from what I'm understanding. And uh, Keon Howard is another kid that will come in, but uh, may end up being redshirted. A guy to watch out for also is Patrick Brooks. Had a very good spring, uh, led in the spring game itself, all the rushers had 13 carries for 79 yards. Tess Parks is the guy who's coming off of a knee last year. George Payne is another guy that's still battling a knee injury, but at some point maybe they see some time. Uh, there's certainly some there are reasons, I guess, to uh, to be at least somewhat excited. This, I think, will be a better team than last year's team was at certain certain, certain areas. I'll put it that way. It, I think they have a chance to be better in certain areas. I think it will come down to defensive improvement. Like many of the teams we talked about, you know, if they can just get a little bit of defense, and I think they might. Hobson is a deep, more one of the few more defensive-minded head coaches in the conference, and – once again, there's talent. I mean, you, you, there, you've got guys just by the very location almost. Uh, here's another guy to keep an eye on or watch out for or, or et cetera. Since we were talking about, you know, sort of position switches and moving guys around. Uh, Marquise Richard, who missed last year due to injury, but – before he got hurt, back in 2014, caught 30 balls for 517 yards, had a couple of touchdowns, and his career has 54 receptions for 723 yards and five touchdowns. But he's learned, you know, he says that that time he was forced to sit and watch, he picked up on certain things. He's one of the best athletes on the team. He's He's long. Uh, long arms, long legs, pretty good-sized hands. You can also look for, like, uh, Alan Zay Staggers, Shannon Smith, and Isaiah Jones to be part of the receiver core. Corey Robertson is another guy that hopefully will will see some, some of the field. Now, with Casey Martin, speaking of, um, you know, your Wes Welkers, and obviously Michael Thomas gone, there'll be plenty of opportunities, and, the other guy who should step up this year is D.J. Thompson, but he's been hampered this spring with an ankle injury, so that's given a lot of the young guys a chance to uh, to emerge. Uh, 
So you you don't you don't sound like you have a lot of excitement at least yet about Southern Miss, but I think at least one or two of the guys they have on the team will will turn themselves into legitimate prospects. That's what I think will happen. And obviously, when you're sort of looking at this, you know, far-flung conference, and I guess we'll go to the farthest flung of in University of Texas El Paso. And once again, like the other teams we've talked about, sort of a roller coaster ride at times. Uh, uh-huh. UTEP has had good players, Aaron Jones and others in the last few years. They've had. Uh, at times, good quarterback play. Jordan Palmer, if you want to go back a few years. <laughs> Trevor Vitito was a really good quarterback. I don't know why no one liked him. Um, I don't get it, but he was a really good quarterback. Uh, they've had, like I said, some running backs and wide receivers. Uh, I think the Raiders drafted, was it John Lee Higgins? Johnny Lee Higgins. Yep, okay, I thought so. Uh, who had a tremendous yards, I think something like 25.8 <laughs> yards per reception or something crazy like that in his uh, well, last year. He was year. a punt returner. Uh, yep. Uh, and he, I think he led, it was one of those weird years where he, I think he was like the top punt returner one year and he didn't get selected to the Pro Bowl uh, because we were the Raiders. You know, <laughs> so like nobody you know, nobody knew who he was and nobody was watching us. So, but uh, he had a really good year as a punt returner. Then they tried to make him do our receiver, and then that went about as well as most of the times we tried to do that. So it was a less enjoyable Devin Hester kind of situation. Yes, there you go. Less enjoyable Devin Hester. Yeah, well, he certainly had tremendous ability to accelerate. I mean, he was a guy who not only was fast, but got up to full speed quickly. He, you know, he, he he was not a build-up speed kind of guy. He was a right-now speed kind of guy. He had nitrous. You know, he could get to full speed in about two steps. Uh, he just, I guess, never got terribly refined in the fine points of playing the receiver position, I suppose. But he was fun to watch. But now, uh, you know, the coach Price has moved on. Uh, they are apparently more of a defensive team, from what I keep hearing, more than they've ever, they've been in the past. So that'll be interesting uh, if they have one of the better defenses in the conference, which, like I said, I, I'm hearing they might this year. Uh, we'll see. So they need some people to emerge. Ryan Metz. Uh, is someone and Mark Lef- Mac Lefwich are certainly people that they're looking at the quarterback position. One of them will most likely be the starter, and they'll probably be naming a starter fairly soon, I would imagine. If you're looking for a name to look out for, though he's just a junior, look out for Brendan Royal. Uh, he's a guy that they use, I mean, they they ask him to do quite a bit. They use him in run support. He's a good blitzer. 
He can cover. He's one of the better players on their team, and you know, like I said, though he's just a junior, he he might one day, if not now, might one day be the best prospect on this current roster. Uh, Tom Mason and Sean Kugler run the defense now. Apparently, like I said, there's a wave of co-coordinating out there, which I didn't realize until recently. Uh, Ryan Metz had a decent spring in the spring game. He went uh, 9 of 17 for 86 yards, had two touchdowns. Kavika Johnson was 11 of 26, 72 yards and an interception. And unfortunately, Mac Lefwich hurt his shoulder. So he was in the mix at one point, and it looks like he's going to be redshirted. Sorry, I'm back. Ah, indeed you are. <laughs> I just had to finish up the NBA Finals game. If you're, right, look, if you're looking for other names to sort of attach to, even if they're not guys who are necessarily draft eligible this year, Trayvon Hughes might be their most talented running back, certainly amongst their more talented running backs. Uh, Terry Juniel is a maybe their most talented receiver. We'll see. Why, and of course, well, uh, what happened to Aaron Jones? Did he? Oh no 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 no! I've been forgotten about Aaron Jones. I was talking oh. about the receivers and um, oh okay, and uh, defensive players things like that. Brandon Moss had a really good spring and might be their best. You know, amongst their best athletes on defense. Like I said, along with the. Um, Brendan Royal, who's just, I think, just a sophomore, if I remember just correctly. And Kellon Beverly is probably their best pure cover player. Aaron Jones is another guy who's managed to do a whole lot with very little, <laughs> for lack of a better way of putting it. Uh, they've minimized his touches during the spring to develop, yeah. uh, you know, some depth or... I guess. Or keep him healthy, but or keep him healthy, he's like right. their best offensive weapon. Like, um, I mean, he's really good. Uh, really good. I know he was injured last year, yep. uh, I, I believe, but um, I mean, he's decent size, uh, mm-hmm. really good at breaking tackles, mm-hmm. uh, good vision, uh, really good in the open field too, faster than we expect. Uh, like, I'm thinking uh, he's like a low four five, like a four yeah. three ish kind of guy. Which is really good if you're Aaron Jones. Yep. So, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, oh, I just hope he's healthy for the rest of the year. But um, I don't know. Like this could potentially be a really like he's one of the running backs that I want to be in the class to make the class better. I guess. And you I know. think he will be. I think he'll be in the class, at least. Yeah, that's my expectation. So did you have any UTEP minors you wanted to discuss, Isaiah? No, not really. All right, then. Well, then I guess we'll keep moving on. Old Dominion University is a, a once again another one of those newer programs. Uh, they have only been around a handful of years. I think their first year they competed was 2012. 
F- FTX. I can think it was 2011 or something. It may have been 11, but they weren't even a. If they were, they weren't in a conference yet. And then they joined. Their first year playing in a conference was 2012. They were in the CAA, and then you know, and then 2013 they were in the CAA, and 2014 they were in the CAA, and then they made the jump. Uh, after that, to uh, to play in the FCS, obviously. I think they should force these uh, teams to be in a conference, unlike your Notre Dame's or BYU's or Army's. Well, yeah, you don't. They don't have the power to do that. Conference. Yeah, but they don't have the power to do that. They can't force them. <laughs> they can't. I mean, they could always be in this conference. Right. I'm just saying they don't have the. There's no apparatus in place to do that. <laughs> They don't have any sort of police powers or things like that that allow them to tell the teams where to go or what to do, which is very convenient for them. You know, they only have the powers they want to have, you see. That's the power they don't want, so they don't have it. Just so you know. But yes, Old Dominion sits in a, once again, a reasonably talent-rich environment. Um, the Tidewater area has managed to feed Virginia and Virginia Tech for a long time. If you look on their rosters, they're chock full of kids from the area, and then they've managed to send kids to Florida State, like E.J. Manuel, and kids to Florida, like Percy Harvin, um, Michigan State, like you know uh, Plaxico Burris, who's from my old high school, Green Run. Uh, so despite the fact that it's not a super densely populated area, it's pretty talent-rich and has allowed Old Dominion to be, like I said, they were going to be a contender to win the FCS or at least play for an FCS championship. They'd stay in the FCS, but didn't. Uh, so now they get a chance to contend for part of the Conference USA title, uh, which I guess is better than winning the CAA and playing for an FCS national championship. I guess financially. Maybe. Now they get a chance to try to survive. <laughs> really what it is. But yeah. Right. Yeah. I like I said, I'm not in charge of these things, but I would have if they had asked me, I would have advised them to stay in the FCS level and most like of I the said, time it's money, you know, they dangle the money yeah. and uh in front of them and I mean seriously, you know, like they for joining the conference usually they have some sort of where they get extra money and that kind of thing. So sure. sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Well, I hope they enjoy the money. Uh, I hope they're getting the money. <laughs> uh, I don't know how much it is, but you know. they're very loosely. I hope they enjoy the money. I hope. Well, I hope they do. If they, if they're getting it, I don't know how much money's even coming their way necessarily. But Old Dominion is a team that legitimately could make some noise. Uh, they they do have some good players, as they have every year. They do get a certain number of transfers from places like Virginia Tech and, and UVA. At the moment that they, they sort of wrapped up practice, they had finalized or figured out at least a few things about who and what they liked. And they had discovered some depth. Uh, Drayton Arnold, who's just a true freshman, has had a really good spring. 
and then capped that off by looking really good in the spring game. He hit Isaiah Harper for a 94-yard bomb. And Harper's a guy that may be a little more impactful this year as well. Blake LaRussa also had a pretty good spring, as did Melvin Vaughn. Uh, Ray Lowry, of course, is... I mean, with, with Aaron Jones, I guess, being the number one running back prospect in the conference, he's probably number two amongst the, the conference's running back prospects. Uh, he's still, you know, Ray Lowry. <laughs> you know, he's still, still who he was. Uh, Schuler Bentley, also sort of in the quarterback battle, uh, was good as well. So they've had at least three quarterbacks flash during the spring. And Jason Duhart, uh, speaking of receivers, is another guy that's had a really good spring. This is yeah, Lowry, Lowry uh, just a, I guess, two yeah. cents, I guess. But he re- kind of reminds me of, uh, surprisingly, kind of like Maurice Jones-Drew. Not as fast as Drew. No, or as no. And not, quite but, as, not quite as short either, but yes. Yeah, yeah. Not as quite but, as quickly uh, oh. Yeah, but he, he's just interesting in terms of, uh, yeah, I don't know, he's just kind of a uh, different kind of build, I guess, you know, for running back. Interesting. Yeah. And they did make some changes. I mean, some changes have been made in terms of schematically and, you know, what they do and how they do it. Obviously, when you're, you know, adapting the life without Taylor Heineke, certain things are going to have to be different. But Coach Wilder uh, is using more tight ends, more running plays. Not exactly, you know, shocking uh, that they're doing that. So they're going to have, you know, whoever ends up winning out uh, the quarterback job. And it's fairly likely that whoever that person is is going to be asked to do a little less, you know, than they asked Tyler to do. But you still need to be be good. Uh, Thomas DeMarco is the guy that sort of has emerged as the clubhouse leader. Uh, Schuler Bentley, Joey uh, Verhey, and, and Blake LaRussa are also in the in the fight. Bentley is, like I said, just a redshirt freshman and was one of their top recruits in the 2014 recruiting class, and he has a, a chance to be really good after sitting out last year. Uh, Verhey is an interesting story. <laughs> He's well-traveled, uh, an Idaho native, Was played uh, junior college out in Fullerton, California, and eventually found his way there. And one Virginia Beach kid, uh, LaRussa also is in that, Blake LaRussa is in that, uh, that battle. Bentley is the guy who's probably the most like Heineke, son of a coach like Heineke, uh, Small, so slightly bigger than Heineke. He's about six one, about two hundred and eight pounds, but very poised. Has a very accurate. Has an okay arm. Verhe is big, a good athlete, and can really throw. And is the most comfortable guy playing in you know actual under center from the pocket. And Larousse is a little kid, uh, listed generously at five ten. He's probably you know five nine and a quarter and one hundred seventy six pounds, but super productive in high school. And has been a pleasant surprise so far, but I think he's clearly sort of in the third spot amongst the three quarterbacks. And he's the kind of guy that might be asked to change positions depending upon what happens at other, you know, other other spots. 
He's a good enough athlete that he probably he could play somewhere else, though I think he wants to be a quarterback. Okay. So I guess I'll start once again with you, Isaiah. Who are some of the guys that you're excited about or that you're uh, targeting, I guess, amongst the, the guys at, uh, at ODU? with us, Isaiah? Isaiah? Okay. Did we lose Isaiah? Losing Isaiah. Okay. Yeah, we lost Isaiah again. All right, then. Guess we'll keep plugging along. Uh, UAB is not back with us yet, though they will be. Uh, So let's take a look at... Yes, uh, let's take a look at the Roadrunners of University of Texas, San Antonio, uh, a program that originally was built by Larry Coker, the uh, very highly respected coach who won a national championship at Miami. And UTSA had its first player you know, ever selected in the um, history of their program when David Morgan made his way into the NFL. Uh, who are some UTSA guys that you have on your watch list, Jim? Jim? Oh, you are still there. Okay, good. Oh. Uh, hello? Yeah, can you hear me, Jim? Uh, yeah, I can. Yeah, yeah, I can hear. Um, I think a lot of the guys that I liked, are, they graduated. So. Or I graduated, but, but yeah, I think they graduated. Went to the NFL at least. Um, trying to check and see. Nate Gaines is kind of decent at yep. cornerback. Correct. Um, and they're running back. I think Jarvion Williams. I think is. is he, he's not the best. Obviously, but uh, he, he kind of stuck out a little bit. Okay. But um, that's really about it as far as, like, San Antonio. Well, there's another... There's one of those programs that is seemingly well-situated. You know, they're in a talent-rich part of the country. Tremendous high school football is played in the San Antonio area. Two or three of the uh, the programs around there are usually amongst the top 10 to 15 
you know, sometimes more, but they have a ranked, nationally ranked high school program that's near them almost every year. Now, once again, most of those kids don't go to UCSA, clearly. But it only takes a couple. You know, even if they end up getting them after, you know, things don't go right for them at Arkansas or Texas or wherever they end up, the advantage they have of being, you know, I mean, they're still in Antonio, San Antonio, Texas. That is, that's never going to be a bad thing for your program. I guess amongst the players that I'm at least hoping to see, excited about seeing, I mean, they had uh, Okacha signed, uh, you know, as an undrafted free agent. And, of course, Morgan, like I said, the first guy drafted in the history of the program. I don't see a guy just sort of off the top of my head who looks like he's going to be drafted. But they do have some guys I could see being brought into somebody's camp as undrafted free agents who could potentially make a team. You know, which is you know mostly a, mostly successful. I mean, that's you know worthy of mention. And they had another guy, um, uh, defensive tackle, I think. But yeah, I mean, they had a couple of guys who you know or made made it into camps even if they weren't. Uh, you know, necessarily signed as or drafted. So that's and David Morgan, you know, like I said, first in the history of their program. So they'll be looking to build on I guess a certain level of success that they've reached. And the the hope at least I think it would be the hope, uh going forward is that if they can Scoop up a couple of, of you know guys who are transferring from the Big Twelve or SEC or wherever it is. If they can scoop up a couple of those guys and win some football games, uh, I guess is what it comes down to winning football games. Uh, it should be possible. I mean. They have good facilities, not even great facilities, but good facilities. There's a so much good football. I mean, not all of those kids can <laughs> play for a Big 12 team or whatever. But Jalen Henderson uh, has emerged. He should have a, a good year this year. Uh, Aaron Taylor has had a good spring. Uh, Brett Winnigan as well. Jacoby Butler. Looked really good on defense throughout the spring. Dalton Sturm is a you know a junior, uh, accurate, can run. Sort of a key to what becomes of them on on offense. I would say this year, Jay Bryce Taylor is probably their most explosive receiver. Uh, Jalen Rhodes. This looks good at times. 
Mikel Bass is another guy that has the ability to make plays. Oh, Dan Cavill has impressed me at times as well. Derek Dick is is probably worth keeping an eye on as well, though he's I don't think he's going to end up starting this year. Corbin White will probably be you know, a valuable depth kind of guy. I mean, you're right. There's no jump out at you. You know, you've got to watch this guy. But Frank Wilson uh, did recognize Marcus Curry, who got the Special Teams Ironman Award. Juan Perez Isidro uh, was outstanding effort on offense. Austin Pratt was their weight room MVP. Jabez Taylor was their most productive offensive player, and I think he might be their most talented offensive player, in my opinion. Uh, what's, what's amongst them, Josiah Tuefo, most productive defensive player, and Jonathan uh, Tuilasega for outstanding effort on defense. Probably a, a four or five win team, but it's certainly not impossible they could do better. This is a program that, frankly, in my mind, should be farther down the road than they are. Um, you don't have to win every recruiting battle. I mean, you're not going to win it. You don't have to win half of them, quite frankly. You could probably lose two-thirds of the recruiting battles that you're in, I would think, still put together a pretty talented roster. So I guess that's my only, my only surprise is that UTSA isn't – I mean, it's a new program, a young program. So, you know, everything is new to them. Everything is, you know, progress and hope for the future and all that good stuff. But – I frankly think that they should be a little further down the road than they are. And so maybe this year will help to move them along. I don't think it's going to be a great year, but it sure would help them if they could have one. And let's see. That brings us to... North Texas, ah, yes. Uh, North Texas is another team that tends to have at least one really good player almost every year. More often than not, not more than one, though, Uh, (laughs) most of the time. I was a huge Lance Dunbar fan. He's unfortunately had a lot of problems with getting healthy, staying healthy, being healthy, whatever you want to put it. But when healthy, one of the most, Athletic running backs, I think, in all the NFL, he just, as you said, had trouble staying healthy. And I guess the the question, once again, as with them, they have, you know, they're in North Texas, which means that Dallas isn't far from. I mean, there's good football. Once again, you know, in every direction, uh, for lack of a way of putting it, who are you excited about or who are you looking forward to seeing amongst the North Texas State uh, Mean Green? Hmm. I mean, not Dirk eligible, but I kind of like Keyshawn McLean a little bit at uh, safety. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any other 
James Gray also is a safety that's um, kind of been uh, decent uh, from watching him a little bit. But um, that's really about it. I only was able to see about two North Texas games last year, actually. So I didn't get to see a ton of uh, football from them. Yeah. Uh, there, there, there weren't a lot of <laughs> games to see, but I think I may have seen both of the games you saw, and I think I might have seen one that you didn't. I think I saw three, if memory serves correctly. This is definitely, I mean, once again, I, I guess you could say this about a lot of teams, but this is, a, I think, a hugely important year for them. They were one of those programs that was once again sort of on on the rise at one point. You know, you they've got Alec Morris and and Quinn Shanabar and competing, and Morris, of course, as you guessed, it is a transfer from Alabama, and Shanabar is uh, a redshirt junior who actually looked really good to me. Now, if he doesn't win the job, which he might not. I wouldn't be surprised if, like I said, they had a pretty short leash on on Morris. Tigori might be one of the most talented players in their roster. I think he, you know he's just a redshirt sophomore, so a lot of their best players, in my mind, are are younger players. And as you sort of mentioned, I would also look out for Joseph Azugwu, uh, who is maybe one of their more talented defensive players and who's fairly young. Also, I'd keep an eye on uh, Dree Combs. I guess amongst the draft eligibles, maybe the guy with the best chance of being drafted right now amongst the draft eligibles, I mean, from what I've seen last year mostly, I think it might be Dree Combs, kid who came to uh, them by way of uh, Iowa Central Community College, It wasn't super amazing last year in his first year playing, you know, obviously at the FBS level. But, you know, he had 11 solo tackles, two tackles lost, 21, you know, total tackles. And he was a, you know, a rotational guy. This year he's essentially, you know, the guy, or at least, you know, their leader amongst the defensive end class. And had a very good uh, junior college career where he was an honorable mention All-American. So... I think he might have a chance. He'll need a huge year, which he might have. But I think he, if he can get invited to, like, the Shrine game or something like that, I think it would help him as well. In their secondary, they certainly have at least a couple of guys that I like. Uh, I wouldn't say I love any of them, but certainly a couple of guys that I, I do like. Uh, Kashawn McLean. Is certainly someone that, that, once again, has flashed at times. When his time comes, it'll be interesting to see just how he, he tests. He's just a junior this year, but he's uh, had a few monster weeks, in fact. He had a, a big week. In fact, at one point, I think he was the Conference USA Defense Player of the Week. Um, I can't remember what week it was, but some week last year. He's 
sort of a tweener-ish kind of player. I mean, cover two corner, safety-ish, um, whatever you want to put it. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, he's a, yeah, I guess safety with pretty good cover skills. When he was a, he made all freshmen his freshman year. Uh, had like I said a really good year last year. Scored a defensive touchdown. Uh, yeah, I mean probably the like I said maybe the best player or one of the best players in their defense last year. And if he can continue to build on that, I could see him. If maybe being a late round draftee, um, more likely to probably draft a free agent. But I certainly liked have liked him as well. John Selecci is another one of those sort of, you know, guys that knows how to find where the ball's going to be, makes a good number of tackles. And they have just a kid, uh, Richard sophomore Andrew Jones, is probably their second best prospect. So, you know, just Richard sophomore. But, I mean, amounts to the defensive backs, I should say, probably the second best prospect. And he's a, a long drink of water, skinny kid, you know, like, Six one, about 173 pounds. So, you know, the length that people sort of get all super excited about, he certainly has that. But, yeah, that, this is a team that shouldn't be a five- or six-win team, but probably is. Uh, they, they, here in North Texas, I mean, like I said, I know it's hard Lots of people are competing against you. You've got FCS schools and you've got FBS schools, and North Texas has to compete with both of them uh, because the kind of kids they go after very often are kids that also will be considering playing at the FCS level. And so much you can snatch one of them late just by saying, you know, hey, don't you want to play, you know, at the, you know, maybe maybe big time is too strong a word, but uh, division, you know, division one or whatever, but the big division of division one, the FBS division our side of Division One, So that brings us to Middle Tennessee State University, beautiful Murfreesboro. And obviously they had, you know, a player drafted last year. They, you know, they they certainly were, you know, we all talked about Kevin Bayard. They certainly had a pretty decent year. Tennessee State. Middle Tennessee State is one of those programs that, you know, never seems to be able to quite break through. Yeah. yeah. But they had the uh, best strong safety you know, yep. last year. Correct. So uh, they got that going for them. Yeah, they, they did have that going for them. Past tense, though. Yes. Unfortunately, Kevin Bayard isn't coming through that door anymore. And they could use him. They really, 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 really could use him. Hmm. Actually, I haven't focused on uh, well, Middle Tennessee going this year. Uh, I can certainly throw a couple of names at you, and you can keep an eye out for them. Uh, Itavius Mathers, I apostrophe T-A-V-I-S, T-I-V-I-U-S, I'm sorry if I remember correctly. So another prospective member of the all-name team. Uh, but he he showed me some things. 
Uh, he started his career at Ole Miss, so, you know, transfers, which is very often one of the best ways to find talent if you're going to be a uh, Conference USA school, but improved all throughout his time, uh, throughout camp, had a good had a good spring spring game, and is likely to see a fair amount of time amongst the, the running back group. Stephen Rhodes, unfortunately, has been hurt, hasn't been practicing for spring. But uh, Kilio Brooks is a guy I'd say to watch out for a little bit. And on offense, former running back turned wide receiver uh, Shane Tucker is another guy that I, I would say, you know, not the kind of guy who will probably be drafted, but it could be an undrafted free agent type. And I guess the other guy I would is uh, well, actually a couple of guys, but among the guys I mentioned would probably also be Peter Bailey, uh, defensive tackle. I think he has a chance to be good also. So if you're sort of just looking for guys to put on your watch list, I would recommend those guys. Oh, yeah. Last little fun fact. This is actually about UTSA. Graham Harrell is on the coaching staff there. So, you know, you can get a little bit of this field, too, I guess. But, uh, you know, I can still remember Graham Harrell with that little fade ball to uh, the Crabtree to knock off Texas, which seems like yesterday, basically. But uh, I guess it was probably four years ago that I, that I realized. So that brings us taking a quick I don't know I don't know which direction that trip would take I guess south I guess you'd be hopping on well not I-95 I guess you have to hop on something else they'll take you to I-95 and then travel on down to beautiful Florida Atlantic University another one of those programs that probably should be good and you know I think would have a chance or certainly should have a chance to be good uh, it's in a beautiful location, surrounded by football talent and the ocean. <laughs> so you should be able to find some dudes who will come to your super beautiful campus with the promise of playing right away. So... There's at least one or two guys that have, I think have a shot at being drafted. Who, who are you excited or what are you excited about amongst the uh, FIU Owls? Um, I, I think he's I, uh, Trey Hendrickson, maybe. Okay. Or, uh, I think he's there this year. Um Basically, I think he's a junior or senior this year. I think um, at uh, Edge. Trey, Trey, no, Trey Hendrickson is. Yeah, he's definitely there. Yeah. Graduated uh, and they had is gone. 
Okay. And let's see if this is. Um, yeah, that guy's gone. Uh, Jalen Young is still there at safety. The freshman. Um, yeah, that's all I got. Trey Hendrickson. As far as a uh, kind of underrated edge, yeah, kind of guy. Um, yeah. Oh, oh guys. At least, at least from, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, certainly understandable there. There's not, they're not loaded, despite being, you know, located, as I said, where, where they are and, and having certain built-in advantages. They don't, that they have not as of yet, I should say seemingly managed to figure out the best way to take advantage of some of those natural advantages that they have in terms of location and just a hotbed of football talent that, like I said, surrounds them seemingly every direction, except for the ocean. I guess a couple of the guys that are worthy of mention... Uh, Charlie Partridge's sturdy uh, FAU owl. Uh, Kareth White is a player also, though he's, I don't believe he's, I think he might be just a sophomore. Maybe a right sophomore, but I don't think he's declaring. And if he is able to do so, and he probably would be right not to do so. Uh, you probably have heard of Jason Driscoll, but uh, he's in the quarterback battle as well. Good to see the Driscoll boys. Caleb Woods, Kareth White, uh, you mentioned Hendrickson. Uh, Hunter Snyder is another guy I'd recommend you keep your eye out on. And Nate uh, Ozdemir is another guy I'd have you keep your eye on if you're just looking for guys to try to find. <laughs> Pretty decent on special teams, Greg Joseph and... Uh, But uh, Joseph has been a pretty solid uh, place kicker. Only weakness is he doesn't have a super strong arm. And once again, another one of those teams that I think will be right around 500, maybe slightly uh, below, maybe maybe four or five wins, but uh, probably be enough to. I mean, as long as they don't bottom out, I think Coach Partridge is very respected, and I think. He'd probably survive most things. And that brings us to FIU, their neighbor, so to speak. Uh, What about FIU, Jim? Who are some of the guys you're excited about seeing? Jim? Um, Yeah, yeah. International. Uh, Alex Gardner, running back. Okay. Sophomore. Um, or junior, I think this year. Yeah, junior. Uh, I think they still have uh, the tight end or 
wide receiver. Oh, Juno, Juno, Juno. Yeah. Howard Smith, Juno Smith, Juno, Juno, something. Juno. Juno. Yeah, that's not right. Uh, something, Jay Smith, uh, who's a wide receiver tight end. He's really a wide receiver. He's a lot like Thomas Duarte in terms yeah. of he's a wide receiver. He's a tight end in name only sort of thing. Um, but he's decent. I mean, again, he's a big body kind of possession receiver um, type of thing. If they turn him into an H-back, his career will be over pretty much because nobody will ever use him. But, uh, it's, um, yeah, there's him. Uh, I don't know. He graduated. Uh, he's gone. That guy's gone. Yep, both of those guys are gone. That's pretty much all I got. Alex Gardner, the running back that I think is uh, decent. And uh, Jay Smith, that tight end or wide receiver kind of guy, is uh, the other sort of thing. Um. Yeah. So. Yeah, there's uh, a little bit of talent on the team, and once again, you know, this is one of those programs that people predicted was going to quickly, you know, if not immediately, then quickly start making noise and you know, threatening Florida State and all kinds of things like that. Uh, didn't quite play out that way. They haven't. White managed to make a tremendous amount of inroads in terms of fan support and things like that. Doesn't mean they don't still have a chance uh, to to take some steps, but yeah, they haven't quite become you know, the monster that some felt they might become sooner rather than later. That brings us to... Oh, right. Yes. Uh, wait, are we done? Dave, let's make sure. We, is that the whole conference? Say FAU. Do we F, do we, we did, was it FI? Do we, do we do FAU and FAU? Yeah, we did Florida Atlantic. Okay. We did Florida International. Um, football. We may have done it. Check. Did we do it? Let me see. I think we might have. Well, I I think we did at least, or we could get to the rest because because eventually Takshu is going to be like Elvis and leave the building. So, <laughs> well, more, um, more to the point, I think we might have actually gotten to all the, all the teams. Uh, oh we did. no, uh, Western Just, Kentucky. Oh, we didn't. You're right. I forgot Western Kentucky. Okay, Marshall. we can. Oh, that's right. The good team. And, right, we didn't get to the good team. Uh, yeah, we didn't get to the good team. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, we can get to that tomorrow. We could. We could knock out the good teams tomorrow. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you tell tell the fine people, James, what is it you're up to? What are you doing? What, do you, what have you got cooking? What am I doing? Yes, sir. I don't know yet. I don't know. It's weird. It's been a weird week. Uh, I, I mean, I've been doing uh, working on preview articles for the 20, 
2017 season, uh, just kind of quick one-offs of guys to uh, not really rankings, but like the five must-see guys, I guess, of the 2017 class. Like, if you're going to see five guys going in, these are the five to watch um, in various positions. And uh, and then I'm still trying to um, – I, I th- honestly, I think it's injury data. Uh, I'm going to be going back and getting about 10 years' worth of, uh, of uh, injury uh, data, IR data. And then the more intensive data I'm going to try to get is the uh, the weekly injury reports. Oh wow! Uh, practice reports. Oh okay. Essentially. Yikes. Um, <laughs> in terms of uh, you know participation, did they participate? Did they not participate? They had limited participation. Um, different stuff like that. But I think I'm just going to do IR first because that's going to be a lot faster. Um, but I just wanted to do my own sort of. Uh, look into injury rates because I know they do studies and they publish it a lot of like ACLs and LTLs and you know stuff like that uh, but most of the time the data that you get from that is like 10 years old when they publish it um, and sometimes they even have small sample sizes which is another thing that uh, is uh, concerning I guess um, but that was one thing I actually was really wanting to get into um, is uh, injury stuff on top of character stuff. Character stuff is just something I, I, I was thinking about getting into, but I think injury stuff is going to be a little uh, faster to get through, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. I can get done with that a lot faster than character stuff, so uh, probably going to be doing something like that uh, on top of the other sort of stuff. So, But, yeah, that's, that's uh, what I've been... Uh, yeah, doing okay. so. Excellent. Well, I am going to try to make some progress uh, this weekend on the article that I am co-writing with uh, Mark Schofield about, you know, the, like I said, the, the rise, uh, the ways, the development, uh, history, and all that good stuff of the, the quarterback how they got to be, you know, princes amongst players and, you know, what has changed as, you know, the, like I said, the hothouse flower version of the quarterback as opposed to the organic development of quarterbacks that, you know, of the past. Now we have all the sort of specialized training and coaching and all the other things that go into trying to, to sort of build these quarterbacks up from, you know, eight, nine years old in some cases you know, develop them specifically uh, as opposed to these kids who were just athletes who ended up finding out they should be quarterbacks probably around the age of 14 uh, because they were tall or people liked them or they could throw a football well, you know, as opposed to being sort of groomed almost from birth. So, yeah, um, we should be hopefully, hopefully finishing that in about middle of this month, maybe third week of this month, and that'll show up on uh, on FanSpeak when it's done, I suppose. So that's what I've been up to as well. Uh, also, we were joined previously by Isaiah, who may or may not be back uh, tomorrow, 
But uh, tomorrow at 11 Eastern, 10 Central, 9 Mountain, and 8 Pacific, we will finish off the conference, and then we may dabble, touch upon, discuss, maybe a little Mountain West for fun as well. As always, it is an honor, a privilege, and a pleasure, and we'll do this show again in one week. Thank you all. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.